Eleven Weeks by Anna Tikva, a novel about the last days. Prologue, a dream. Was this reality or only a dream? She had been sure she had heard a trumpet blast and someone calling her name. Why was she standing all alone in the evening twilight, peering down into a dark rectangular hole? Looking up at the overturned gravestone, she could see her name eerily engraved upon it. Was she hallucinating again? So many times the morphine drip had created terrifying nightmares and strange delusions. Was this another one of the same? Curiously, she reached over to touch the cold, hard gravestone. Her fingers traced the deep, sharp curve of the letters, Verity Jane Lavelle. It felt real enough. She shivered in the cool August breeze. The light summer dress she was wearing was hardly adequate. It was her favorite dress, though, with blue flowers, high waistline, and puff sleeves. Reading the verse below her name, Verdi remembered requesting this very passage after she had been told she had only a short time to live. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. It summarized the hope she'd clung to so tightly through her illness. Resurrection. But was she still sick and only dreaming about resurrection? Or had she truly been brought back to life? Looking around the graveyard, Verity analyzed her situation. She knew where she was. The little stone chapel in the Granville Cemetery was easy to recognize. But the trees were taller. There also seemed to be many more rows of gravestones lining the gently rolling hills and disappearing into the darkness. Some graves nearby were decorated with fresh flower bouquets, while others, like her own, had only a little green shrub in front. As she scanned the shadowy surroundings, unable to see very far into the distance, hers appeared to be the only gravestone that was overturned. It certainly looked real enough. If this is for real, Verity considered, then the resurrection has taken place, which means that Jesus Christ has returned, which means that everything I believed and hoped for has begun. Could it be? Was it true? Her heart skipped a beat. Shivering with anticipation, she ran her fingers down her arm. It felt smooth and strong. There were no intravenous attachments or even any scars. If she was only dreaming, surely her hand would strike the needles. Surely she would wake herself up. Walking a few steps back and forth, she tested her legs. They felt sturdy and strong. The weakness and pain from the tumor were gone. In fact, she had no feelings of pain anywhere. Looking down, Verdi noticed her abdomen was no longer distended. Touching her face, she was elated to find the swelling had disappeared. She felt whole. Running her fingers through her long, dark hair, hope rose quickly in her heart. I think I'm alive again, she whispered joyfully. I think I've been brought back to life. Looking up to heaven, Verity prayed, Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing me back from the dead. You've healed me completely. This is such a miracle. And if I'm alive, this must mean that your son has returned. You've given him the power to raise us from the grave. Your kingdom is about to be established on this earth, just as you promised so long ago. Her mind began to race. How long did I lie in that hole? Have others been raised like me? What 
am I to do now? Will an angel appear? Will I be taken away to judgment? She looked around, wondering what to do next. Aside from an occasional car traveling the nearby road, the cemetery was isolated, tucked away on the outskirts of town. Situated as it was in the daily bus route that had once taken her to Granville District High School, she had passed by it almost every day. To her right was the small town of Granville. To her left was the road that led home. If I were to walk, she considered, it would take me only a couple hours. I feel strong enough to walk for days. I'm sure I could do it. A smile slid over her face as she imagined knocking on her front door and announcing her resurrection. What a surprise it would be for her mother and brother to see her alive and well. But will they still be there, she asked herself. How long has it been? Will they be ready for Jesus' return? Have they had time to search out truth and believe? And what about, what about Peter? The smile quickly vanished from her face as Verity thought about Peter, Peter Bryant. He had been one of her best friends in high school. They had become very close, and then she discovered she had cancer. Sadly, she remembered his anger toward God. She remembered begging him to have faith as he sat beside her during the last dark days, looking so haggard, so forlorn, so terribly distressed. I love Peter. I wanted to help him believe in this day, this very day, this day that I think I am now experiencing. What has happened to Peter and everyone I love? My brother Thomas only started asking questions about God when he heard I had cancer. Did he continue to seek for truth? And my mom, my lovely mother, who stood strong through a difficult marriage and worked so hard to support us, did she ever find time to read the Bible? Heavenly Father, what has happened to them? Verdi asked. Did they turn to you for help? Did they accept the call of the gospel to be baptized? If this is truly the time of the resurrection and not just a wonderful dream, then it must be now too late for anyone to change. Jesus Christ is here at last. We're all about to be called away. A mosquito bit her on the arm and Verity slapped at it. Mesmerized, she wiped away the blood that splattered on her skin. It was all completely real. A real mosquito, real blood, and the slap hadn't altered her state of consciousness. Fully convinced now that this was no hallucination, she kneeled down and prayed even more earnestly. With all my heart, Lord, I thank you for bringing me back to life. You've kept your promises. I am so thankful that the fulfillment of all things is here at last. I have longed for this day. Please, dear Lord, show me what I am to do now. Where do I go? Please help me find the ones I love. Before she could say another word, there stood right beside her, as if he had been there all along, a young man in shining white robes, unnaturally bright against the purple evening sky. He held a trumpet in his hand. Sincerity and love shone from his face. Instinctively, she bowed to the ground, covering her face. As much as she had expected an angel to appear, it was still a great shock to be so close to the divine. Do not be afraid, the angel reassured her kindly. Jesus Christ has called you back to life. Reaching out, the angel took her hand. As he pulled her to her feet, Verity trembled. She was completely awestruck. Come with me, the angel said with compassion. 
We must visit your mother and brother and... The angel looked at Verity and smiled. And Peter Bryant. Have they all turned to God? Verity asked anxiously. How long have I been dead? Are they ready for Jesus Christ's return? Come and see, was his reply. Eleven weeks earlier, Chapter One, The Final Performance. It was the last scene of the final performance, the scene which Zach Bryant enjoyed most of all. Tall, well-built, and handsome, he had been taking intensive dance lessons for the last couple of months. It had all been for this, the three sold-out performances on the last weekend of May. As his feet followed the rhythm of the music underneath the bright spotlight, Zach knew he was executing the final scene better than ever. The audience cheered as he came to a striking pose right where he needed to be, right in front of Melissa. Only she wasn't Melissa in the musical, she was Vanessa Van Houston, and he was Marco Derenet. She looked gorgeous, dancing on the table in a blue ruffled 60s skirt and white peasant blouse. With her ginger-brown hair and a curly ponytail, she was looking at him in that rapturous way that always filled him with hope. It wasn't hard to lock eyes with her, just like the drama teacher had instructed. Soon, he was certain that she would ditch Shane Lockwood and be his. Melissa spun around and jumped. Reaching out his arms, he caught her perfectly in midair. The whirlybird catch, as she fondly called it, was the most difficult move of all. With one sweeping motion, Zack brought her feet to touch the floor, and then with arms outstretched, they twirled three times in flawless synchronization. The audience cheered again and again as Vanessa Van Houston and Marco Derenet performed the dance that had taken months to perfect. Unfortunately, most of Zach's practices had been on Sunday mornings. Because of this, his parents, Andrew and Lisa Bryant, disapproved of his involvement in the musical and had told him so repeatedly. Even Uncle James, an uncle that he highly respected, questioned the change of priorities. You've missed almost every Sunday school class, Zach he implored. God needs to come first. However, the last few months of Zach's grade 12 year had been his most enjoyable. Being a lead in the high school musical uncovered his hidden talents. He had always done well in sports, but just the other day the dance teacher had told him that he was a natural. And Ms. Allen, the drama teacher, loved his voice. Zach had never been allowed to attend school dances during the four years he had attended Sterling High. He wondered if his father was surprised by his abilities or upset that he had developed them. In actual fact, he was very surprised that his parents had come to watch the final performance. It was a Sunday evening. Grandma, Uncle James, and Aunt Sandra were in the audience, too. Brett and Jana were there as well, but that was a given. Brett was always supportive and understanding. The music slowed, and Zach focused his thoughts. As he and Melissa came together in center stage, a new song began to play. Breathing heavily, Zach was thankful their voices had been previously recorded and were now playing back over the speakers. All they had to do was lip-sync until they caught their breath. "'I'll be yours,' Melissa's smooth, clear voice rang out across the audience. "'Till the end of time!' Melissa's voice was the only voice Zach ever wanted to hear. When they sang the song, in his mind, she was truly singing to him. "'No one will ever break us apart,' 
he replied in perfect harmony. Hear that, Shane, he thought. Zack loved the way they were so perfectly in step with one another. Melissa knew right where she should be. There was no awkwardness or hesitation. And then, as the lights dimmed and the music faded, came the best part of all. Pulling Melissa close, he bent over and kissed her. Ms. Allen said it had to be a long kiss, and Zack was very willing to oblige. Cheering loudly, the crowd gave them a standing ovation. All the actors poured onto the stage, joined hands, and bowed to the audience. The clapping intensified. Melissa looked up at Zack with tears in her eyes. That was the best ever, she said. You were amazing. He squeezed her hand. So were you, he said earnestly. As always. All the actors bowed again. The school band struck up a marching song. With Zack and Melissa taking the lead, everyone filed off stage toward the dressing rooms. They were still holding hands as they walked down the darkened hallway with the rest of the actors. I'm so sad it's all over, Melissa told him, staying close by his side. It's been so much fun. It doesn't have to be over, he smiled down meaningfully. She looked up confused, but then seemed to understand his message. Zack, she started to say, but the drama teacher was rushing toward them. Fantastic, Miss Allen raved. You both outperformed yourselves tonight. You brought the whole musical to life. You made it so real. I'm so proud of you. Your parents must be bursting with pride. Melissa nodded happily. Her parents had supported her from the very beginning. They paid for professional dance lessons and vocal training at the best music academy in Sterling, Nova Scotia. Zach grimaced. He wasn't sure what his parents were going to think. He'd had to pay for everything himself. Taking part in the musical was not something his parents had encouraged. So many people wanted to meet Zach and congratulate him on his wonderful performance that it took a long time to reach the back of the auditorium where his family stood waiting. Somewhere along the way, Melissa parted from him in a different direction, and he still didn't know what she wanted to say. That was all right. He could text her later as long as he was sure she wasn't with Shane. Brett and Jenna met him before he reached his parents. Brett had been Zach's basketball coach since grade nine. With Brett, Zach shared some memorable victories. Fantastic, Brett said, thumping him on the back. Zach, I had no idea you were such a superstar. You could go into acting, Jenna agreed. Seriously, you'd be a sensation. Zach was flattered. Thanks, he said. It was a lot of fun. Looking ahead, he could see that his family was getting restless. I'd better catch up with my folks. They're waiting to take me home. You do that, Brett smiled, and let us know when you have your next show. Laughing, Zack reluctantly made his way to the back. Would his parents be impressed? You did do amazingly well tonight, his mum conceded as she gave him a hug. Incredible, exclaimed Esther, his young teen sister, hugging him tight. I've been enjoying the celebrity status, his twin brother Jake chuckled. You wouldn't believe how many people have come congratulating me. Zack smiled. Identical twins with tousled sandy blonde hair and hazel brown eyes, it was hard to tell them apart. Many times in their 17 years of life, they had been mistaken for one another. God gave you plenty of talent, son. His dad smiled, clapping him on the back. His father's compliment was a gentle reminder of several late night conversations. Zack shrugged and began walking toward the exit. Maybe his talents were pulling him away from God, but that wasn't what Zack wanted to hear. As everyone followed him out the door, Zack asked his mom, Where are Grandma and Uncle James and Aunt Sandra? 
They waited for half an hour to talk to you, she replied with a smile, but they had to get back home. Uncle James has a client coming over tonight. They told me to tell you that they really enjoyed the show. Great performance tonight, a grade nine girl called out, glancing shyly in the twins' direction. You must be so proud of your son, Mr. Bryant, she exclaimed to Zach's dad. And she paused, passing him a few sheets of paper. Um, here's the essay I was supposed to hand in Friday. I'm sorry. Everyone did their best tonight, Zach's dad replied evasively, taking the essay. Looking briefly at their papers, he smiled. Unfortunately, I still have to take five marks off, Sarah. But it's not Monday yet, she pleaded. It's also not Friday. Sarah looked disappointed. Okay, see everyone tomorrow then. All the others said polite goodbyes except Zach. Zach was disappointed by his father's lack of enthusiasm. Why isn't Dad praising me like everybody else? Being an English teacher at the same high school his kids attended, Zach knew his father would be inundated with many similar compliments in the next week. Will he keep brushing everyone off so dismissively? What a total surprise, Miss Campbell said loudly, coming down the hallway. The student who never attends school dances is the best dancer in the school. You really should be there at prom this Friday to show the other kids how to do it. I'd love to, Zach said cheerfully. There was probably no way he could get a ticket at this late date, but should opportunity arise, he would gladly take part. His younger sister Esther looked back at him with surprise. Jake elbowed him in the ribs as they were exiting school. What? Zach exclaimed as they stepped outside. Limping a little, since spraining his ankle in a recent rugby game, Jake whispered quietly, Now Dad will have teachers on his case. Zach shrugged coolly. Good, then maybe I'll get to go. It was a somber group that took their seats in the old family van. As Zach's dad turned the key, the news came on and his mom was instantly captivated. Another earthquake, Andrew! She exclaimed soberly, directing everyone's attention to the announcement. Sure enough, a large earthquake had taken place in China, and aftershocks were being felt hundreds of kilometers away. Earthquakes in various places, Zach's mom said to his father, making reference to the words of Jesus. Playing music on his phone, Zach stuck one earplug into his ear and gave the other to his twin. He didn't want to hear about another earthquake. There have been so many major disasters lately. Earthquakes, tsunamis, massive floods, spewing volcanoes, and weird, weird weather. At school, this was all attributed to global warming. However, his parents seemed to feel these were signs clearly anticipated by Bible prophecy to herald the return of Jesus Christ to the earth. A soft bleep alerted Zach to an incoming text. It was a message from Jaden, one of his friends from school. Awesome, was all it said. But Zach knew Jaden was referring to the musical. He smiled and texted back. Thanks. Three more texts came in and Zach quickly responded. Watching him enviously, Jake wished he had been able to afford to take over his uncle's phone plan when he had left to do missionary work in Jamaica. Instead, he had spent all his money on a new aluminum racing bicycle. Although Zach held a smartphone in his hand, he was only able to listen to music and text, since their father had installed software that blocked the internet. They both could remember their dad exclaiming, What? Give you unaccountable access to the World Wide Web? Are you crazy? Once that door is open, there's no telling where it will lead. I have the most conservative father in the world, Jake thought. But I'd be happy just to text. I must be the only student in grade 12 who still uses a landline to communicate. This summer's earnings will go towards a phone. 
Another six Russian warships are headed for the Mediterranean? Their mother remarked, still listening to the news report. Do you realize how significant this is? She asked with a smile, looking back at the twins. The King of the North is coming down with many ships. There had been quite a fleet of Russian ships docking at the new ports they had acquired in the Mediterranean. It was occurring regularly and without incident. Is this really evidence that Ezekiel 38 and Daniel 11 are being fulfilled? Zach wondered. Having grown up in a family that read the Bible every day, he was fully aware that his parents had plenty of evidence that Jesus Christ would soon return. But he wasn't ready for that return, not for a few more years at least. Surely it won't happen for a few more years. Totally unaware that the return of Christ was only 11 weeks away, Zach looked over at his brother and rolled his eyes. Jake didn't respond. He looked away. Zach wasn't baptized, but Jake was. Three years ago, their friend Noah had been baptized, even though they had all been young, only 14. It wasn't long afterwards that the twins had asked to take classes as well. Jake had been baptized at the early age of 15. While Zach had attended all the classes with Uncle Peter, he hadn't followed through with any commitment of his own. It seemed so easy back then. Life wasn't so busy, Jake pondered. Maybe I was baptized too young, he thought to himself. I know it's all true. I know Jesus will come back some day, but I just don't feel any excitement anymore. It bores me stiff. I know it shouldn't, but it does. Living only ten minutes from Sterling High, they were almost home when Dad spoke again. Plugs out, guys, he said. Unwillingly, Zach and Jake cooperated. What are you listening to? Their dad questioned. Just cool music, Zach replied sullenly. He knew that his dad didn't like it when he and Jake zoned out in their own music world and became disconnected from the rest of their family. Look, Zach, his father said, looking up at him in the rearview mirror. I know that you are a very talented young man. I know that with your involvement in this play, you've truly earned lots of praise and encouragement from everyone at school. I can appreciate that you find it hard to understand why Mum and I haven't been enthused or supportive of your performance. But I just want you to remember that your parents see things a little differently. We know this world is on the verge of Jesus Christ's return, because we believe the prophecies that are in the Bible. This isn't the time to be living for the moment and disconnecting from God, and... His father added soberly. If you're interested in some girl at school, bring her to God. Make sure she's committed to him before you ask her to commit to you. Don't let her take you away. Mr. Bryant had a few more comments about the importance of living for God, but Zach just shook his head and looked out the window. He'd heard it all before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He thought. That's why you wouldn't let us buy tickets for prom and why we've missed out on so much fun. His mom and dad were so enthused about God's promises for the future. They've been saying Jesus is going to return soon for most of my life. Someday I'll want to have a part in it, but right now there are so many other things on my mind. There's Melissa and university to think about. Plus, I've got to beat Abby on that math exam. And then there's basketball. Brett Lawson coached the Sterling Scorpions basketball team. In March, the team had almost made it to the provincials. Brett wasn't a high school teacher, but with a shortage of those willing to coach... He had become involved with the school teams when Zach and Jake had entered into grade 9. Over the last four years, he had led the Scorpions to many victories, winning the district championship every year. With Zach and Jake returning in September for an extra year of high school, dubbed by some a Super 12 year, 
They were both determined to keep in shape and go all the way next season. We've got to make it to the provincials, Zack told himself. And next season we have such a good chance. The twins were captains of the team, and just last week they had been told that Brett had generously sponsored them to attend a basketball camp in the summer. We'll have professional coaches. It's going to be such an awesome week, Zack thought to himself. I'll improve so much, it will give us the edge. And don't forget, his father continued, winding up his dissertation about where Zack's mind should be. God's laws and commands aren't there to ruin our lives. They guide us to make choices, to give us true peace of mind and real happiness. Following Christ isn't the path of least resistance, but it is the path with the least regrets. Chapter 2. The Exercise Routine I've got to go to the prom tonight, Zack told his brother firmly, five days after the last performance. The boys were doing their strength exercises in the basement, having just come home from school. It was part of a new plan, now that the musical was over, to get in shape for basketball season. Unfortunately, with Jake's sprained ankle, he had to take it a little easier than Zack. Every day that week after school, they had commenced their workout with strength training, and then Zack ran five kilometers while Jake rode his bike. How can you go to the prom? You don't have a ticket, Jake asked between push-ups. He had to admit he wished he was going as well. Miss Allen gave me a ticket today, Zack replied proudly. She said there were a couple of cancellations, and she thought I deserved to go. Seriously? Jake puffed, working hard on the floor. He was jealous, even though... Due to the economic downturn, funding for the prom had been cut in half. It wasn't going to be nearly as good as in past years. To save money, the school council had opted to hold the celebration in the high school cafeteria, with the food and nutrition class catering the event. Still, Jake felt he was missing out big time. Everyone else in grade 12 was going. So you figure it's worth being grounded? He challenged. Dad doesn't have to know, Zack grunted, his arms straining to get past 30 push-ups. Having been so involved in the musical, he had given up rugby season for play practices. He knew it would take time to regain his upper arm strength. The musical had been a huge personal investment for Zack and all the others who had committed to the production. Beating his goal by one, Zack collapsed wearily on the ground. Dad and Mom are going over to help the McKinleys tonight. If you can get yourself a ticket, we could both use the homework excuse. Oh, sure, Jake retorted, getting in position for his next round of push-ups. For one thing, it's youth group tonight. And secondly, I highly doubt I'll find a ticket in the next few hours. She said there were two cancellations. Heaving his body up and down, Jake thought it through. If his parents were heading out, both he and Zack might get away with going to the prom. Often when their parents left the house to give counseling or visit the elderly, he and Zack had enjoyed the freedom to do as they pleased. Many times it meant a movie night. Living in a household without a television, no Wi-Fi, and only one computer in the living room, any DVDs that were watched had to meet everyone's approval. However, when Mum and Dad were out, the twins felt free to make their own choices, or almost. Esther, their younger sister, was usually in on the action, and always promised not to tell as long as they didn't watch anything too bad. That set the bar high. Esther's conscience was easily stirred. She was almost as restrictive as their parents. 
However, this was all beginning to change with Zack's requisition of a smartphone. Their parents still didn't know all the stuff that Zack could download at school to show to his brother when they were home. Does Melissa know you're coming? Jake asked, finishing his second round of push-ups with a loud gasp of... Fifty. Feeling rather hampered with his weak ankle, Jake was determined to beat Zack in upper body strength. No, but I'll text her, Zack replied. He leaned back in a sitting position to do his abdominal exercises. She's confused between Shane and me, he muttered, drawing his knees to his chest and extending his arms. If I can win her over, then maybe she'll come out to youth group and other stuff with me. I don't know why you're so crazy about her, Jake shrugged as he finished the abs workout and walked towards the stairs. Jake hadn't run up and down the stairs for weeks, but his ankle was getting stronger, and he thought it was worth a try. I mean, she's a nice girl and everything, he conceded as he attempted to climb the steps. But whenever Shane isn't around, she flirts with all the guys. I've heard a few wild stories about her at parties, and apparently she believes in reincarnation. I don't think she'll be interested in coming out to youth group. Whatever, Zack replied defensively. She just needs some help sorting things out. Melissa is a very friendly person. She's not a flirt. Jake shook his head, giving up on the stairs routine. His ankle was still too weak. Nah, it's flirting, he said firmly, a little resentful that Melissa never flirted with him, unless she mistook him for Zack. Melissa was the most captivating girl at school. Jake wasn't sure why she often walked right past him, but then again, she hadn't really paid attention to Zack either until the musical. In his heart, Zack knew that Jake was probably right in his assessment but he hated to admit it. He was drawn to Melissa in a powerful way. Everything will get sorted out once she's going out with me, he told himself. So will you cover for me tonight, then? Zack begged. But we need you at youth group, Jake argued feebly, feeling duty-bound to encourage his disinterested brother. He was, after all, half an hour older than Zack, and already baptized. There are so few of us as it is. Yeah, it's pathetic, Zack agreed. Joining his brother again for the next exercise, the twins stood at the top of the stairs, flexing their calf muscles, hoping to improve their jumping ability. Jake empathized with the discouragement in his brother's voice. Growing up, they had been involved with an enthusiastic youth group, but unfortunately, many of their friends had moved away, far away, and they weren't planning to come back. It was a sad situation, one that Brett Lawson, their basketball coach, had inadvertently caused. Uncle James is giving a class tonight on the signs of Christ's return, Jake told his brother, picking up the 25-kilogram dumbbells. He'll be kind of disappointed if no one shows up. They should just postpone it, Zack muttered, skipping fast with the rope. He noticed his brother wince as he squatted with the heavy bar and knew Jake's ankle was causing him pain. No one will be there. They'll all be at prom. Alan will be there, Jake reminded him. Yeah, Alan, Esther, and us. That's about all that ever shows up. Jake sighed, taking a break from the weights to flex his weak ankle. It was true that Abby, Nathan, and Jerry would most certainly be at the prom. They had been talking about it for weeks. David would likely be at home playing video games. It was all he wanted to do anymore. Pulling on a headband to keep his hair out of his eyes while biking, Jake felt a wave of despair. He wished he knew how to encourage his brother to make the right decision, but he was struggling to know even how to motivate himself. He remembered the days when they couldn't wait to go to youth group. Growing up, it had been their favorite night of the week. A second deep sigh escaped him. Perplexed, Zack looked up his brother, but Jake headed out the door to get his bike. 
Wheeling his prize bike out of the garage where he kept it under lock and key, Jake considered his Friday evening options. Should he ask Zach to text Miss Allen and see if there was another spare ticket? It would be a lot of fun to join Zach. His own popularity had increased dramatically since his twin had become the heartthrob of Sterling High. He imagined there might be a lineup of girls eager to dance with him if they couldn't have his brother. Mounting the bicycle, he soon left Zach far behind. He had to lap the town three times to equal Zach's five-kilometer run. But if Mom and Dad are heading out tonight, they'll be expecting us to give Esther a ride to youth group, he mused. We can't both use the homework excuse. Only one of us can get away with sneaking off. Pondering the matter some more, Jake realized that even if lots of girls wanted to dance with him, they would all be disappointed if he couldn't do the cool moves like his brother. He sighed with regret. I wish I'd decided to be in the musical. I'd love to dance like that. I bet I'd be just as good if I took lessons. Suddenly, Jake remembered that Uncle James had asked him to find out who needed a ride to Bible camp. It was only five weeks away, and Uncle James would likely ask him about it when he saw him that evening. As one of the youth group leaders, Jake was often given the task of encouraging his peers to be involved. Uncle James and Aunt Sandra were willing to take anyone who wanted to come to camp. In the past six years, Jake's whole family had faithfully made the two-day drive to Manitoulin Island every summer in order to attend the Bible camp. They usually traveled in convoy with Uncle James and Aunt Sandra, camping overnight along the way. It was always a lot of fun and a great family adventure. This year, however, the twins' dad had a course he was taking to upgrade his teaching skills. Disappointed not to be involved, he had offered the family van to Uncle James in the hope that anyone who wanted a ride would be able to come. I'd better go to class tonight and cover for Zach, Jake decided with a heavy sigh. He needs to work things out with Melissa. Finishing his first lap and catching up with his brother once again, Jake slowed to Zach's running pace. Hey, Zach, he asked. Have you decided whether you're coming to Bible camp this summer? Uncle James needs to know numbers tonight. Are you kidding? Zach replied incredulously. Brett's paid for both of us to go to basketball camp that week. It's the same week? Yup, and we need to be there if we're going to make it to the provincials next season. Zach puffed out, continuing to run hard. Brett emailed me this morning to say five players from the Blackhawks are going. We've got to be there. We're the captains. I didn't know we were going to have to miss Bible camp. Jake moaned, navigating around a sewer grate. Until now, he hadn't realized the two events coincided. Pedaling off quickly to do his next lap, Jake pondered the dilemma. What will I do? Zach and I are captains. Five of the Blackhawks are going. They're our main competition. We've got to beat them this year. But I don't want to miss out on Bible camp. Why does it have to be the same week? This stinks. Chapter 3. Youth Group Jake drove his youngest sister Esther to Uncle James and Aunt Sandra's place that evening, feeling glum. It was 7 o'clock. Almost all the other grade 12 students would be enjoying a roast beef dinner. He would likely be the only one not attending. Plugging his dad's iPod into the family van receptacle, Jake found a song he liked and turned it up. This is my favorite song, he told his sister. I know, she said, braiding her straight brown hair. How do you know? because you play it all the time. Conceding this was probably true, Jake hit the arrow key to take the song back to the start so he could listen without interruption. He 
He loved the music, and the message gave him hope. It was about God's love, how God always takes us back and never stops loving us no matter what we do. Heavenly Father, please keep on loving me, he prayed silently. Even though my heart isn't with you right now, please help me to get my life turned around. I don't know what's wrong with me. I just don't feel the excitement that I should. Please help me care about what your son did for us and the kingdom that you've promised to send. Jake's life had been so busy in the last few weeks that he hadn't taken time to pray for anything more than his daily food. Occasionally, he managed to have a few thoughts in God's direction, but for some reason, he seemed to be caring less and less about it. He wanted to care more, he truly did, but he wasn't quite sure how to make it happen. So are you going to Jamaica? Esther asked. How did you hear about that? I heard Dad talking to you. He wasn't whispering. Nah, I don't think so. Brent is counting on me and Zach to help him win the provincials next year. Plus, I need to take calculus again and upgrade my marks if I want to get into Dalhousie University. But it would be so cool to help Uncle Peter do missionary work, Esther exclaimed. Imagine a whole year in Jamaica. What an amazing experience. If I was done grade 12, I'd go. I don't think I'd be very good at running a kid's vacation Bible camp. Jake spoke candidly. You would, though. You'd be fine, Jake. You and Zach used to do all those funny skits for Sunday school. And you organize our youth group. And I don't do a very good job. Jake replied, flipping his straight, sandy brown hair out of his eyes. I spent an hour on the phone tonight trying to convince Abby, David, Nathan, and Jerry to come to the camp this summer and class tonight, and not one of them was interested. Are they working this summer? Oh, Nathan is. He needs money to go to college in September. Jerry is playing soccer and doesn't want to miss even one game. Abby doesn't think she could leave her boyfriend for a whole week. And, well, David doesn't think camp is any fun. Well, I want to come, Esther smiled, her blue eyes twinkling. And I'm sure Alan will as well. Yeah, there might be three of us, Jake grimaced uncertainly. He still wasn't entirely sure about his own choice. Driving down Uncle James' long, winding, tree-lined driveway, Esther exclaimed, Bible camp is my favorite week of the year. How could anyone not enjoy it? Jake parked near the garage under the pines. They both took a long, deep breath as they stepped out of the van. The pugnant sea air along the coast always brought back wonderful childhood memories. Jake would never forget the two amazing years his family spent living in this place. Uncle James had invited them to stay there while their dad was in teacher's college and money was tight. The log home sprawled out across a neatly manicured ridge that overlooked the ocean. Aunt Sandra had given it the name Ocean View Lodge. Deep purple trim highlighted the large living room windows, contrasting well with the aging gray exterior. Heavy dark green pines swayed silently in the background, screening from view all the other houses in the vicinity. It was a private and beautiful residence. Grandma Bryant stood at the purple front door, smiling, her short white hair gleaming in the golden evening sun. Soft blue eyes shone cheerfully in a face adorned with fine lines and creases. During the two years that Jake's family had stayed at Ocean View Lodge, both Grandma and Grandpa Bryant had lived in the in-law suite beside them. Sadly, Grandpa Bryant had passed away 18 months ago. Now Grandma lived alone in the granny flat next to Uncle James and Aunt Sandra. Hi, Hi Grandma. Grandma! Jake and Esther called out. So good to see you, darlings, she smiled, giving Esther a hug. Why, well, I think you're taller than me now. Esther smiled proudly. More like her mother than any of the other children, Esther was tall with a sturdy build. Zach had talked her into playing rugby and often boasted to his friends that she could take down any girl with one arm. 
I'm five foot eight, Esther told her grandma. Dad measured me last week. Goodness, you're definitely taller than I ever was. And you, Jake, you're looking more like your Uncle Peter every day. Sometimes I have to do a double take. Jake grinned and gave her a hug. Grandma had told him he looked like Uncle Peter so many times that he had lost count. But he was always happy to hear it. In Jake's opinion, Uncle Peter Bryant was the best looking in the family. Where's Zach? she asked. Jake shrugged. He had something else on. Something more important? No, just something else. Grandma nodded thoughtfully. Well, come on in. Alan's already here, and Uncle James is just getting his presentation set up. Entering the door, Jake took a whiff of a delicious aroma. Aunt Sandra's been baking? He remarked hopefully. Oh, yes, cookies and pizza and frozen yogurt. Enough for 20, I'd say. Jake laughed. Aunt Sandra loved to bake, and they always had a feast when they came to her house. Following Esther into the large, airy sitting room with the high cedar ceiling, Jake took a seat beside Alan. Aunt Sandra came over from the kitchen area, greeting everyone warmly and bringing homemade lemonade. Jake stood back up to take the tray from her hands. Aunt Sandra was on the shorter side, with straight, dark hair that didn't quite reach her shoulders. She had the prettiest blue eyes that twinkled merrily behind her glasses. Since being married, Uncle James often called her Buttes, short for beautiful. When Esther had been younger, she had mistakenly called her Aunt Buttes, thinking that was her aunt's name. Tall and lean, with dark, speckled gray hair, Uncle James looked up from the laptop he was fiddling with. Hey, good to see you all. He looked around more carefully, his kind brown eyes searching the room. No Zach tonight? Nope, Jake replied, wondering how long he could remain evasive. He took the tray of drinks over to Alan. Almost finished university and in his early 20s, Alan Simons was six foot two, dark haired, and as per usual, in the early stages of growing a beard. Rumor had it that he hated shaving, which was true, but Alan wasn't crazy about growing a full beard either. He had hired Jake and Zach as occasional workers to help him maintain their uncle's landscaping business for the summer. Uncle Peter and Aunt Jessica, who was Alan's sister, were on long-term missionary work in Jamaica. Leaning over to take one of the cold lemonades off the tray, Alan thanked Jake for the drink and then said, Look, if you and Zach are free to help us out tomorrow, that would be great. I know you both have morning jobs and schoolwork, but I can't believe how fast the grass is growing. Derek and I have 12 lawns to cut this weekend. I'm sure we can help. Jake smiled. Saturday mornings, he had committed to help Brett with his lawns, and Zach always did Ocean View Lodge, but they were both eager for more hours, school assignments or not. Their bank accounts had dwindled fast over the winter. It seemed that Uncle James was having some difficulty getting his laptop to communicate with the projector. As everyone chatted about their week and summer plans, Uncle James tried various combination of keys to get his presentation up and running. After serving everyone a drink, Jake sat back down. Aunt Sandra took a seat close beside Esther. She was giving Esther cooking lessons whenever they could fit them in. The two of them shared a special camaraderie. The twins were just as appreciative of the lessons, since Esther always brought home her delicious creations. Having married late in life and without any children of their own, Uncle James and Aunt Sandra were especially welcoming to their growing number of nephews and nieces. Everyone loved coming to their house. Sitting back comfortably on the couch, Jake's eyes were drawn to the large wedding picture that hung in the center of the long cedar wall. He would never forget his uncle and aunt's snowy winter wedding held in this very house, or their baptism in the cold lake water a few months before. In a jet-black tuxedo, Uncle James was holding Aunt Sandra in his arms. Snowflakes lay in their dark hair and sparkled on her bouquet of pink roses. 
The white velvet gown that his aunt was wearing blended into the background snow weighing down the dark pines. In the almost completely black and white picture, Aunt Sandra's eyes shone like blue jewels and the roses seemed to be painted in pink. Both of them were laughing, and it seemed to Jake that they had been laughing ever since. Standing up, Uncle James looked around at all the empty chairs. His presentation was finally showing up on the screen. Just three of you tonight? He queried thoughtfully. I was under the impression that everyone voted for this topic when we made the program last year. Jake squirmed uneasily. He hoped Uncle James would never find out where everyone else was. He wished he could spare his uncle the hurt. When no explanation was forthcoming, Uncle James shrugged. Oh well, he remarked more to himself than to the others. I'm sure everyone has a good reason to be someplace else. Suddenly remembering another question he had for Jake, Uncle James asked, Did you find out who's coming with us to Bible camp? Those you see here, Jake replied, not wanting to explain his own dilemma at such a time. And maybe Zach. Looking up with surprise, Uncle James questioned, No one else wants to come to camp? That's surprising. He looked over at Aunt Sandra. And I thought we wouldn't have enough seats in the van. Actually, I won't be able to come to family camp this year either. Alan spoke up. Someone has to look after the grass and gardens while you're all away. But, God willing, I plan to make it out for youth conference in August. He added with a smile in Jake's direction. And I'll have extra room in the car if anyone wants to join me. It wasn't the first time that Alan had encouraged Jake and Zach to join him for conference. But neither twin was keen to do the required 100-page Bible study workbook ahead of time. Did you remind everyone that family camp is held at a first-rate facility? Uncle James asked Jake in a half-teasing way. Did you remind them about their good friends and all the fun times we have every year? Sort of. Jake smiled. Manitou on camp is a great place to go. He reflected. But I'm not sure I would call it a first-rate facility. It doesn't have anything extravagant, unlike the basketball camp. There are plenty of trees in a sports field, but the beach is small and the lake is shallow. I did remind them about beach volleyball. Aunt Sandra smiled dreamily. I can't wait to hear the loons over the water and the whippoorwills calling out when the sun is setting on the lake. And I love sitting around the campfire at night singing hymns of praise to God. I feel so close to God when we're all together singing like that. And you wouldn't miss teaching the juniors for anything, Uncle James added, with an affectionate smile in his wife's direction. You've been working on those classes for weeks. We'll need Andrew's van just for all those project materials. That's true. I am looking forward to having fun with all the kids, Aunt Sandra agreed cheerfully. A grade one teacher at a little private school, Aunt Sandra loved working with children. She was always researching new crafts and activities. Uncle James had even customized a special room upstairs in the house for her to keep all her supplies organized. I love the campfire sing-alongs too, Esther chimed in, and I love seeing my friends. It's so much fun to talk for hours in the tent at night. And don't forget the ice cream socials and all the great classes, Alan added. Ah, yes, Aunt Sandra agreed. I heard that Brother George is speaking on the theme, In the Last Days, Perilous Times Will Come. That sounds very thought-provoking. Jake squirmed. It was thought-provoking, all right. He felt uneasy just hearing the title. Since this is our last class before summer vacation, Uncle James said, changing the subject, I thought I'd show you a few slides of the fun you've all had together over the years. Jake watched the screen as Uncle James showed pictures of Sunday school picnics and youth group outings from the past. There had been so many children. 
sad smile came over Jake's face as he saw pictures of himself, Noah, Brennan, and David in their ten-year-old innocence. Brennan and he had always tried to be on the same team. Noah had always sided with Zach. If he'd ever had a best friend beside his brother, it would have been Brennan. Now they saw each other only at camp. Both Noah's and Brennan's families had moved to Ontario. Jake's older sisters had moved as well to attend the University of Toronto. Look at David in this picture, Uncle James pointed out with a chuckle. It was a shot of the candy toss at the Sunday school picnic. Uncle Peter, Jake's dad's youngest brother, had run around with lollipops stuck to his clothes, tossing out candies for the children and trying to keep out of reach of their grasping hands. In the midst of the chaotic picture was David offering some of his candy to the toddlers who were unable to keep up. David had always been so generous and kind-hearted. Now David spent so much time playing computer games that he didn't want to do anything else or even hang out with his friends. His life revolved around the characters in his fantasy world. His bedroom walls were plastered with posters of fictitious virtual people. I hoped Abby would see this one, Uncle James laughed. Jake looked up to see Abby on the screen with six first-place ribbons. Her curly auburn hair was up in pigtails, and her face was covered with freckles. She won the Bible quizzes, the sack race, the obstacle course, and the wheelbarrow race. Remember that, Jake? Jake groaned. I helped her win the wheelbarrow race, he retorted. Abby had always been tough competition for him and Zach. She was small and wiry and the strongest girl he'd ever known. He and Zach could outdo her physically now, but Abby still outshone them with her recall of detail. At high school, Zach was vying with her for top marks in math. Lately, she had hooked up with Brian, the high school hockey hero, who often boasted that he could hold more drinks than anyone else on the team. Since then, they had been seeing less and less of Abby at youth group. I thought Nathan and Jerry would love this one, Uncle James said with a chuckle. Jake and Alan looked at one another and laughed. The picture was of the four of them standing in their pajama pants on a small island, wondering what they should do. Mist hung heavy over the lake, and a large loom was floating past in the water. Jake could well remember the weekend canoe trip three years ago. Alan had talked all the younger guys into setting up camp on that same small island just off the shore. While they were sleeping in late on the Saturday morning, the girls who had camped on the mainland quietly paddled over and stole their canoes. Had it been summertime, it would have been no big deal to swim the 100 meters back to shore where a hot breakfast was being served. However, in early October, the lake was frigid, and the morning air temperature was only 7 degrees Celsius. Alan and Jerry had changed into their swim shorts and saved the day. Plunging into the icy cold water, they brought back a rescue canoe. Do you have a picture of our revenge? Alan chuckled. With a grin, Uncle James flashed to his next slide. An overturned canoe bobbed in the lake, with four grumpy, half-drowned girls clinging onto it. Being merciful, the boys had delayed the revenge attack until the afternoon air temperature was in the balmy mid-teens. However, there hadn't been a word of thanks for their compassion. Jake took a long look at the picture. Hannah, Noah's younger sister, was in the forefront. Even at 11 years old and half-drowned, she was attractive. Last year at Bible camp, she had followed him around in a rather obvious way. With three years between them, Jake had kept his distance. It was a little embarrassing for a 16-year-old to be hanging out with someone who had just entered her teens. Will it be the same this year? He asked himself. Will I feel any different? Never, never take on the guys, Alan jokingly remarked to Esther. Unless you're prepared to face the consequences. It's Abby who does all the scheming, Esther smiled. I just follow orders. There were only a few more slides, and Jake wished the others had been there to see them. 
Last year, the canoe trip had been quiet and uneventful. The fewer that came, the less fun it was and the less invigorating it was in a spiritual way. Slowly, gradually, other activities with friends from school had become more compelling. Was there any way to reinvigorate the group? It's almost impossible, Jake thought with dismay. Especially when I don't feel motivated to even change myself. Chapter 4. Reasons to Believe Well, let's begin our class, Uncle James said, after Alan had given an opening prayer. Let's talk about the important prophecies that have been fulfilled, which indicate that we are on the verge of Christ's return. Uncle James was a good speaker, and everyone else was listening attentively. But Jake felt himself fading away. He had heard all this so many times. Little did he know that Uncle James was absolutely right. They were on the verge. Jesus Christ's return was only ten weeks away. Unaware of the urgency, Jake's eyes glazed over as Uncle James went through the usual evidence, beginning with the nation of Israel. In his mind, Jake began comparing his camp options. Manitoulin was a great place to go. He wasn't so sure about the challenging talks on perilous times, but he did want to see his friends. There were plenty of sports, and they always had fun in the lake, even if it was shallow. On the other hand, the basketball camp was truly a first-rate facility. The camp was in a scenic part of Nova Scotia on a lake. There were kayaks, jet skis, and sailboats available for use in the afternoons. He had read in the brochure that there was a zip line and a ropes course in the trees. It would be a full day of exercise and fun. At Bible camp, classes occupied the mornings and evenings, leaving only the afternoons free. I can go to Manitoulin every year, he told himself. But the basketball camp is likely a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and Brett is willing to pay for it all. Jake's attention was captured momentarily when Uncle James began his visual presentation using old film clips and black-and-white pictures. He was impressed that his uncle had gone to so much trouble to make his talk interesting. Using shaky old black-and-white film, Uncle James showed them pictorial evidence of the Zionist movement from the late 1800s and onwards. Turning to the prophecy of Ezekiel in the Bible, Uncle James excitedly pointed out the marvelous way God had predicted thousands of years before that this would occur. The Valley of Dry Bones in Ezekiel 37 foretells the future revival of the Jewish people in the last days. The following chapter goes on to explain that the Jews would once again become a prosperous nation in the land of Israel. Ezekiel 38 describes the Northern Confederacy, which comes against the newly established nation of Israel when they are dwelling safely, without walls, to take a spoil. Chapter 39 prophesies of God's direct intervention to stop the marauding armies from completely destroying everything in their path. Uncle James also read a couple of paragraphs from a few ancient books while he displayed pictures of the authors on the screen. Jake agreed it was remarkable that way back in the 17th and 18th centuries, Students of the Bible had clearly understood that certain Old Testament prophecies foretold the Jews would be gathered and established in their homeland before the return of Jesus Christ to the earth. For instance, there were the words of Sir Isaac Newton, famous for discovering the law of gravity, yet not so well known for his prolific writings on religious matters. Uncle James read Sir Isaac Newton's quote, God's covenant with Abraham, when he promised that his seed should inherit the land of Canaan forever, 
on this covenant was founded the Jewish religion, as on that is founded the Christian. And therefore this point is of so great moment that it ought to be considered and understood by all men who pretend to the name of Christians. The restoration of the Jewish nation, so much spoken of by the old prophets, reflects not the few Jews who were converted in the Apostles' day, but the dispersed nation of the unbelieving Jews to be converted in the end when the fullness of the Gentiles shall enter. It is when the gospel, upon the fall of Babylon, shall begin to be preached to all nations. There was also the quote that Jake knew well from John Thomas, writing in the mid-1800s. Uncle James read, There is, then, a partial and primary restoration of the Jews before the manifestation of Jesus, which is to serve as the nucleus or basis of future operations in the restoration of the rest of the tribes after he has appeared in his kingdom. The pre-adventual colonization of Palestine will be on purely political principles and the Jewish colonists will return an unbelief of the Messiahship of Jesus, and of the truth as it is in him. They will emigrate thither as agriculturalists and traders, in the hope of ultimately establishing their commonwealth, under the efficient protection of the British power. Some other power, friendly to Israel, must then have become paramount over the land, which is able to guarantee protection to them, and to put the surrounding tribes in fear. Jake's mind drifted back to the prom. It was almost time for the dance to begin. He could well imagine all the fun that Zack must be having. While Uncle James talked about how miraculous it was for a few hundred thousand Jews in 1948 to survive the birth of their new nation, being attacked by millions of hostile Arab enemies, Jake heard only bits and blurbs. He did take notice, however, when his uncle began talking about the future. Ezekiel 38 verse 8 spoke of the invasion of the northern confederacy advancing upon the mountains of Israel. War was an exciting topic to Jake, and he did think it would be quite interesting to see it all happen. The mountains of Israel are in what we call the West Bank area. Uncle James continued, showing a topographical map on the screen. The world has put a great deal of pressure on the Jewish people to give the West Bank to the Palestinians. However, we know the Jews must keep this land, because the Bible tells us that Israel will be dwelling safely in this very area when they are overrun by the northern invasion. Then there's still time, Jake mused. The Jews aren't exactly dwelling safely yet, so there's still more that has to happen. It could easily be years before Jesus returns. Lately, Uncle James went on to say, we've seen report after report of the gas finds in Israel. Israel has not only found enough natural gas and oil deposits to be self-sufficient for many, many years, but they will also be able to export. They have found a great treasure, and other nations are eyeing it greedily. There has been much speculation in the past about what great spoil will entice the Northern Confederacy to come down to the Middle East. While we won't know for sure until after the event occurs, it is possible these gas finds could be the enticement, especially considering Russia's ambition to dominate in the exportation of fossil fuel. So you think Russia will be the leader of the Northern Confederacy? Esther asked. I certainly do, Uncle James replied. I think there is plenty of evidence from ancient historians like Josephus and old maps to prove that this is so. The land of Magog is subject to speculation. The Greeks called the Magogites Scythians. Some maps show the Scythians migrated to the area of Germany and France, while others show the area of southern Russia and eastern Ukraine. What we do know for sure is that the nations which come against Israel will be from the uttermost north. 
As Jake's mind wandered between the identification of Magog and his own fanciful thoughts, he randomly drifted off to the novel which he kept hidden under his mattress. There was way too much foul language in the book to leave it lying around where his mum might see it. Plus, there had been some gory violence which she would likely question. But other than that, Green Diamonds was full of suspense and great twists in the plot. Will they catch Rainer? Jake wondered. I can't believe he had the nerve to shadow the secret police. I know they're in on the assassination attempt. They've got to be. They were visiting America when the president was gunned down. This is Rainer's first experience in Siberia. He doesn't even understand the language. I'm sure Irina is not someone he can trust. But he doesn't seem to be suspicious of her at all. I hope he doesn't tell her the truth when they go out for dinner. When Jake tuned in again to the class, Uncle James was speaking about fulfilled prophecy in regards to the European Union. He asked Esther to read from Revelation chapter 17, which says, The ten horns which you saw are ten kings, who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Once again, Uncle James produced quotations from Bible students writing far in advance of the fulfillment that Revelation and Daniel predicted the nations of Europe would one day unite and willingly give their national power and identity to a central authority which would be masterfully orchestrated by the Roman Catholic Church. He had no shortage of news clippings and magazine articles to demonstrate that the Pope was very much behind uniting Europe and taking the reins of influence. In the future, the false prophet of Revelation chapter 17 would guide the beast toward a final showdown with the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. There was one quote from Thomas Newton, writing in 1832, that Jake had never seen before. His uncle read, Now the power of the Pope as a horn or temporal prince it had been shown, was established in the 8th century. And 1260 years from that time will lead us down to about the year 2000, or about the 6,000th year of this world. And there is an old tradition among Jews and Christians that at the end of 6,000 years the Messiah shall come, and the world shall be renewed, the reign of the wicked one shall cease, and the reign of the saints upon the earth shall begin. And don't forget... Uncle James told them all, looking directly at Jake. Most likely, while Europe is still in the process of organizing its new empire, Christ will return, raise the dead, and judge his household. Most likely, before Europe becomes the beast that will oppose Jesus on his throne, there will be the invasion of Israel by the northern confederacy, the destruction of that formidable army upon the mountains of Israel, and the cry going out to all the earth to submit to the new king in Jerusalem. We're not sure how much we'll see before we're called away to the judgment seat of Christ. We could easily be called away tonight. Maybe. Jake pondered, pulling his thoughts away from Rainer's dangerous mission to find out who had assassinated the president. But it could also start ten years from now and just happen really fast. Uncle James went on to talk about the looming economic crisis, the increasingly frequent and devastating natural disasters, the prevalence of superbugs, outbreaks of mob behavior, which are the unclean spirits of demons, and signs in the heavens with the sun, moon, and stars. He had everyone turn to Luke 21 and asked Jake to read some of the verses which said, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes in various places, and famines, and pestilence. 
and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth distress of nations, with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Jake felt he could have recited the section. He had heard it so many times from his parents. No doubt stuff was happening that was pointing forward to Jesus' return, but in his mind that didn't mean the world would end tomorrow. He wondered if Melissa was dancing with Zach. He wondered if he had gone, who might have asked him to dance. Maybe Kristen. She's pretty. Or perhaps Brianna. It would be fun to dance with either one. And wouldn't it be sweet, he considered, if Melissa mistook me for Zach? The prom fantasy ended abruptly when Uncle James closed the class in prayer. Jake was vaguely aware that his uncle had given some sort of last passionate appeal to encourage them all to change their lives and be ready to meet their Lord Jesus Christ. But Jake had missed it entirely. They all enjoyed Aunt Sandra's delicious frozen yogurt and homemade pizza while they talked about summer plans and activities. So you and Zach will be done exams in three weeks? Alan asked. Alan was Uncle Peter's brother-in-law. Uncle Peter had married Alan's sister, Jessica. He and Derek, a longtime employee, were overseeing Uncle Peter's landscaping company, Eden Tree, while he was away with his family doing missionary work in Jamaica. It was a much scaled-down version of the landscaping company than it had been in the past. For the most part, the crew were only maintaining properties while their boss was away, rather than launching any new projects. Jake and Zach had often worked for their uncle on a part-time basis in years past, so they knew well what was expected. That's right, Jake said. Saturday afternoons are fine, and we can start full-time as soon as we've done exams. And how many weeks do you need off? Is it just the one? Or are you going to decide to join me for youth conference? Just the one, Jake nodded, catching Uncle James' glance in his direction. Regardless of which camp he went to, there was only one week he was planning to take off. The intensive Bible study workbook was too high a hurdle for Jake. He just didn't have that kind of time to study, at least not in the summer. See you around noon, Alan called out as he headed off home. And make sure you pick up Zach. Don't worry, Jake smiled. When there's money involved, Zach will be there. That smartphone keeps him in the poorhouse. Chapter 5. At Prom Working diligently on his homework until his parents had left the house, Zach quickly showered, donned his dress-up clothes, and scribbled, sleeping, on a piece of paper. Taping the paper to his bedroom door, he pulled it shut behind him with a smile, fairly certain his mum would be too kind to disturb him if she returned unexpectedly. Prom was supposed to start at 6.30, and it was quarter to eight when Zach headed outside, but he wasn't overly worried if he missed a dinner. Better late than never, he thought to himself happily. It was only a half-hour walk to the high school. When he reached the last street, he met another student, wearing a dark suit and a bright green tie, heading in the same direction. It was Jaden, one of his basketball teammates, one of the best players on the Scorpion team. They had known each other since Jaden's family had immigrated from Kenya nine years before. Jaden could jump higher than anyone. He could dunk from a standstill. Best of all, 
He was a Christian and one of the twins' good friends. Snazzy shirt, Jaden commented, his white teeth flashing brightly in his dark face. Are you going to the dance? Yeah, I thought I'd check it out, Zach replied casually. Instinctively, he smoothed the dress shirt and tucked it into his suit pants. It was rather snazzy. A dark crimson red, the shirt had a subtle shine, changed from black to red depending on the way the light hit it. You've never been before, have you? Nah, I wasn't really into dancing before I got involved with a musical. There was a look of admiration on his friend's face. Gotta say, Zach, you're a quick learner. Zach felt smug. He liked the compliment. Then a frown wrinkled Jaden's forehead. You're not going to your youth group tonight? Zach shrugged. I'm just skipping tonight, just this once. Thought you guys didn't miss youth group for anything. Is Jake coming too? Uh, Jake's at youth group, Zach replied. Changing the subject quickly, he asked, Why are you late? Jaden laughed. I'm not late, really. I just spilled gravy all over my shirt at dinner, so I ran home and changed. What's up with you? My parents needed some help, so I got away late, Zach lied. He felt bad lying to his friend. Lies just seemed to slip out before he had a chance to think twice. Walking into the school with his teammate, Zach showed his ticket at the front door. Loud music was blasting from the cafeteria, and he followed the sound. Sterling High wasn't a very large school. There were less than a thousand students enrolled. Built in the 50s, it was rather run-down and dingy, with not much more than the basic essentials for education. However, the student council had done their best to decorate, hanging blue twinkle lights all over the walls, and lime green streamers over every doorway. Looking around for Melissa, Zach instinctively smoothed back his disheveled, sandy blonde hair. He spotted Abby right away, dancing closely with Brian. What does she see in that guy? He wondered. Sure, Brian was muscular and playing triple-A hockey, but he ridiculed school and had a poor work ethic. Abby deserved much better. Zach saw Nathan and Jerry over by the refreshment stand talking to their friends, but he couldn't see Melissa. It didn't take long for the news to spread that Zach Bryant had arrived. Before he had time to even look for a dancing partner, there were two girls vying for his attention. Before he had time to dance with each one, another girl asked for a turn. It was fun. He enjoyed the attention. But the one he really wanted to dance with was Melissa. Where was she? He dared not text her, assuming she was probably with Shane. Eventually, Zach spotted Melissa and Shane at a table. They weren't even dancing. She looked up and caught his eye. With an impish grin, Zach motioned for her to join him. Smiling, she shook her head and turned away. The night wore on, and while Zach had no shortage of dancing partners, he kept his eye on Melissa, hoping he'd get a chance to talk to her alone. When he saw her get up and walk over to the refreshment stand, he made a break for it as well. Sorry, he told the blonde girl he was dancing with. He couldn't even remember her name. She had told him, but it hadn't registered. I need a drink. Okay, she giggled in a silly way. But I'll be right here if you want to dance again. Zach headed toward Melissa. He got to the table ahead of her and picked up a cup. Want some? He asked, dipping the ladle into the bowl of punch. I'd love a drink, she smiled graciously, and so would Shane. I can't believe you're not dancing, he remarked, handing her one cup and picking up another. We were, she smiled, speaking quietly. She whispered, Shane hurt his knee. He was, well, trying to do some of the moves you did in the musical, and he sort of fell. Poor guy, Zach remarked, trying to sound more sympathetic than he felt. Are you allowed to take a turn with me? Melissa hesitated and looked back toward Shane. I'd better not, she said. He's a little uptight about you. She was about to take the drinks back to her table when someone shouted, Hey, here's Vanessa Van Houston and Marco Darinette. 
What do you say, everyone? Should we ask them to dance? Melissa looked up at Zach with a scared expression, but it didn't take long for the crowd to catch on. Dance, 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 they cried out, stomping their feet and clapping their hands. Zach looked over at Shane, who was glaring at him. Such a glare only intensified his eagerness to take up the challenge. Come on, Melissa, he encouraged. It's just for fun. They all want us to. Zach, I can't, she protested. Shane will kill you. Someone had instructed the disc jockey to play I'll Be Yours. The soft strains of their song began to fill the room. Everyone stood back to give them the floor. Melissa looked over nervously at Shane. A hand clutched Zach's shoulder from behind. He turned to see Jaden. Don't be a fool, man, Jaden said in a very serious tone. You're going to get yourself in lots of trouble. The crowd called out louder. Zach turned away from his friend and looked down at Melissa. I'll take the heat, he assured her. Let's do this. Taking her hand, Zach led Melissa into the center. Someone brought over a table, and Zach helped her climb up onto it. The disc jockeys started their song again from the beginning. It had been almost a week since her last performance, but they knew their parts so well that everything flowed just as it had before. Melissa was looking at him once more with that rapturous look that filled him with hope. He locked eyes with her just as they had been told to do in the play. They were a little off time with the whirlybird catch, but they caught back up to do the third twirl perfectly. One, two, three. Zach kept track mentally as his heart pounded and sweat broke out on his forehead. He didn't try to sing along and neither did Melissa. There was something different in the performance this time. Zach wasn't pretending. This was for real. Step up, step back, spin forwards, spin back, lift, hold, twirl. One, two, three, slider down, balance, turn, face each other, spin away. They ended their dance as the music faded face to face, but Zach didn't bend forward to give her a kiss. He knew he was pushing his luck already. The crowds called out for more, and Zach would have willingly obliged, but he didn't dare. However, he whispered, I love you, before letting go of her hands. There was a great deal of applause and lots of calls for an encore, but Zach shook his head. Enough was enough. Now he had to face Shane, not that he was afraid or anything like that. He was in far better shape than Shane, even before Shane had injured his knee. But still, there was no sense adding to the already agitated situation. Walking past where Shane was sitting, he waved, gave a congenial smile, and said, Hey, no hard feelings, right? Glaring back, Shane grunted, We'll see about that. He added a few more words, which were certainly not conciliatory. Content to have had his time with Melissa, Zach wasn't worried about Shane's threatening demeanor. Sorry, we had to please the crowd, he shrugged, and then headed off as far from Shane as possible. For the rest of the evening, Zach kept his distance. He attempted to show several eager girls how to do some of the moves that he and Melissa had performed. Occasionally, he looked over at Melissa. Frequently, he caught her eye. Poor girl, he thought. She has to miss out on all this fun to stick by Shane. I hope she soon figures out that she'd rather be with me. It was after 10.30 when Zach left the high school. The moon was only a tiny sliver in the sky, and the streetlight in front of the school had burned out long ago. Most of the students had already departed to attend various parties across town. Melissa and Shane had left before ten, and Zach wondered what party they were going to. He had intended to leave earlier himself in order to get home before his parents arrived, but became entrenched in a conversation with a former rugby teammate. Crossing the road and heading for home, Zach suddenly heard a rustle and footsteps close by. Out of the shadows stepped Shane and a few of his buddies. Moving in on my girl, Shane challenged as he and his four friends drew near, very near. 
I told you I was just giving in to the pressure from the crowd, Sack replied with a nonchalant air, yet feeling apprehensive. He had figured he could take on Shane, but he hadn't counted on four other guys as well. One of them was Trent, a rugby heavyweight and close to 150 kilos. He was a great guy to have on the school team, Zack had always thought, but not someone he'd planned to oppose. You might think that you're a duo with Vanessa Van Houston, Shane smirked, but Melissa Phillipson belongs to me. Is that clear? All five guys were standing aggressively close. Trent shoved his shoulder against Zack, knocking him somewhat off balance. If that's what Melissa wants, then that's fine by me, Zack replied defiantly. Shane quickly motioned to Trent, and before Zack had a chance to put up any self-defense, Trent sucker-punched him. The hits were hard and furious and knocked Zack to the ground. Desperately, he tried to hoist himself back to his feet, but then he saw a massive boot coming toward his face. Instinctively, Zack wrapped his arms around his head. The blow felt like a sledgehammer, smashing into his upper arm and grazing harshly against his skull. He didn't get a chance to block the second kick. Chapter 6. Concussion Someone was crying. Zack tried to open his eyes. There was a pounding pain in his arm and in his head, and his face hurt too. As he slowly regained consciousness, he could feel pain all over his body. He's just lying here, and blood is gushing out of his head. Please help, someone was crying. I don't know what's happened. There's no one else around. I'm okay. Zack murmured. It hurt to talk. As he lifted his head, dizziness engulfed him. Through a haze of spinning stars, he vaguely thought he saw Abby crouched over him, talking to someone on her phone. Then he blacked out again. A voice was pleading with him. Zack, please say something, the voice cried. I've called the ambulance. They're on their way. Please tell me if you're okay. Please, Zack, please say something. No... Ambulance, Zack mumbled thickly. I'm, oh, I'm okay. Abby was pressing something close to his head. The pain worsened. Zack wondered what she was doing, but was also glad to have her there. Abby's a good kid, he thought gratefully. Even if she's going out with a loser, I'm glad she's here. Zack's right upper arm felt weak and bruised, but his other was fine. He tried to get up and assess his degree of injury. However, he only managed to move a few inches before Abby pinned him to the ground. You've got to stay still, she pleaded. I've taken first aid. The ambulance is on its way. Wanting to check things out for himself, Zack tried hard to roll over, but Abby was insistent. You were knocked out cold and you're bleeding, she begged. You need to get medical attention. They'll be here in less than five minutes. Just lie still in case there's something really wrong with you. I don't. Want to go to hospital? He groaned helplessly. His lips felt gigantic and he could only move them slowly, but he didn't want a big drama. He tried again more quickly to get up at his knees. Strong as she was, Abby couldn't hold him down. 
Zach Bryant, you have no idea how bad you look, Abby cried. There's blood all over your face and it's pulsing out of your head. You've got to wait. With a sudden wave of nausea, Zach threw up all over the sidewalk. I told you to lie still, she said, sobbing. Hey, what's going on? A familiar male voice called out anxiously. Is that Zach? Oh, Jaden, Abby wailed. Thanks for coming. Look what they did to him. In a moment, Jaden was by Zach's side. Get him away from this mess, he said. But what if he's broken something, Abby pleaded. I'm okay, Zach groaned, trying once more to get up. He ain't got no broken back, Jaden assured her. He likely just got a pummeling, right, Zach? Yeah, Zach moaned. He's probably concussed, Jaden added. With strong arms, he helped Abby move Zach to a clean spot in the grass. Get me home, Zach pleaded. Sorry, man. I don't have a car, Jaden told him. Should I call your parents? Fumbling in her purse, Abby produced more tissues and tried again to stop the bleeding on his head. I've already called the ambulance, she said shakily. He needs to get checked out. Probably should, Jaden agreed, but he asked once more if Zach wanted him to call his parents. No, Zach groaned. There was going to be an awful lot of explaining to do. He wasn't ready for that yet. He had to think up a good story. Faintly in the distance, he could hear the ambulance siren. What happened anyway? Abby asked. He got beat up. By who? Shane? Likely. Zach groaned again. It was hard to talk. It hurt. And for thugs, he mumbled. The ambulance arrived with the siren blasting and bright lights flashing into the darkness. After a thorough examination, the paramedics whisked Zach off to the hospital. There was only room for one other person to go along in the ambulance, and Abby wasn't leaving Zach's side. Take good care of him, Jaden told her before the ambulance doors swung shut. If he's going to be there all night, text me again, and I'll get there somehow. Zach remained conscious once he was on the way to the hospital. In emergency, he was rushed down the hallway to have a CAT scan. While he had a bad concussion and lots of bruising, the scan revealed there wasn't any sign of worrisome bleeding on his brain. A doctor shaved the hair around the gash and put in 20 stitches. Nurses cleaned up the blood, and by 4 o'clock in the morning, he was ready to go home. Who should I call? the nurse asked. Reluctantly, Zach repeated his home phone number. He had already given it to the triage nurse. He knew this wouldn't go over easy. His dad would be furious. Sitting with Abby in the lobby, waiting for one of his parents to arrive, Zach held an ice pack to his mouth while Abby held another one to his head. In a slightly awkward fashion, she was texting her parents with her other free hand to let them know Zach was all right and she would be on her way home. Zach sat silently watching the television screen above. He was glad Abby wasn't asking questions. Exhausted, he hoped against hope that his mom would be the one to pick him up. She was a little more understanding than his dad in such situations. He was sure she would take one look at him and feel some sympathy. However... It was his dad who showed up in the lobby. You all right, Zach? He asked tersely. Zach nodded. Thanks for staying with him, Abby, his dad said. No problem, she replied. Thanks, Zach mumbled painfully. It was hard to look in Abby's direction since she was holding the ice pack against his head. He hoped she knew he was talking to her. You're welcome, she said quietly. The nurse filled Zach's dad in on all the particulars. His vital signs were good. The scan showed there was no serious injury to his brain but she strongly recommended that he avoid all contact sports for a month, preferably two. If he had any headaches, dizziness, or nausea, he was to come back in. 
Two months? Zack thought to himself in dismay. No way. I can't miss basketball camp. Exercise? He mumbled. Moderate strength training is fine, as long as you take it really easy, she cautioned. But no heavy lifting, and absolutely nothing strenuous for at least a week. And stop immediately if you feel any symptoms return. There's a basketball camp he hopes to go to in a month, Zack's dad told the nurse. Should he avoid that? Definitely, she replied. If he were to have another major blow to the head, it could be serious. She looked directly at Zack. You have to avoid all contact sports this summer. If you're feeling better in September, then you can give it a try, but you have to be very wary of any dizziness, nausea, or lack of coordination. This is serious, Zack. Concussions can have long-term consequences. They can even be fatal. Zack's dad nodded in agreement, but Zack was distressed. Missing camp would be a tragedy. There's no way, he told himself. I'll be better by then. The nurse asked several questions about what had caused a concussion. Zack was in too much pain to reply, and he didn't really want to relay any information. He didn't want things to escalate. Uh, a fight, was all he said. Leaning on Abby and his dad, Zack managed to walk out to the van. He had never felt so lousy in his life. Let's get you comfortable, his dad said, opening the sliding door and reclining the midsection bucket seat. It was a relief for Zack to lie back against the chair. It took a while for his dad to get the sliding door closed. Since the inside latch was old and sticky, the door often took a few tries before closing securely. The noisy slams made Zack's headache worsen. When they were all finally settled in the van, Zack's dad turned to him and asked, Okay, so where were you and what happened? Really? thought Zack. That's the extent of his sympathy? Let's get you comfortable. And then whammo? He hits me with interrogation? Still feeling disorientated, Zack hadn't had time to think through his explanation. He knew he had to be very careful what he said. With his father being a teacher at Sterling High, not much got past him. He pointed to his swollen mouth. Abby was looking back at him to hear his response. He caught her eye, hoping she wouldn't give the story away. She seemed to understand. Hard to talk, he mumbled. Zack's dad sighed. All right, he said. Let's get you both home. When they reached Abby's house just a few blocks away from theirs, Zack caught her eye again as she was getting out. He spoke sincerely, if rather slurred. Thanks. Abby smiled and patted his arm. See you Sunday. I hope you're feeling better by then. Then she remembered something. Uh, actually, I guess I won't. We'll be at the cottage. Hey, remind your parents that the Alderson family lives up that way. Zack's dad told her. They'd love to have a memorial meeting with you. I'll tell them, Abby replied. But you know my mom and dad. When they're on vacation, they just want to hang out as a family. We probably won't go anywhere. With a sigh, Zack's dad nodded. He didn't respond. Zack knew what he was thinking. He had heard it expressed often enough. Where's everyone's priorities? His father often said with disappointment. Everyone's always going on vacation, absolutely loyal to their sports teams, having fun here or there. But what about preaching? What about our commitment to God? What about Bible study and encouraging each other to believe? Especially when we know the return of Jesus Christ is so near. Andrew, Zach's dad, would always be a profoundly busy man. His dedication to the work of the Lord was absolute, and the ecclesial family benefited greatly. He was a man of high moral standards and ideals who walked the talk. Yet sometimes his natural family felt neglected, and there were those in the ecclesia who felt he was too judgmental. 
Sometimes Zach didn't feel he rated very highly on his father's priority list or measured up to his expectations for a young man of 17. He wanted his father's approval, but he often told himself that he didn't care. It was too hard to get, or so it seemed. Chapter 7, Consequences In the morning, Zach's mouth was even more swollen and painful. His parents had faithfully checked on him every other hour to make sure he wasn't sliding into a coma. Picking up the phone, he texted Melissa before he got out of bed. Hey, doing anything? He hoped maybe she'd drop by and see him. She lived only a short walk away. Putting his phone in his pocket, Zach slowly made his way downstairs with one hand on the railing. He felt rather unsteady. Jake had left early to work for Brett. Zach had texted his uncle to say that he couldn't help with the gardens and then fallen back to sleep. He was feeling a lot of pain. Hi, Mom, he managed to say, glancing over in her direction. His mom didn't hear him at first. She was listening to the morning news and intently following the report. Due to continued instability, civil war, and economic collapse, the reporter was saying, Iran and Syria have formed a new alliance with Russia. Negotiations are also being held with Turkey and Iraq. Will they also become part of this northern confederacy? Time will tell, but the balance of power in the Middle East is dramatically tipping towards the Russians. Zach groaned, and his mum turned from the eggs she was frying compassionately. Oh, honey, you look so sore. You probably can't even eat these eggs. With plenty of sympathy, his mum made him a fruit milkshake and gave him an ice pack to put on his face. Zack sat down at the kitchen table. His dad brought over a pad of paper and a pen and sat it down in front of him. Looks to me like your hands are fine, his dad remarked with a wry smile. So I'm sure you'll have no trouble writing out an explanation of what happened last night. I want to know why you left a sleeping sign on your door when you were not even in the house, and just where exactly you were. Plus, maybe you could add a line or two about why you suspect you received that beating. Or if this is a case of some random thugs on the loose that we should tell the police about. Andrew, his mom interrupted gently, bringing over the milkshake. He's not feeling well. Don't worry, I'm not asking him to talk, Zach's dad replied. The sarcastic tone in his voice only exasperated the growing rift between father and son. Andrew was frustrated with his son's defiant, dishonest attitude, while Zach was resentful of his father's negativity, which he perceived as a lack of love. The smartphone vibrated, and Zach took it out of his pocket, laying it down in front of him. He could see that the message was from Melissa. He took the pen and paper grudgingly. He didn't have a good story, but he wrote, I was so tired of sitting still and doing homework that I had gone for a walk. I didn't want you to worry about me, so I put the sleeping sign on my door. I got beat up by a guy that I know from school. Don't worry about it. He's just jealous. We don't need to call the police. As he read Zack's story, his father frowned. Zack could tell he wasn't convinced. Zack took a moment to review the incoming message on his phone. It said, Zack, I'm so sorry about last night. I hope you're okay. Shane needs some time to cool down. Please understand. <laughs> Whatever. Zack thought to himself with disgust. Shane is an idiot. Why can't she see that? What's he jealous of? prompted his dad suspiciously. Taking back the notebook, Zack hastily scribbled, That I was in the musical and he wasn't. 
Hmm. His dad pondered. You do realize, Zach, that on Monday, when we both go back to school, there may be rumors getting around about this incident, and I will have to determine which stories are true and which are not. Zach didn't look up. Passing the notebook back to him, his father added firmly, Also, being a teacher at your school, I am fully aware that most of the grade 12 students were at prom last night. That might explain why you were wearing your best dress shirt on your little walk around town. With chagrin, Zach realized his dad was right. Rumors would be all over the school by Monday. Everyone would know that Zach Bryant had attended prom and done his waltz with Melissa. It was even possible that when he showed up with bruises all over his face, Shane might not be able to resist bragging about his part in the whole incident. Ripping off the first piece of paper and crumpling it up, Zach laid out the truth. It took at least five minutes to write out the whole story. When his dad had finished reading, he looked at Zach soberly. This is what I suspected, he said with deep disappointment in his eyes. Tell me, was it worth it? With a shrug, Zach wasn't sure how to answer. The dance had been fun. Being swarmed by girls was flattering. The chanting crowd in the waltz with Melissa had been an adrenaline rush. Sure, it wasn't all that pleasant to get beat up. And he certainly didn't want to miss out on the basketball camp. But in all honesty, he felt it had been worth it. He would certainly choose to do it again. He would just be better prepared for the outcome. The disappointment in his father's eyes restrained his cockiness. With another shrug, he looked down at the floor and muttered, I don't know. Well, Zach, his dad said resignedly, you've been dishonest with us, so there will have to be consequences. I've thought it through and decided you're going to have to miss the basketball party. Zach wrote furiously on his pad of paper. But Brett is counting on Jake and me being there. He's put so much into this. He wants to play a game, and five players have already backed out on him. We can't play a proper game if I'm not there. How many backed out on Uncle James last night after all the work he did on that talk? That's different, Zach wrote. Uncle James didn't need me to be there to do his talk. He was very disappointed that you weren't there, his dad replied meaningfully. And what about Aunt Sandra? She always makes so much food for you guys. Don't you appreciate her efforts? Zack shrugged angrily. He didn't want to think about any disappointment he might have caused. Picking up his pen, he wrote, Dad, please think of some other consequences. I don't want to let Brett down. He's put so much of his own time and effort into helping us to be the best team around. Looking over her husband's shoulder, Zach's mom read the responses he was giving. Didn't the nurse say that you weren't to play sports this summer anyway, she asked. She said at least a month. The party's at the end of June, Zach wrote furiously. That's four weeks away. I'll be better by then. I heal fast. I'll be careful. His dad picked up Zach's phone and thought through the matter carefully. All right, then, he said. I'll give you two choices. No party at Brett's or the loss of phone privileges for the rest of the summer. Not my phone, Zack thought desperately. His two-year contract cost a lot every month, and how would he ever keep in touch with Melissa? Which one? I'm not five, he mumbled angrily as best as he could. It hurt so much to move his lips. I'm paying for that phone. You can't take it away. What's your decision, Zack? Zack was angry. He couldn't miss the basketball party. It was the last chance the Scorpions would have to hang out together before summer holiday plans led them in different directions. He and Jake were the team captains. They had to be there. He would have to find another way to talk to Melissa. 
Slamming the table with his good arm jarred his head painfully. Feeling even angrier, he tried his best to stomp off to his room, but nearly lost his balance as he clomped up the stairs. He's still in rough shape, Andrew, Zach heard his mom say sympathetically. Pride comes before a fall, was his dad's uncompassionate response. He didn't sound sympathetic in any way. The response made Zach even angrier, but he was in too much pain to do anything except crawl back into bed. Chapter 8. As Time Goes By Rumors were flying around on Monday when Jake and Zach went to school. The swelling had gone down a little. Zach could move his lips again, and he didn't feel dizzy, but his face was black and blue. His mom had given him a super short brush cut to blend in with the shave patch, and he had a large bandage under his hat. As much as Zach treasured his old messy look, as Esther called it, and hardly recognized himself in the mirror, the messy look just did not look cool with a large section missing. Everyone at school wanted to know what had happened, and Zach got tired of repeating in words and texts. I got beat up by some crazy thugs. It wasn't long before people were guessing who the thugs might be, and then the whole story got out of hand. Zach had to explain that no, there weren't any guns, and no, the police hadn't been called in, and no, no one had been arrested. Shane and his buddies avoided Zach completely. Even Melissa hardly said a word to him all day. It seemed she was trying to avoid him as well, and Zach couldn't text her to ask why. However, on the way home from school, as he passed Jaden's house, it occurred to him that his friend would likely lend him his phone for a minute. Jaden and his younger brother were practicing free throws in their driveway. Often Zach would stop and shoot a few with them. Jaden's brother Isaiah was in grade 9 this year and had a great shot, but he would never make the basketball team. For as long as Zach could remember, Isaiah had been confined to a wheelchair due to a rare disease that had crippled his legs. Always smiling and cheerful, Isaiah had become the Scorpion's mascot, cheering loudly from the sidelines and waving banners he made himself. Sometimes he did a halftime show. It was amazing to watch Isaiah shoot three-pointers and retrieve the ball so quickly in his wheelchair. He was definitely a crowd-pleaser. Hi there, Isaiah. Zach called out. What's your percentage today? Jaden and Isaiah always had a running average on how many shots they could make in a 15-minute span. Only 85% today. Isaiah smiled. I went to a youth retreat for the weekend. I'm out of practice. A youth retreat? Zach did his best to smile, but it still hurt to stretch his lips. Good for you, Isaiah. Zach had known for years that his friends were Christian. Often he had considered asking questions about what they believed to try and get a discussion going, but most of the time they were all too busy having fun. Serious discussions seemed out of place. You look rough, man, Jaden said solemnly, shaking his head. Although I gotta say, I like the brush cut. Gently clapping his friend on the shoulder, Jaden added, I sure wish I'd stayed with you Friday night. I had a feeling you were in big trouble. Thanks, Zack nodded. If you had been with me, they wouldn't have dared to take us on. Flexing his muscles in a show of bravado, Jaden laughed. Yeah, you and me. A formidable force. Isaiah threw Zack the ball. Let's see what your score is today, he encouraged. With other matters on his mind and a painfully bruised right arm, Zack couldn't get above 30%. He quit after 10 shots. You've only got a few months to get back into top form, Jaden teased. I need to talk to Melissa, Zack confessed, throwing the ball back to Isaiah. I lost my phone privileges. 
Any chance I could borrow yours for a sec? Sure thing. Anytime. Jaden replied, taking it out of his back pocket and handing it over. That's rough, man. He added sympathetically. I couldn't live without my phone. Hitting the keys as quickly as he could, Zach texted the familiar number he often contacted more than 50 times a day. Hey, Melissa, this is Zach. My dad took away my phone, so I'm using Jaden's. You hardly spoke to me today. What's up? Melissa texted in reply. I'm so sorry. No more dancing. How about no more Shane? I'm too scared to break up with him, and I'm staying away from you so that you don't get hurt. So that's it, Zach mused. She's just scared. Well, school is over in a couple of weeks. Shane's working up at the Kejimakujik National Park for the summer, and then he's heading off to university. The park is hours away. He won't be coming home very often. Maybe she'll get kind of lonely. Gotta go, he texted in reply. But we have to find some way to meet up. I miss you. I don't want you to get hurt, but I miss you too. Saying goodbye to his friend, Zach made his way home. For the next few weeks, he and Jake had all they could do to keep up with the daily routine. June was always a busy month with end-of-semester projects, final exams, and fast-growing lawns. There was plenty going on at their hall, too, with the usual youth groups, Bible classes, and Sunday school picnic. Zach was now expected to be at everything. In the last semester, Zach's marks had slipped due to his involvement in the musical. He knew he'd be lucky to get honors this year, but there was one subject in which he hoped to do really well. Last year, Abby had claimed the math award, beating him by only 2%. He and Abby had been competing all semester. The fact that she had skipped so many classes this year to be with Brian was definitely in his favor. But weeks of neglected homework didn't help his cause. Zach was surprised, though, that in losing his phone, his study sessions at home became so much more productive. Jake was just as intent on doing well, but he was aiming for a science award. Zach had almost failed chemistry in first semester, but Jake was at the top of his class. Calculus gave Jake grief, but not chemistry. Both twins hoped to get into engineering, and high math and science mark would certainly help when applying to universities in December. Jake's top choice only accepted 200 students out of over 1,000 applicants. However, even with all the intense study, mountains of homework, and calls from Alan and Brett, Jake still managed to finish off the thriller he'd been reading. He tried to talk Zach into starting it. It's so cool, he told his brother. You'll like Rainer, but be prepared to get really creeped out, especially when he gets tortured by the secret police. That's so scary. You'll love it. Tortured? Zach echoed. I won't spoil it for you, Jake smiled. But you'd better keep it hidden. Mom would probably say it's unwholesome. Zach tucked the book away in a drawer. It sounded like a great summer read. Finally, exams were over. The weeks had flown by. Summer holidays had begun. Most ecclesial activities came to a halt. In the last few years, the Sterling Ecclesia had decided that since so many were away at Bible camps or on vacation, all Bible classes and youth group activities would take a hiatus. Only Sunday morning meetings remained on the schedule for July and August. As the twins walked home from their last exam, they were both relieved that school and a jam-packed scheduled life was over until September. Did you beat Abby? Jake asked. The math marks had been posted on the wall. No. Zach sighed. She beat me by 1%. And Sarah beat us both. I should have kept up with my homework. It would have been nice to win that math award. It's a $200 prize. But the musical did me in. Too bad. Jake replied sympathetically. And what did the guidance counselor have to say? Zach had met with the guidance counselor during lunch break. She says my average is high enough to get into most colleges and universities, 
but if I want to do electrical engineering, I'll have to upgrade some of my marks. With a shrug, Zack added. But that's okay. I was planning to come back anyway. It will give me something to aim for. What about you? I did okay, Jake replied modestly. As far as he knew, he had the top marks. There was a good chance he would win the science award, and that was a $500 scholarship. But I'll probably need to retake calculus if I want to get into nanotechnology. Zack nodded. September was far away. With school out for the summer, all that mattered to Zack now was basketball, the exercise routine, and Melissa, of course. So are you going to try jogging today? Zack asked his brother. Jake's weak ankles seemed much better. Yeah, I think I will. He ran a few steps forward to try it out. It feels fine, he announced. Zack was pleased that the exercise routine was getting back on track for both of them. For the last week, he had resumed all his former activities without any significant pain or dizziness. He was not pleased, however, that aside from brief glances in his direction, Melissa was still ignoring him. In frustration, Zack paid no attention to her either. He told himself there had to be something wrong with a girl who would find Shane appealing. Hey, Zack, Jake said abruptly. I have an idea that might be good for both of us. Dad has your phone and no one is using it, but it's still her contract that you have to pay for. Why don't I ask Dad if I can have it for the summer and I'll pay the monthly fee? Then if you get any important texts, I can pass them on to you. Fabulous idea, Zack exclaimed. If Jake has the phone, he surmised quickly, I'll be able to message Melissa when we're at work, or at night, if it's in our room. Do you really think Dad will go for it? It's worth a try. To the twins' surprise, their father agreed to the plan. But there was a hitch. They both had to promise that Zack wouldn't touch the phone, and Jake had to show his father the records each month of where all the texts were going. It's still better than nothing, Zack thought. Jake can read the text to me, and I'll tell him what to say in response. The promise was made, and Jake took over the payments. The first text that came in was from Brett, reminding them about the basketball party Saturday afternoon. Excited and happy to be on summer vacation, nine warm, sun-filled weeks stretched out gloriously ahead of them, or so they thought. In reality, there were only seven. Had anyone known what little time was left, it would have changed everything. Chapter 9. Brett's Party Zack and Jake woke up early Saturday morning. They drove out to do their landscaping work for Brett and Uncle James and were back by 11. Quickly showering and grabbing a sandwich for lunch, they were tying up their shoes when their mom walked into the kitchen. Amazing! It's the weekend and you two are done work before lunch! she exclaimed. You must be really looking forward to this party. Brett and Jenna know how to throw a party, Jake smiled. Glancing down at Zack's running shoes, she remarked anxiously, I hope you're planning to stay on the sidelines today, Zack. You can cheer everyone on, but it would be rather risky to get another hit. Mom, I'm completely recovered, Zack told her firmly. It's been over four weeks. Jake and I did a full workout yesterday, and I didn't feel any dizziness at all. I'll be fine. With a sigh, their mom reached into the fridge for the orange juice. Zack, have you googled concussions? Do you realize how serious this is? You shouldn't be going to that basketball camp with Brett, either. Mom, you do realize that Brett paid over a thousand dollars for both of us to go? Zack reminded her. He didn't ask you or Dad for a cent. If we don't go, he'll have wasted all that money. 
Your dad appeared in the doorway. It would have been better if Brett had asked our permission before registering either of you for that camp, and I find it really hard to understand why you would want to go to a basketball camp over Manitoulin. But this is our last chance to make it to the provincials, Jake explained. If we'd done a little more training last year, well, we could have gone all the way then. And the Blackhawks are coming to this camp, Zach chimed in. In fact, half their team is getting this training. Brett's counting on Jake and me to do this for the Scorpions. I know, his dad reminded him gently, I know there are five of you returning for a Super 12 year in September, and you have a really good chance to win it all. But Bible camp happens only once a year. This is something special that we've always done. Manitoulin is where your friends are. Your friends too, Zach reminded him, feeling he could get some mileage out of his father's summer plans. You and Mum are staying home so you can do your teacher's course. If I had a choice in the matter, I'd be going to Bible camp. His dad said abruptly. You know that, Zach. Well, we don't really have a choice either, quipped Zach. Our coach has paid for us and told us that we'd better be there. A knock on the door ended the conversation. Brett was standing on the porch, poised, confident, and cheerful as always. Reflective blue sunglasses were perched on his blonde wavy hair. His new emerald green Mustang was parked in the driveway. Good to see you, Andrew. Brett called out, giving the twins' dad a hearty hug. He greeted Lisa in the same way. Wow, your lawn looks fantastic. Brett commented, glancing around the grounds. Someone knows what they're doing. That's Jake's good work. Andrew said proudly. He mows the lawns and Zach looks after the gardens. I've got it pretty good. You've done a great job with your kids. Brett nodded. Thanks for letting me borrow them for the day. They deserve a party. Thanks for all your coaching work, Lisa said sincerely. Please watch Zach carefully, though. He's not supposed to be playing any sports this summer. He really should be just cheering today. I'll take it easy on him, Brett agreed. Zach shot his mum a dirty look. I'm fine, he insisted. There's no way I'm not playing sports all summer. Jake took the back seat and let his brother have the front. Riding in the new Mustang was exciting enough, front or back. I like the short hair. Brett said to Zach as he backed out of the driveway. I can see your face again. I don't. Zach moaned. I look like a geek. Brett laughed. In all seriousness, Zach, now you look like a clean-cut guy that I would trust to cut my lawns even when I'm not home. Thanks. Zach replied sarcastically. Hey, what about me? Jake chipped in. You wouldn't trust me? Hmm, you still have that shady appearance. Brett smiled. I'd be checking your references. Come on. Jake scoffed, but he decided maybe it was time to ask his mom for a haircut. I get the feeling that your parents aren't too enthusiastic about this party. Brett remarked as he set off down the street. They don't want us to go to the basketball camp either. Zach complained as Brett headed toward the highway. Why's that? It's the same week as the Manitoulin Bible camp. Jake explained. Mom and Dad aren't going this year, but Uncle James has offered us a ride. And how do you guys feel about that? We'll really miss Manitoulin, Jake answered truthfully. But the basketball camp sounds amazing. We've got to make it to the provincials next season, and that will take all the training we can get. Besides, you've spent a lot of money, and we appreciate what you've done for us. That's my boys, Brett grinned, screeching his tires as they hugged the curve of the on-ramp. After merging into traffic, he added, But look, guys, I don't want to pressure you into anything. Zach, he said, looking over at him, If you aren't feeling up to it, don't worry about the money I've spent. I'd rather you were able to play in November, fully recovered, than get injured again and miss the whole season. 
Jake and I were training yesterday, and I felt totally fine. Zach replied. Mom just gets all worked up about stuff like that. Doctors have to be overcautious so they don't get sued, and my mom believes every word they say. Our parents get way too worried about everything. They gave me such a hard time about that school play. And you gave such a fantastic performance. Brett exclaimed. Thanks, Zach said. I wish they could have appreciated it was something I really wanted to do, instead of just counting how many Sundays I missed. Your parents certainly are on the more conservative side. Brett agreed with a chuckle as he sped smoothly along the highway. They're great people and all, but I know I would have found it hard growing up with so many restrictions. Tell me about it. Zach nodded, rolling his eyes. No school dances, no school parties, no Sunday sports. It goes on and on. Everything is a big no. Sometimes it's even a big deal just to watch a PG movie at our house. Come on, Zach. Jake reasoned, feeling, as he often did lately, the need to balance his brother's one-sided remarks. We don't have it that bad. Dad's always paid for us to do sports. He's even coached us in soccer. If we want to go to a young people's gathering or a Bible camp or meet up with our friends in the truth, Mom and Dad have always done all they can to help us out. Sure, anything they want us to do, it's a yes. Zach growled. Parents make rules to keep you from danger. Brett added, feeling obliged to support Jake. Like your dad always says, following Christ isn't the path of least resistance, but it is the path of least regrets. The twins looked at each other. Zach shook his head and sighed. He had heard that quote often enough. They were nearing Brett's house and Zach could see the cul-de-sac where the basketball net was set up. The other guys were already there. Jaden was shooting baskets while Corey and Tyson were trying to guard him. Isaiah was well-positioned in his wheelchair behind the net, ready to catch stray balls and throw them back into play. Well, you guys know that I'm always here for you, Brett told them. I think you both have a lot of talent, and if I can help you reach your dreams, you know I'll do what I can. They both thanked him gratefully as they got out of the car. Brett's such a great guy, Zach thought. If only it could have been my father. He's always so understanding and encouraging. He doesn't jump to negative conclusions. He isn't quick to judge or nag me about how I need to change my life. Both Jake and Zach felt Brett was a friend who cared first and foremost for them, just the way they were. Have some fun, guys, Brett called out as the twins ran to join their friends. I'll bring out some drinks, and then maybe we can have a three-on-three game. But Zach, he cautioned, take it easy. I trust your judgment on how far to push yourselves, but don't feel you're under any pressure to play. We can find a way around the uneven numbers if necessary. Zack nodded. He felt fine. He couldn't wait to get back into the game. Isaiah threw him the ball and Zack dribbled it in. It was an easy layup and Jaden took the rebound. By the time Brett and his wife Jenna brought out the drink, sweat was already soaking through everyone's shirts. The iced tea break was very refreshing. Zack chatted to Jenna about his plans for the summer while he guzzled a tall glass of the cold, sweet mixture. Jenna was a lot friendlier than Brett's first wife, who had been quiet and shy. Of course, Zack knew that it hadn't been right for Brett to divorce Natalie and marry Jenna. After many intense discussions on the issue, he was well familiar with the Bible references involved. He knew that Jesus clearly states in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4, He who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. 
Zach also knew his father felt Brett had not been adequately instructed prior to his baptism in regards to the lifestyle changes Jesus encourages believers to make. Brett's sudden divorce and remarriage four years prior caught everyone off guard and created a big upset in the Sterling Christelphian Ecclesia that Zach attended. Many believe that because of Brett's actions, the Ecclesia should follow the scriptural directive given by the Apostle Paul. However, Brett's sincere and heartfelt apology led others to believe the directives were unnecessary as Brett was already repentant. After months of debate on the matter, the Ecclesia decided to maintain the bond of fellowship they had with Brett. Controversies can be very stimulating and provide great impetus to dig deep into the Word of God if they are handled in a loving spirit of meekness, esteeming others above ourselves. Sometimes, in order to hold fast to truth, great effort needs to be made to combat error. Jesus warns that offenses must come to test our discipleship. Unfortunately, however, in the Sterling Ecclesia, while everyone had learned a great deal about the issue, the overheated debates had disillusioned many of the young and the newly baptized. Even now, Zach privately wondered which had been worse, Brett's foolish behavior or the hostile overreactions. Apathy and weariness still weighed heavily on everyone as positive outreach activities struggled to resurface. Unhappy with the negativity and the final decision, some of the more active members had moved to Ontario, taking their families with them, including many of the twins' friends. Sadly, Jenna was now not interested in coming out to anything at the hall or even talking about the Bible. Since his remarriage, Brett hadn't been the most regular attendee either, but Zach felt his coach came as often as he could. Turning up the music so they would all have a heavy beat to pump them up and get them moving faster, Brett joined the boys and they chose teams. Then they all went at it, as seriously as if it was a game that counted for the provincials. Zach felt exhilarated to be back in action, passing the ball to Jaden, going up against Jake for layups, dribbling back to the three-point line in the road, or guarding Corey. He didn't feel as out of shape as he thought he would. His right arm was back in good form, rarely missing a shot. He felt he had energy to spare. He could play basketball forever. For well over an hour, the games went on. Isaiah cheered from the sidelines and was always there to catch the out-of-bounds shots and passes. Zach's team won the first game. Jake's team took the next two. Then Zach's team won. It came down to a tiebreaker and the intensity increased. Corey passed to Jake, but Zach intercepted and stole the ball. He dribbled over the line and came back furiously. He intended to pass to Jaden, but Jake stepped in the way. So Zach changed plans and decided to go in for a layup. Just as he leaped forward to shoot, Tyson jumped to block his shot, and Zach rammed full force into his extended elbow. He took the hit directly to his head, and everything went black. The others watched in horror as Zach crumbled to the ground, unconscious. For five long seconds, everyone stood in shock, looking down on their teammate. Call 911! Jaden yelled. This is serious! Give him a minute, Brett replied, bending down to check Zach's eyes. Hey, Zach! He said, gently pushing his eyelids up. Can you hear me? Can you see me? Voices were calling out to Zach, begging him to open his eyes. He could hear Isaiah above the others. Someone was actually prying his eyes open. Light was spilling in. Grudgingly, Zach complied and came to. His head was reeling. Brett was crouched over him. Zach, are you okay? He begged. I can't believe we let this happen. I shouldn't have let you play. Directing everyone else to move back, Brett examined Zach carefully. His father had been a paramedic, so he knew the questions to ask and felt confident he could judge the severity of the situation. Zach could still see clearly, and he remembered getting hit. Only his head hurt. 
So Brett and Jake helped him up. Jenna ran to get her lawn chair, and soon Zach was settled in a comfortable, partly reclined position out of the sun and right next to the barbecue. Isaiah wheeled over to sit next to him. You okay? He kept asking, his dark face lined with worry. I'll be fine. Do you mind getting some ice? Brett asked Jake. You'll find it in the freezer. Jake took off to get ice while everyone else decided to take a break and have another drink of the cold iced tea. Jaden brought Zach a drink. Brett and Jenna started the barbecue for lunch. As the sausages sizzled and the guys took the water hose to one another in a massive water fight, Jake walked down the long hallway trying to find the kitchen. At last, he came to it. He found the ice in the freezer like Brett had said. Grabbing a small hand towel nearby, he wrapped it around the ice cubes. Somewhat curious, Jake took his time heading back out. The doors to every room were open, so he had a quick peek in each one. Brett had a gigantic computer screen in his study. A leather love seat sat facing it with many comfortable cushions. A high-fidelity sound system was well-positioned on the wall, and the bookshelf was full of DVDs. Wow, this is awesome, Jake thought enviously. He took a step inside. On the desk lay the movie Hellrider. A guy on a bright red motorcycle was doing a somersault over a large transport truck. Behind him were two cop cars closing in fast. It looked fascinating. Maybe he'd let us borrow it, Jake thought. He was about to check the ratings on the back to see if his dad would approve when he heard the back door open. Putting the DVD down quickly, Jake stepped back into the hallway. He heard Brett yell, Hey, Jake, did you find that ice? Coming, Jake called out, walking faster. Once Zach had the ice on his head, Jake joined in the water fight. Brett gave Isaiah the tongs and asked him to look after the sausages. Folding his arms together, he turned his attention to Zach. You realize this means I can't have you come to the camp this summer. Brett said firmly. Why don't I send another player in your place? I'll be better by then, Zach pleaded. It's a full week away, and I didn't throw up this time. That's true, Brett agreed. But we can't risk it, Zach. You've got to let yourself heal, or this could end up being a serious risk to your health, short-term and long-term. I'd rather have you in top form when the season starts. Take the week and go to Bible camp, but remember you can't play sports there either. You can still cheer for everyone, Isaiah reminded him with a smile. With an appreciative glance in the younger boy's direction, Zach nodded. He sighed heavily. Zach knew that Brett had a lot to lose by encouraging him to go to Bible camp. He knew his coach would never talk him out of going to a basketball camp he had personally paid for, unless he truly believed Zach's health was at risk. Inside, he was crying. On the outside, he tried to keep his composure. I'm going to miss out on so much, thought was despair. I've never had the chance to have professional coaches before. What secrets will they tell the guys that I may never hear? Will Jake remember everything so he can share it with me? Dad and Uncle James will be happy, he mumbled. Yes, Brett agreed. I'm sure they will. Chapter 10. Choices. Jake was both angry and envious that Zach was unable to go with him to the basketball camp. Now that Zach couldn't go, Jake told himself that he had no choice. They couldn't both let Brett down. Brett was going to send Jaden in Zach's place and was willing to find another player to take Jake's spot if necessary. But subconsciously, Jake was guarding his own position carefully. 
He knew that as a captain, he was expected to learn the skills and come back with all the secret moves and strategy to teach the others. The Blackhawks captain was going. If another teammate went to the camp instead of him or Zack, they might feel they should be the captain next season. Jake was truly looking forward to the basketball camp, but he did have deep regrets about missing the trip to Manitoulin. The night before Zack and Esther were to leave, Jake lay awake in bed, listening to Zack's quiet, peaceful breathing and thinking about his old friends in Ontario. They never kept in touch with each other, but usually once they were back together at Bible camp, it didn't take long to reconnect. Who would Brennan pick for three-on-three volleyball? Would he be disappointed if only Zack showed up this summer? But he never emails or calls, Jake thought. And last year was kind of strained. They've all moved on to a new level that Zack and I can't seem to reach. They have a great youth group where they live. Everyone is enthusiastic about Bible study and being involved. Does Brennan even care about me? He has so many other good friends. And then there was Hannah. I wonder how much she's grown up, he thought. Fourteen is still kind of young, but will she have a crush on me again? Will I care? What if she decides she likes someone else? Then a new thought occurred to him. Hannah and I were to become good friends. Maybe she would keep in touch. Maybe she would help me stay strong spiritually. I really need a friend like that. Aside from Alan, every one of my friends at youth group is only pulling me down. Even with all the rocks in the lake and the nuisance of leeches, Jake loved the Bible camp surroundings. He had spent two weeks of every summer there since he was ten. Plus, he knew he was very low in a spiritual way. The Bible camp talks always helped him to have a different perspective. He knew he needed it, desperately. Maybe I can listen to the talks on CD, he thought to himself. I can even download them after Bible camp is over. I could even listen to them on Zach's phone while I'm cutting grass. Brett offered me an amazing opportunity that I may never get again. I don't want to let him down. If I listen to the talks, I can get the best of both camps, and I'll make sure I go to Manitoulin next summer. Content that he was making the best decision, Jake switched on his reading light and pulled out a new book from under the mattress. Abby had lent it to him. She said it was the best book she had ever read, but warned him that his parents wouldn't like it. On the front cover was a bullet-riddled helicopter that was about to crash on a tropical island. Just reading the blurb on the back gave him a sensual, creepy thrill. Wow, he thought. How will these three Americans survive among the savages? How will the two soldiers protect the beautiful nurse they've been transporting? Will their wounded comrade on the mainland die? Will they ever be rescued? Or will they have to rescue themselves? He could hardly wait to get started. Zack had fallen asleep long before Jake, but in the early hours just before dawn, he woke anxiously from a terrifying nightmare. Shane was trying to kill him! There weren't just four thugs ready to beat him up. The whole rugby team had turned against him. Fists were flying, boots were kicking him in the face and the ribs against his legs. He was crying out for them to stop, but no one would listen. Waking up with a start, breathing heavily and covered with sweat, Zack was certain he was about to die. It was such a relief to realize he was alone with his brother in his room. Hearing Jake roll over with a heavy sigh was a most reassuring sound. Lying back against his pillow, Zack relived the dream and the actual pummeling he had received. Surprisingly, tears flowed from his eyes as he recalled Trent's boot coming hard toward his face. What if that concussion had killed me? He wondered anxiously. What if I have another blow to my head and it finishes me off? What then? The questions made him uncomfortable and strangely emotional. I have no hope of living forever, he mused. 
I haven't obeyed Christ's command to repent and be baptized. Rolling over, Zach hit his hand against the bookcase that was his headboard. It wasn't a hard hit, but it knocked a large book onto his pillow. Having a bookcase for a headboard was a fantastic idea when he wanted to read at night, but it wasn't great when he was thrashing around in his sleep. Reaching over wearily, he picked up the book to shove it back on the shelf. It was his old picture Bible, tattered, worn, and falling apart. When he was eight, it had been his favorite book. He had read it every night. With a sigh, Zach shoved it back onto his shelf. It took Zach a long time to get back to sleep. It was hard to keep the nightmare from returning. If I were to die now, there's, there's nothing more. His anxious thoughts kept repeating. I know what God has offered. I know Jesus gave his life so that we can have forgiveness. I know he wants me to commit my life to him in baptism. I will probably do it someday, maybe even next year, he assured himself. But, but I'm just not ready to make any big changes yet. I don't have my life in order, and, and I just don't feel anything in my heart, he sighed. I'd be a hypocrite to pretend otherwise. One day, maybe... Tossing and turning, Zach imagined what it might be like to stand before Jesus at the judgment seat. Why didn't you accept my call to salvation? He could hear Jesus asking him. I gave you every opportunity. In a world full of darkness, you were one of the few who saw the light. Why did you choose a few short years of pleasure over eternity with me? Zach groaned, tormented. He tried to divert his thoughts by replaying his dance with Melissa, but in those lonely, silent hours... He couldn't dismiss his conscience so easily. Maybe Bible camp will do me some good, he acknowledged. Even if I can't play sports and I don't have any fun, perhaps it's where I need to be. It might make a difference. It was a whirl of activity the next morning when everyone was getting ready to leave. Since there were going to be only four of them traveling to Manitoulin, Uncle James had decided he wanted to take his own vehicle. However, when they tried to pack Zack and Esther's things into the Honda Pilot, it soon became apparent that they weren't going to fit. Even with only four people, there was still a lot of stuff to take. Suitcases, sleeping bags, tents, tarps, coolers, a fold-up barbecue, as well as Aunt Sandra's bins of craft materials. Reluctantly, Uncle James began moving things over to his brother's old Astro van. Jake was trying to pack as well for his basketball camp. In the midst of all the activity, just as Jake was zipping up his loaded sports bag, Zach's smartphone rang. Jake picked it up. It was Brett. Hey, Jake. Brett said. Look, I've heard that you might rather go to Bible camp. Now, I don't want you to feel... Jake interrupted. No, that's not true. I want to go to the basketball camp. Look, Jake. Brett said patiently. I don't want you to feel bad about the money I've spent. Sure, I'd rather you get this training, but I understand how important the Bible camp is as well. The money is not a problem. There's another kid on the team that I'm sure I can talk into taking your place. I don't want you to worry about offending me. You make your choice based on what you think is best, and I'll support you. For a moment or two, Jake was speechless. Everything that he'd carefully considered during the night flashed before his mind. Brett has given me one more opportunity to choose. I don't need to feel obligated. I don't have to do this. He weighed up the options again in his mind. He was very torn. Then he remembered how distant he felt from his friends in Ontario. No one calls. No one cares. He thought about the challenging theme for the week. In the last days, perilous times will come. He sighed. The basketball camp had professional coaches. He might be the star player on the team next season after getting this important training. They might win the provincials. 
Playing sports all day would be a lot more fun than sitting through hours of talks. Plus, he was finding it hard to concentrate on Bible talks lately. It might end up just being a huge waste of his time. I'd rather go to the basketball camp, Jake reaffirmed. Someone's got to fill Zach in on all the secrets. You're sure? I'm sure. Ending the call, Jake knew he was now fully committed. The decision had been made, and he didn't want any more hassle about it. Shrugging off any niggling doubts, he said a quick goodbye to Esther and Zach, who were stuffing the suitcases into the van, and took off to the nearby park. Jake didn't want to watch Zach leave. Brett was coming at noon to pick him up, and Jake was already packed and ready to go. Basketball camp? Here I come, he thought. I can't wait. Chapter 11, Jake's Song 24 hours is a long trip in any vehicle, but while the Bryant's family van was old, it was quite roomy and comfortable. Zach could remember previous trips to Mantillon Island with his whole family on board. After spending the first couple of hours chilling out with his seat reclined, his earphones in, choosing tunes off the iPod, Zach decided to join in the lively conversation. Uncle James and Aunt Sandra weren't like his parents, on his case for everything, or so he felt. With his aunt and uncle, Zach felt a friendly camaraderie. He liked them a lot. I guess this is going to be a rather quiet week for you, Zach, Aunt Sandra was saying with a compassionate smile. How long has it been since you had that concussion? Zach calculated the time. Almost six weeks ago, he had been in the final performance. He could well remember the adrenaline rush on stage with Melissa. Nearly a week later, he'd gone to the school dance and been beaten up by Shane's gang of thugs. It's been about five weeks since I got the concussion, he mumbled, choosing not to tell her about the blow he'd sustained at the basketball party. So far, he and Jake had managed to keep the second small concussion a secret. The doctor says I have to avoid sports all summer. So what will you do in the afternoons at camp? Aunt Sandra asked, trying to make conversation. The question led to a brainstorming session on afternoon options for Zach. Uncle James suggested canoeing and offered to be his partner if he needed one. Esther suggested he could come with her to choir which didn't appeal to Zach, even though he loved to sing. It won't be anything like the musical, told himself. Aunt Sandra suggested he try frisbee golf or lifeguarding. She also told him about the Agora sessions where people gathered to ask speakers questions regarding their talks. Zach thought canoeing sounded the best. I'll get an upper body workout at least. After a while, Uncle James asked, Hey Zach, do you have any music on that iPod that you'd like to share? On the long, straight freeway, Uncle James was feeling a little sleepy. Sure, Zack said, handing the small device to Aunt Sandra. Once it was plugged into the dock, everyone was able to enjoy the vast variety of music that had been collected. Hey, that's Jake's favorite song, Esther called out as an upbeat song began to play. Really? Uncle James said, turning the song up a little louder. Listen to it carefully. Zack liked the song as well. It had a good beat and a nice melody. The message was about God's love, his grace, his willingness to always take his children back, no matter what they had done. It was a song about mercy and forgiveness. What do you think of it, Uncle James? Esther asked when it was over. Turning the music down low, Uncle James considered his answer carefully. Without God's grace and mercy, none of us would have any hope of salvation, he began. 
I do agree with the sentiments, but we have to be careful we don't take God's grace for granted. There is a big if involved. What do you mean? Zach asked. God's grace is there not only to forgive us, but also to bring us to repentance and to change our lives. God is looking for spiritual growth in us, not stagnation. We are free to serve Christ, not to serve ourselves. Zach nodded slowly. He wasn't entirely sure what his uncle was driving at. Aunt Sandra looked back at Zach and smiled. Uncle James has had a lot of discussion on this topic with one of his Christian friends, she explained. I have. Uncle James agreed. My friend Steve and I don't exactly see eye to eye on this. Steve sees the God of the Old Testament as very different from the God of the New. To him, the law of Moses was an experiment that failed, rather than a tutor to bring us to Christ. Passing a large transport truck, Uncle James was preoccupied for a moment. But when they were safely in the right lane again, he continued, I was just saying to Steve the other day, God could have sent his son to the world immediately after Adam and Eve sinned. God promised them a savior right then. But he waited another 4,000 years. During those 4,000 years, God instituted the law of Moses, which established his standards of behavior, and also convicted every human being as a sinner. Regardless of how faithfully anyone tried to keep the law, failure in one aspect made you guilty of all. No one could keep it perfectly or honestly feel that they deserved salvation. So it was impossible to keep? It was impossible to keep perfectly, and therefore could not bring salvation in and of itself, which is why my friend would say the law was a failure. Wasn't it? Looking at his nephew in the rearview mirror, Uncle James asked, What is one good reason the law couldn't be a mistake? Well, I suppose because God doesn't make mistakes. Zach reasoned. Good answer. Uncle James smiled. God doesn't make mistakes as he knows the end from the beginning. So of course the law had a valuable purpose. It elevated the behavior of everyone who followed the decrees. It taught us the holiness of God, which he asked us to imitate. I also believe that none of us can ever appreciate grace unless we are fully convicted in our hearts that we deserve the opposite. Once God establishes a healthy, respectful appreciation for his holy standards and a conviction that we are all sinners deserving death, he then brought his son into the world and revealed more fully the new covenant of grace. But wasn't David saved by grace after his sin with Bathsheba? Aunt Sandra questioned. I thought there wasn't any sacrifice that could be given for sins of that nature. You're right. Uncle James agreed, switching lanes to allow for merging traffic. Grace is given throughout the Old Testament because God is the same God today as he was then. David confessed his sin and recognized he deserved death, and God told him he was forgiven. God is and always will be a God of love and grace, but his mercy is extended to those who are convinced of his majesty and of their own inadequacy. He looks to those who are poor and of a contrite spirit and tremble at his word. So, do you like the song or not? Zach asked. Uncle James chuckled. I like it. It's good to be reminded that forgiveness is extended on the basis of mercy and grace, not our own good deeds. I'm just saying, don't lose sight of the respect we should have for God and his righteousness. No effective parent-child relationship can function with unconditional mercy like the song portrays. There is a big if involved. God laid a foundation of fear and holiness before sending his son for a very good reason. I read an article just the other day which said, Any so-called faith in Christ, which professes to release men from obedience to God, is not faith, but presumption. What is the big if? 
Esther asked. The big if is a repentant attitude and a true desire to change our ways to God's, Uncle James explained. Okay, Zach reasoned, still trying to determine how his uncle felt about the music. I think you're saying that you like the song, but you feel it lacks balance. Exactly, Uncle James nodded. Esther was thinking over everything that her uncle had said. If good deeds aren't important to God, then why do we try to do good? Uncle James looked up at her in the rearview mirror and smiled. Good deeds are very important, Esther, he told her. Jesus did good works. God commands us to do good works. If we truly have faith in God and sincerely love him, good works will flow from us. But faithful believers do good not to earn anything from God or to receive praise from men. They do what is right when their hearts are right with God, when God's spirit, as found in his word, dwells in them. Aunt Sandra agreed with her husband and added, The offer of eternal life and the sacrifice that Jesus made for us is too great to be repaid by any good deeds that we can do. Salvation is a priceless gift. I like to think that good deeds are our way of saying thank you to God, if that's not too trite a way of explaining it. No, that helps, Esther assured her. You know, Uncle James added, I have always liked the analogy William Tyndale used at one of his last defenses. He was challenged about whether we are saved by faith alone or whether we need works. His answer, by the way, cost him his life. He said, The fruit on a tree does not make the tree good or bad. It simply demonstrates what kind of tree it is. That quote has always stuck with me. If our lives lack good works, or are filled with bad works, we have to question the value of our belief. Esther and Zach were quiet for a few moments. While Esther was contemplating how good deeds fit into the balance of life, Zach was considering the concept of unconditional mercy. He wondered whether or not he fully appreciated the big if and the right balance between God's mercy and judgment. Noticing that it was six o'clock, Uncle James turned on the world news. There were a number of big stories. Five super tornadoes had ripped across the United States, causing millions of dollars of damage and over 100 deaths. Massive dust storms had created extraordinary chaos in Arizona. Fires were raging in California, and an earthquake had hit Ottawa, causing structural damage to the Parliament buildings. To top it all, Turkey and Iraq had joined the growing alliance with Russia. Britain and America were alarmed by the aggressive, bold moves. Even Canada was voicing concern. Russian warships continued to stream into the Mediterranean. Troops were massing at the borders, and weapons were being stockpiled in Syria and Iran. Everyone was asking why there was a need for such a strong military presence. We all know what Russia intends to do, Esther said soberly. Now you have some more things to add to your talk, Uncle James. He's doing that talk again this week, Aunt Sandra told her quietly, still astonished by the news they had just heard. It's all happening so fast, I can hardly keep that talk up to date, Uncle James exclaimed. But there's still a lot that has to happen, Zack told himself. It could easily be another ten years before the Russian Confederacy moves down into Egypt and up into Israel. Chapter 12. At Camp The rest of the trip went smoothly as they did the daily Bible readings together, played a few traveling games, and had a fantastic meal at a little French restaurant. They stayed overnight in a small hotel, rose early the next morning, and spent another long day in the van. 
It was close to eight o'clock the next night when they turned onto Cooper Drive. Golden sunlight streamed through the darkening forest as they rumbled down the dirt road that led to the Mantillon Bible Camp. A calm feeling settled over Zack as he and Esther gazed out the windows, watching rays of sunshine flicker through the trees. Aunt Sandra tried to spot a deer. Zack felt like he was returning home, coming back to another world with different friends and different priorities. What kind of week will I have? He wondered. Will I be envying Jake the whole time or be glad to be here? How far is it from the highway to the camp? Esther asked. About two and a half kilometers, Uncle James replied. Perfect, Zack exclaimed. If I run to the highway and back every morning, I'll keep up some training. I don't want Jake to outdo me in everything when we get home. Maybe I'll join you, Uncle James said, much to Zack's delight. Really? Your Uncle James is training for the Kids with Cancer Marathon again, Aunt Sandra said proudly. He's running three times a week. Uncle James' charity marathon had raised thousands of dollars to help kids with cancer. Zack and his family had cheered him on several times. Good for you, Uncle James, Zack exclaimed. I'd love to run together. Pulling in past the open gate, Zack looked up to see Noah and Brennan heading toward them. His old friends recognized the Bryant's van right away. Waving and shouting, they followed the van all the way to the campsite where Uncle James always pitched his tent. Parking under a large maple, Uncle James reached over and squeezed his wife's hand. We're here, Buttes. Let the good times begin. Esther and Zack rushed out of the van to greet their friends. Uncle James and Aunt Sandra were eager to see everyone as well. They all hugged and remarked on the changes they noticed from the year before. Esther was taller than Brennan, and Noah had caught up to Zack. Hey, I like your hair, Noah exclaimed. Zack smirked and rubbed his hair uneasily. He still wasn't sure he liked his new hairstyle or lack of one. It wasn't stubble anymore, but it was shorter than he'd had it for years. He looked at Noah. A redhead with an athletic, wiry build, Noah had always been on the small side, but not anymore. How did you get as tall as me? Jack chided affectionately, pushing his friend away. I'll be taller than you yet. Noah grinned, pushing back. Never! Zack exclaimed with a laugh. They locked arms and attempted to push each other backwards. It wasn't as easy as it used to be for Zack to win, and they ended up on the ground in a laughing heap. Then Hannah showed up with a group of four other girls. Jake's shadow, Zack thought, remembering the crush she'd had on his brother ever since Jake had taught her and her friends how to play ping pong. As he picked himself up from the ground and brushed off the dead leaves, he did a double take. Hannah was up to his shoulder and quite grown up. She's pretty, he thought. She's changed a lot. Where's Jake? Brennan queried anxiously. Mm, he didn't come this year. Even as he said the words, Zack felt a strange sadness envelop him. The crestfallen looks on his friends' faces made him feel worse. Is he working? Hannah asked, twisting her long blonde hair into a ponytail. Her lovely blue eyes were filled with disappointment. No, he's at a basketball camp. Oh, that's sad, Brennan replied. Jake felt like lashing out that it wasn't sad at all, that Jake was having the opportunity of a lifetime, that if he hadn't had two concussions, he'd be right there with him. But as he opened his mouth to speak, suddenly he wasn't so sure. Maybe it was sad. I wish I had called him, Brennan mumbled more to himself than anyone else. I just assumed he'd be coming. Hey, do you guys want to help us set up? Uncle James asked hopefully, pulling two big tarps out of the van. Noah and Brennan were eager to pitch in, and Zack was thankful for a change in the conversation. Hannah and her friends left to look after her young nieces at the park. 
With Uncle James' assistance, the guys strung up the tarps and set up the tents, all the while catching up on the year that had passed. Noah and Brennan had finished grade 12 and were trying to choose between the universities that had accepted them. I was accepted at Dalhousie, Noah told Zach. But at the moment, it's my second choice. He laughed. Nova Scotia is a long way away. But you could live with us, Zach exclaimed excitedly. Having Noah back in Nova Scotia would be such a boost to all of them. That would be fun. Noah reflected. When all the setting up was done, Zach went with his friends to see the lake. The sun was slipping down toward the horizon as they settled on the large rock by the shore. Delicate pinks and faded orange streaked softly across the sky. The clouds had a golden edging. Without much of a breeze, the water lapped quietly against the rocky shore and mirrored the sunset perfectly. I'm glad you're here, Zach, Noah said with warmth in his eyes. I wish Jake had come too. You guys make camp so much more fun. Zach smiled. It was nice to know he was still part of the group. I don't know how much fun I'll be, he sighed. I had two concussions last month, so I have to avoid sports for the whole summer. You're kidding! Noah and Brennan echoed in surprise. No sports? Zach, that's tragic! Noah exclaimed. I know. Zach grimaced. He looked down at the beach to the racks of overturned canoes. I might take up canoeing instead. We were hoping you'd join us for the three-on-three volleyball again. We've signed you up. For a moment, Zach thought about giving it a try, but quickly changed his mind. He had to be in top form for basketball. He couldn't risk another hit. Sorry, guys. There were heavy sighs from both his friends. Looking up, Zach saw Hannah and a bunch of her girlfriends walking down the beach. Hey, they called out. Icebreakers are on at the teen classroom. Icebreakers? Brennan exclaimed. We'll be there. That night, as Zach wandered back to his campsite alone, he thought about the basketball camp. Sure, he was glad he had come to Manitoulin in many ways, but he wondered enviously what his brother was doing. Jake would have already had a full day of training, whereas Zach had been sitting lifelessly in a van, traveling for hours on end. Jake would be trying to decide if he wanted to try windsurfing or dragon boat racing, while Zach was stuck with canoes. Jake would be... Ouch! Zach suddenly stubbed his foot on a rock. He had forgotten to grab a flashlight before the sun went down and it was dark on the playing field. Ooh, that hurt, he said angrily. Then he heard giggling. It sounded quite close by. Who's there? He asked, peering into the darkness. He couldn't see anyone. Just us. There were more giggles. Who's us? Zach didn't recognize the voice. Don't step on me, his sister's voice called out with alarm. We're watching the stars. Isn't it past curfew? Yes, but Uncle James and Aunt Sandra are coming to watch too, Esther explained, sitting up. Zach could see his sister now, a dark shape against the trees and quite close by. Hannah's sleeping over tonight and Uncle James said he'd show us the constellations. Two bright flashlights were coming their way. Sounds cool, Zach said. Mind if I join you? Aunt Sandra brought a large blanket that she spread out for everyone. Lying on his back beside Uncle James, Zach was amazed at the depths of stars he could see. The sky was exceptionally clear. It's so nice to get away from light pollution, Uncle James sighed. Having a good knowledge of the stars and a cool laser beam pointer, Uncle James showed them various celestial wonders. He was in no hurry to rush everyone off to bed. Patiently, he explained where the constellation of Orion was and pointed out the bright lights of the planets Mars and Venus. As they lay there looking up at the marvelous display, Uncle James asked, why do you think God created so many stars? Just think, 
Each one is a vast ball of burning gas, just like the sun. Why make so many? Or why did God create so many species of trees? Aunt Sandra added. Just one variety might have been sufficient. It is amazing, Hannah agreed. Why are there hundreds of different kinds of butterflies and thousands of flowers? So, why the overabundance, Zack? Uncle James asked his nephew specifically. Zack thought deeply. Well, I suppose it demonstrates that God's creativity and power is profoundly vast. Suddenly, Hannah called out, Look! A shooting star! Zack caught the tail end. It had streaked right across the sky. Amazing! He shouted. For the next 15 minutes, they all watched intently for shooting stars. Aunt Sandra was the first to notice a second bright streak. For the next 15 minutes, they all watched intently for shooting stars. Aunt Sandra was the first to notice a second bright streak. There were several minutes of silence as they absorbed the awesome display of power above them. Speaking quietly, Aunt Sandra quoted a psalm. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? The verse resonated in Zach's mind long after he crawled into his sleeping bag. God's creation is so magnificent, he considered. I'm just a tiny speck down here on earth in his eyes. I have all these huge plans for my life, but so do millions of other people. What are my plans compared to God's? The answer was simple. Insignificant. Chapter 13. Canoeing. Zack headed glumly to the small sandy beach on Sunday afternoon. Uncle James had been asked to help run the baseball program, so he was unable to go canoeing with his nephew. Still, they had run five kilometers together that morning, and Zack was pleasantly surprised how well his uncle kept up. Sure, Zack had sprinted the last kilometer by himself, but Uncle James had a good steady pace. He was in decent shape. Standing on the beach, Zack wondered if he would be able to steer a canoe alone. I could always go watch everyone play baseball, he thought to himself. Jaden's crippled brother told me that I could cheer on the team. Isaiah is amazing, he considered. He always makes the best of his situation and gives what he can to others. But Zack didn't have the heart to cheer or throw balls back from the sidelines. The temptation to get involved seemed too compelling, so he had decided to stay away. The beach was crowded with young parents and children. Kids were digging in the sand and wading into the warm, shallow water. It was a hot, sunny afternoon, and gentle waves rippled across a small lake. A few young girls stood waiting for a turn in the paddle boats, but there weren't any teenagers around. The teens were all playing sports. Zack looked up at the canoes on the racks. If I paddle alone, will I go around in circles? He sighed. Guess I'll figure it out somehow. As the lifeguard helped him bring a shiny red canoe down to the water, Zack was surprised to hear someone call his name. Looking up, he saw Noah starting toward him with a tackle box and two fishing poles in his hand. Hey, Zack! Noah called out. Can I join you? For sure, Zack replied enthusiastically. You're not playing sports? It's kind of hot out today, Noah shrugged. Canoeing sounds more exciting. Zack didn't reply, but he smiled appreciatively. He knew it wasn't too hot. 
Noah would play sports any day, regardless of the weather. He was very thankful his friend was choosing to join him. Pushing out into the water and paddling hard together, they glided quickly across the lake. Noah guided them to a spot where he claimed his dad had caught a fish two days before. There were not many fish in the small shallow lake, but every now and then someone would come back with a good catch. They took turns casting and rowing. While there was absolutely no action on their lines, they kept trying. Have you thought about coming back here for youth conference in August? Noah asked, pulling the line in slowly. No, not really. You could stay with us for the next five weeks and fly back when conference is over. Zach considered the option briefly. I've committed to helping out with Uncle Peter's business, he said. After another moment's reflection, he added, And don't you have to do a whole lot of Bible study for conference? Like an entire 100-page workbook? Not more than you could get done in the next month. And it's been a fascinating study. I've learned so much about the life of Job. Have you finished it already? I have one chapter left. I've been working on it since February. When do you ever find time to do Bible study? Zach moaned. Between school, homework, and sports, I'm flat out until it's time for bed. I mean, we read the Bible every night as a family, but to do extra Bible study on top of that? How do you do it? I always spend an hour on it right after I get home from school. Hmm, that's when Jake and I work out. Don't you get enough exercise playing sports at school? Zach thought back on intramurals and after-school practices. Often, he even had phys ed. He did get a lot of exercise, but... Jake and I are in training, he explained rather proudly. Our coach thinks we have a good chance of making it to the provincials next year. We only missed out by one game last season, so he's given us a strict exercise program. It's helped a lot. You need some time for spiritual training, too. Noah smiled. Just doing an hour a day has given me a whole new perspective. A new perspective on what? Zach questioned. Reeling in his taunt line for the third time, only to discover another entangled weed, Noah was disappointed. It's hard to explain, he replied slowly, pulling the weed off his hook. It's, it's kind of like playing an intense game of basketball, where you suddenly come alive and feel a surge of energy. When I get into Bible study, it becomes exciting, and I discover things that amaze me. So often I've had some problem or issue I'm struggling to figure out, and I'll find the answer in the study I'm doing. Looking up skeptically, Zach reeled in his own line to pull off the weeds. He couldn't imagine Bible study could compare in any way to a basketball game. Have you ever caught anything in this lake? He asked his friend. No, but my dad caught a 16-inch bass the first day we got here. Noah boasted. I know they're out here somewhere. But when another 15 minutes went past and there hadn't been so much as a nibble, the boys changed plans and decided to see how fast they could skim across the water in the canoe. Action was what Zack loved. Fast, intense, heart-racing action. It was even better when it ended up with a refreshing spill into the lake. Noah had purposely leaned over too far. The Last Days. Classes began Monday morning. The study on Moses, whom Zach had always thought he knew so much about, challenged him to carefully consider the similarities between Moses' life in Egypt 
and his own in Sterling, Nova Scotia. In Egypt, Moses had grown up with an abundance of everything, riches, pleasure, and fame. Zach was quietly impressed that Moses had chosen to give it all up, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Moses didn't choose to be with God's people because it was more fun, Zach reflected. He gave up the fun to suffer with God's people. Would I have made the same choice? He asked himself. Or would I have chosen to remain a prince in the palace? It didn't take long to answer that question. He knew he would have chosen to stay in the palace. And what about my life? He asked himself. Am I taking everything this world has to offer and enjoying the passing pleasures of sin? Have I ever given anything up for God? Anything that is difficult to part with? While the talks on Moses captured Zach's imagination, the second series, In the Last Days, Perilous Times Will Come, impacted him to truly re-examine every aspect of his life. It had been a whole year since Zach had last escaped from all the distractions of the world and allowed God's word to take hold of his heart. Uncle George, as everyone affectionately called him, began his talks Monday morning telling the teens that he was going to take them through a study of the last days, the time period right before Christ's return. We all know this is where we are in history, Uncle George stated. We are in the last days. Jesus questioned whether or not he would find persistent faith on the earth when he returned. So as we investigate the warnings the Bible gives us about our time period in history, we need to be constantly asking ourselves, how does this apply to us? And especially, how does it apply on a very personal level? Growing up in a household that read the Bible every day, Zach was familiar with the passage Uncle George took them to in 2 Timothy chapter 3. However, he had never considered it personally. Now, as we read through these verses, Uncle George said, I want everyone to think carefully about whether or not our society fits this description, or whether you think more time is needed for it to become this corrupt. Looking in Zach's direction, Uncle George asked him to read out the verses to the class. A little skeptical that society could already be as bad as it would get before Christ's return, Zach read the passages slowly. As he read, he thought about each characteristic in light of his youth group and his classmates at Sterling High. But know this, he read, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. He looked up at Uncle George in astonishment when he was done. Everything fits, he thought. Thanks, Zach, Uncle George said, and then he began to go through each characteristic in more detail. Uncle George even had newspaper quotes to prove these characteristics were the prevailing attitude. The scariest part was that Zach began to see himself in the verses. Had he become just like the civilization which was soon to be destroyed? How often had his parents told him that he thought the world revolved around him? I've been very self-centered recently, he considered, disobeying my parents, lying to them, unthankful for what I have, and unloving. In the last few months, 
I've acted in a headstrong, haughty manner, determined to live life as I please, regardless of what anyone else thinks. And with the school play, I certainly loved pleasure more than God. The musical came before everything. Am I like the people described here as having a form of godliness, calling myself a Christian, but denying God's power to transform my life? Always before, when Zach had compared himself to the other renegades in his youth group, he felt confident that he was leading a fairly good life, even if he hadn't yet chosen to be baptized. After all, he wasn't doing drugs, or obsessed with violent video games. He'd never even had a girlfriend. But now, faced with a list of wrong attitudes in 2 Timothy 3, he felt guilty. He left class that day with his head down, carefully thinking things over. What if these really are the last days? The last minutes before Christ returns, he pondered. I know I'm on the wrong side. I need to change. Chapter 15. The Boys Cook Dinner I feel so out of shape, Zack moaned Wednesday morning at breakfast. I haven't done anything the past few days. He and Uncle James had made great plans for jogging the camp road every morning, but with evening devotionals, teen choir practice, and card games until midnight, it was difficult to rise early the next day. So far, they'd only jogged once. In that case, maybe I could challenge you to an arm wrestle. Uncle James grinned. A whole week without training, and you might be on par with me. Bring it on. Zack was eager for the challenge, and Uncle James put up a good fight. There were a few tense moments when the challenge looked like it could go either way, but three times in a row, Zack flattened his uncle's arm in less than a minute. Folding his defeated arms together, Uncle James sat back and studied his nephew with amusement. What do you think, Sandra? He asked, his brown eyes twinkling. Would Zack reach my incredible level of fitness if we kept him out of training for a whole month? Esther was proud of her brother's strength. I hate to say it, Uncle James, she exclaimed, but even if Zack didn't do any training ever, you might need to go back a little in time, maybe ten years to beat him. Her uncle chuckled. What are you saying? He asked, mockingly indignant. That I've lost my physique? He flexed his arm muscles. There's still a good bulge here. Aunt Sandra and Esther laughed as Zack showed off his biceps. They were considerably bigger. Ten years ago, Zack wouldn't have had a chance, Aunt Sandra chipped in supportively. That's my wife. Uncle James smiled. Then he seemed to think it over more carefully. Just a second. Ten years ago, Zack was only seven. Aunt Sandra tried to explain what she really meant, but it ended in laughter. Turning his attention back to his nephew, Uncle James said, Well, Zack, you've been paddling every afternoon, getting an upper body workout, so maybe that's not your area of weakness. Perhaps we should try leg lifts. How would you do leg lifts around here? Aunt Sandra laughed affectionately. Uncle James pondered the matter carefully. I know, he said with a smile. Let's see who can do a tree squat the longest. Tree squat? Esther queried. But Uncle James was already heading toward the large maple that sheltered his campsite. With a grin, Zack positioned himself in front of a birch facing his uncle. You're timing us, Buttes? Uncle James called out. Aunt Sandra moved her arms so she could see her watch and gave the countdown. Zack and his uncle dropped down to a squat position with their backs against the tree. Time ticked by and Uncle James' legs started to shake. He held on for a bit longer, even though his face was going red, while Zack held his position with ease. 
Finally, Uncle James admitted defeat. One minute and 27 seconds, Aunt Sandra exclaimed. Zack held on for another whole minute before pronouncing victory. Maybe you're not so out of shape after all. Uncle James grinned, patting Zack on the back. Zack laughed. Just remember, his uncle added in a more serious tone, that bodily exercise is profitable for a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. Rubbing his nephew's short hair affectionately, Uncle James added, Just because you can't see your brain growing bigger, don't discount what's happening there this week. Zack nodded. Maybe things weren't as bad as he thought. Why don't you invite your friends over for dinner tonight? Aunt Sandra suggested suddenly to Zack and Esther. I have enough chicken for at least four extra people. Can I invite Hannah and Elizabeth? Esther asked. I could ask Noah and Brennan, Zack considered. Sure, Aunt Sandra said. Then she remembered something. Oh, you're giving the talk tonight, aren't you? She said to Uncle James. Maybe tonight isn't a good night for company. Right, and we have the Agora session until five. That leaves us a little short on time. Esther and I could cook the meal, Zack suggested. Just leave out some instructions for us. Really? Aunt Sandra asked. Esther nodded fervently. Mom leaves me instructions all the time. As Aunt Sandra dubiously considered the matter, Uncle James gave the answer. They'll have fun with it, Sandra, he said. Give them a chance. Then Uncle James looked at his watch. Hey, it's almost 8.30, he said. We'd better get over to the pavilion. Time for classes to start. Once again that morning, Uncle George's class was thought-provoking and challenging. The day before, he had considered the scoffers that would come in the last days, looking particularly at the negative effects the theory of evolution and the philosophy of humanism were having on society's worldview. Today's class, Uncle George announced at the very beginning, is about the decline of morality in the world and the effect that licentious living is having on believers. Here's an interesting paradox, Uncle George continued. Today we have gays and lesbians clamoring for the right to be married, while many heterosexual couples are disregarding marriage and initiating sexual relationships long before making a covenant to one another. Ungodly behavior is becoming commonplace, even among those who profess to be Christian. But we must never lose sight of God's standard of morality. Remember, young people, it's not for the world to define morality for us. As believers, we must hold on to the standard that God has set. Uncle George had the class turn to several passages on the matter. The one that struck Zach the most was 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Hannah read the passage from the NIV. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, Uncle George repeated firmly. If God is warning us not to be deceived, that means we may easily find ourselves justifying these actions and behaviors, especially when we see them so prevalent around us. But in God's eyes, sexual relationships outside of a marriage covenant are wrong, regardless of how committed we may feel we are to the relationship. If we choose to engage in sex before marriage and justify our actions, the warning is that we may be rejected at the judgment seat. Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers God will judge. And notice too, Uncle George pointed out from 1 Corinthians 6, that homosexuals and sodomites are among the unrighteous. Homosexuality is not an alternative lifestyle that God recognizes. 
whether a marriage has taken place or not. It is wrong for a man to marry a man or a woman to marry a woman. Don't let the world convince you otherwise. The Apostle Paul urges us in 1 Corinthians, shun immorality. Every other sin which a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. God wants to be the Lord of our bodies and dwell in us as his holy temple. All sin comes from our heart, and we are all afflicted with varying weaknesses towards one sin or another. But every single one of us can make a choice whether to inflame and follow the base desires of our hearts, or pray for God's help to overcome the flesh, deny ourselves, and seek his righteousness. Now, in saying all that, Uncle George added in softer tones, there is forgiveness for those who have sinned, but sincerely repent. If you cry to God for help and don't make provision for the flesh, God will help you to overcome. He wants you to overcome. He promises to make a way of escape for every temptation. But we have to choose to take it. Terry, one of the older teens, interjected, Isn't all sin equal? You just said that everyone struggles with sin in one way or another. So if I have sex before marriage, or break the speed limit, or yell at my parents, or become a homosexual, it's all just sin. We're all sinners. We can't help ourselves. All we can do is trust in God's grace and mercy. It's true that the wages of sin is death, Uncle George smiled, and in that sense, regardless of what we do, we all deserve death. But the consequences of some sins far outweigh others. I may break the speed limit and face a fine of $200. However, if I choose to kill someone when I'm angry, I will likely be in prison for the rest of my life. I will feel great remorse for the pain and loss I have caused others. And don't be deceived. The consequences of sexual immorality can play havoc with our future relationships and emotional well-being. Zach couldn't help think of his father's off-quoted axiom. The Christian life isn't the path of least resistance, but it is the path of least regrets. Terry was shaking his head. There is also a big difference between willful sin and accidental sin. Uncle George added kindly. There is no sacrifice to cover willful sin. There wasn't one in the Old Testament and there isn't one under Christ. Hebrews chapter 10 says, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment. What is willful sin? Hannah asked. The word means willingly, to act with intent and purpose, premeditated. Uncle George told her. It's a decision to sin rather than an accidental lapse of weakness. But we're under grace, Terry argued. The law of Moses failed because humans are too weak to keep God's law. We just need to believe in God's grace to save us despite our failings. We can't be righteous. God makes us righteous if we have faith in him. Uncle George opened up the discussion for a class debate. For ten minutes, many opinions were aired and a few passages were suggested. Hannah found a verse that supported what Uncle George had been saying. She read out 1 John 2, which says, now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk, just as he walked. In many ways, Wednesday's class was the most intense appeal Uncle George had given all week. 
In the canoe that afternoon, Zack and Noah spent a great deal of time discussing the issues he had raised. Lulled into thinking that because everyone was doing it must be okay, Zack felt the pathway he had once contemplated taking was suddenly barred with a large road is closed sign. For the first time ever, Zack was thankful that Melissa was going out with Shane. Whoa, if I'm going to live by God's standards, I need to be very careful who I go out with. Melissa would drag me down so quickly. Zack came back to his tent early that afternoon, drenched head to toe from another canoe race that ended upside down in the lake. As soon as Noah had changed into dry clothes, he came over. Unfortunately, Brennan was unable to join them for dinner as his family had already made other plans. Noah and Zack were eager to get dinner ready. Esther hadn't returned from the sports field yet, but Aunt Sandra's instructions had been left on the picnic table, stuck under the edge of a large cooking pot. Okay, Zack said, scanning the list. It looks like we're cooking chicken strips, rice, and making a salad. What would you like to do, Noah? I've never made a salad, Noah replied. But I can probably fry the chicken. I'll leave the salad to Esther, Zack said. I haven't made one of those either. He picked up the box of rice and examined the instructions on the box. This sounds foolproof. I'll do the rice. Setting the box down, he consulted Aunt Sandra's list once more. Oh, yes! He exclaimed. She wants us to make chocolate pudding. Yum! I love chocolate pudding. Chocolate pudding wasn't on Brett's healthy eating list. Zack figured that since he was taking the week off from exercise, he was also exempt from the diet. As Noah got the propane stove going and set the grill plate on top of the burners, Zack read the pudding box. We're supposed to add two cups of milk to each of these packages, he told Noah. The only trouble is I used the last bit of milk on my cereal this morning. Maybe Aunt Sandra picked up some from the camp store. Checking the cooler, Zack quickly determined they were still out of milk. He took the chicken strips out of the cooler for Noah. No milk, he said. So what do you figure we should do? Maybe we should just leave it, Noah suggested. Aunt Sandra might have some other dessert tucked away. Do you know how long it's been since I've had chocolate pudding? Zack asked. Noah shook his head with a smile and began laying the chicken strips on the pan. Too long, Zack stated, realizing he couldn't even remember. Then an idea occurred to him. Maybe we could do a little substituting. Isn't that the mark of an experienced chef? Noah rolled his eyes. Zack thought hard. Milk is only liquid. Surely we could add another liquid and it would work out just as well. Maybe you'll come up with a new recipe. Noah laughed. Aunt Sandra will be impressed if it's good. What do you suggest? Juice? Water? Hmm. Juice might add the wrong flavor. Zack pondered. But water should be fine. So intent were the two of them in mixing up their watery chocolate concoction that the chicken was totally forgotten until a burnt smell wafted past them. Oh no! Noah exclaimed. Not the chicken! Zack laid down the egg beater to examine the extent of the catastrophe. Chicken was scorched on one side. You get a fail. Zack laughed, helping his friend flip the chicken to the other side. Noah turned the burner down to low. I'd better try for golden brown on the other side. He smiled. Or I'll never live down my bad reputation. Girls don't forget things like that. I guess we need to get the rice cooking. Zack suddenly remembered. And where are the girls? We need them to make the salad. Glancing at his watch, Noah exclaimed. It's five o'clock. Your uncle and aunt will be back soon. Okay, Zack said, trying to get everything in order. I don't know why this pudding isn't getting thick. We're only supposed to beat it for two minutes, and we did it for ten. But you get the rice cooking, and I'll work on the salad. Zack placed the pudding in the cooler, hoping a little refrigeration might help it to set. 
The boys worked feverishly for the next ten minutes, expecting the others to show up at any time. The salad was ready and the rice cooking before Esther appeared with her friends, Hannah and Elizabeth. She was carrying a liter of milk. Sorry we're late, she apologized, but our volleyball game just finished. Sure, Zach complained with a smile. Leave us to do all the cooking while you girls play. He caught sight of the milk. Hey, where did you get that? From the store, she replied. Aunt Sandra told me I'd need it for the pudding. Zach and Noah exchanged sheepish glances. Oops, Zach said. What's wrong? We already made the pudding. Noah replied confidently. There's no need for milk. Zach's created a new recipe. Right, a camping recipe. Zach announced, folding his arms across his chest. When you don't have milk, use water. He puffed out his chest and stood tall. Our recipe has less calories and is far more adaptable to a camping menu. Hannah and Esther examined the pudding in the cooler. You can drink it like tea, Hannah giggled, letting the pudding pour off a spoon back into the bowl. I think something's burning, Elizabeth said, looking toward the stove. Oh no, not again. Noah moaned, turning from the pudding catastrophe back to his chicken. Sure enough, the other side was beginning to scorch. Here come Uncle James and Aunt Sandra, Esther called out, seeing them in the distance, walking down the road. Zach looked up to see his aunt and uncle strolling across a sports playing field with three little children in tow. There were almost always children following Aunt Sandra. She had won many little hearts teaching at camp. Come on, girls, Esther said. Let's set the table. At least Aunt Sandra will find one thing done right. What do you mean? asked the indignant Zach. Everything's done, thanks to us. Aunt Sandra took the young children to their own campsite and then returned to check on the meal. She did her best to be positive over the burned chicken, starchy rice, and rather hastily put together salad. I certainly appreciate the effort, she remarked with a smile, scraping black crumbs off the chicken strips with her knife. Uncle James asked Noah to give thanks for the meal. Then he helped his nephew serve everything out. The rice didn't want to come off the spoon. The chicken was speckled and dry. Just remember, Uncle James reminded them in his most fatherly tone, that we thanked God for this food. If you were orphans living on your own in Kenya, you might not have had anything to eat all day or the day before. Yes, Aunt Sandra agreed. That presentation we had this morning was heart-wrenching. I'd really like to help financially with all the good work that is going on over there, James. Imagine 600 children in one Sunday school. You'd be in paradise, Uncle James chuckled. Elizabeth held up her lettuce for inspection. Not only was it a huge piece, but it was also quite wilted and brown around the edges. Did anyone check the lettuce before they threw it into the bowl? Trying to keep a straight face, Zach answered with mock disdain. We're camping girls. Our motto is, waste not, want not. I'm sure in the Sahara Desert, such lettuce would be worth maybe $10 a leaf. It's more decorative this way, Noah added with a snicker. The brown adds a little contrast with the green. Since when do you throw the whole cucumber into the salad? Hannah asked, wrestling a huge piece with her fork. Hey, Zach remarked in defense. We like veggies and dip. Who says it has to look like a salad? It all tastes the same anyway, Noah added. Zach looked up to see Hannah holding the core of a tomato on the tip of her fork. And how do you explain this away? She asked with a giggle. Compost and dip? Zach suggested, and they all began to laugh. Uncle James and Aunt Sandra laughed with them, and the laughter continued as the girls exaggerated their efforts to cut up the huge lettuce leaves and hacksaw their way through the charred chicken. When everyone was nearly done, Zach went to check on the chocolate pudding. 
Oh, no. He groaned, looking into the cooler. Uncle James and Noah jumped up from the table to see what had happened. Aunt Sandra remained where she was with her face in her hands. Somehow, the bowl had shifted and chocolate syrup had run over everything in the cooler. It was an incredible mess. Zach picked up the bowl and instantly jumped back as chocolate sauce dribbled onto the ground in front of him. Who wants dessert? He asked, laughing. There were no takers among the girls. Noah and Zach decided to try it, but after a few spoonfuls and lots of teasing from the girls, they declared the pudding an official disaster and poured it out in the bushes. Do we get at least a C plus? Zach pleaded with his aunt after dinner as he helped her to clean out the cooler. Noah and the girls had kindly offered to do the dishes. Aunt Sandra laughed, washing off each chocolate-covered package of food. It depends, she said with a smile, as to whether you're referring to the entertainment value or your culinary expertise. Chapter 16. The Storm I'm sorry, man. I can't join you at the lake today. Zack looked over at Noah and shrugged. No worries, he said. I don't expect you to canoe with me every day. Noah sighed. Brennan signed me up for the three-on-three volleyball tournament, and he really needs me this afternoon. Go have some fun, Zack grinned. But I'll expect you back on the lake tomorrow. Noah laughed and promised to be there. Then he hurried off to his game. For a moment, Zack wondered if he should go watch the tournament. It would be exciting. Brennan, Noah, and Simon were up against some stiff competition, and he could cheer them on. But what if someone gets injured and needs a substitute? I'm not sure I could stop myself from jumping in. Wandering down toward the water, Zack was deep in thought. He and Uncle James had gone out for a jog that morning, and while he hadn't told his uncle, he had felt very lightheaded on the way back. What a pain this concussion stuff has been. Will it always be a problem for me? And what if I'm accidentally hit again? Could it get worse? Not only was Zack feeling a little unnerved by the dizziness he had experienced that morning, the talk his uncle had given the evening before had kept him awake for many hours. Uncle James had made a strong case for believing that Jesus could come back at any time. Zack had always thought that he would see Israel dwelling in peace in the sudden northern invasion before Jesus returned to gather his saints to him. However, Uncle James put forward the view that Jesus may come unknown to the rest of the world, resurrect the dead, judge those who are responsible to him, and then spend time, maybe ten years or more, instructing and building a relationship with the saints. Uncle James called this the marriage feast of the Lamb. The time when Jesus Christ is preparing the saints, Uncle James suggested. Maybe when the prophet Elijah will go throughout the land of Israel, turning the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers as it says in Malachi. Elijah's work in preparing the nation to accept their Messiah may be what precipitates the time of peace and prosperity for Israel, spoken of in Ezekiel 38. When Israel is feeling safe and secure, that is the cue for the northern confederacy of nations to storm the Middle East, take Egypt, and return to decimate Israel, cutting off two-thirds of the population. It will likely be at this time, Uncle James said, when all the nations are gathered against Jerusalem, 
that Jesus and the saints will come to the aid of the Jewish people. For the last couple of years, Zach had delayed making a commitment to God based on his view that there was still more to happen before Jesus could return. What if Uncle James's view of prophecy is right? He pondered. What if there is nothing left that needs to happen before we are called away to judgment? What if Jesus truly could be here tonight or tomorrow? The answers to these questions were disturbing. I know I'm not ready, he told himself. I'm totally not ready. As Zach neared the beach, he was surprised how intense the wind was down by the shore. White caps topped the waves and foamed up on the sand. A dark cloud lay on the horizon. Looks like a storm is brewing, he thought. Maybe we'll have the rain by nightfall. I hope it doesn't hit until we're all in our tents asleep. Rain and camping don't mix well. Going against such a wind would make it very difficult to canoe alone. Zack knew he would almost certainly find himself turning in circles. He put on a life jacket and looked down the shoreline for anyone he could invite to go with him. And then he saw Hannah. Striding down the beach in a bright pink t-shirt and white shorts, Hannah appeared to be looking for someone. Catching sight of Zack, she waved and began walking toward him. Do you need someone to canoe with? She asked, hopefully. Sure, Zack said with a friendly shrug. Taking a second life jacket from the clothesline that hung by the shore, Zack handed it to her. Hannah would be welcome company. Did Noah say something to his sister? He wondered. As they were bringing the canoe down to the water, one of the lifeguards warned them to be careful. I haven't let any of the younger kids go out today, he said. That wind is awfully strong. Something is blowing in. Don't go too far. We'll be all right, Zack assured him. It might be tough heading out, but at least we'll be blown back to shore. Just stay close by. Zack nodded, but he thought the lifeguard was overreacting. If the wind had been blowing in the opposite direction, the warning might have been necessary. Insisting that he steer, Hannah climbed into the front of the canoe. I didn't have any sports this afternoon, she said, taking off her sandals. She preferred bare feet whenever possible. Our team got knocked out of the tournament after a second game. Privately, Zach pondered that Hannah's team hadn't had a chance. He had seen the names on the sports bulletin. Three 14-year-old girls up against older teen guys. What were they thinking? It soon became apparent to him that Hannah wasn't sure how to canoe, either. You don't need to paddle on both sides. Just stick to one, Zach told her. Okay. Are you comfortable holding the paddle like that? Not really. Try moving your hands further apart. Okay. I've never done this before, she giggled. Really? Are you being sarcastic? Of course not. You look like a pro. I was going to ask you for lessons. A large splash of water landed on his shorts. Zach smiled. Of course he could have easily drenched her in return, but he didn't want to do that. The wind was chilly. It'll be an easy trip back, he reminded Hannah. The wind will blow us in. She turned around to give him a friendly smile. Hannah's smile was warm and inviting. I really enjoyed your uncle's talk last night, Hannah said, taking a break from paddling and turning to face him. Zack nodded thoughtfully. He'd noticed during his uncle's talk that Hannah was diligently taking notes. It looked like a good way to keep focus on the class. He thought he might try it sometime. What did you think of the talk? she asked. It was good, Zack admitted half-heartedly, straining at the paddle. Just good? she questioned with a puzzled expression. That talk made me so aware of all that is going on in the world. What with Russia becoming a guardian to Turkey, Iraq, and Iran, and building up ships at Port Tartus, and many nations condemning Israel and calling for Jerusalem to be an international city, everything is happening just as God said it would. All nations are going to be gathered against Jerusalem very soon. I've decided when I get home, 
I'm going to get baptized. Right away? Zack exclaimed, paddling harder since Hannah had decided she'd rather talk. Well, I might need one or two more baptismal classes, she considered, but my dad has been going over things with me for a year, and now I want to speed it up. Jesus could return at any time. A shiver went down Zack's spine. But but you're so young, he objected. Aren't you only fourteen? Digging in with her paddle again, Hannah glanced back reproachfully. I know people who have been baptized at fourteen. It's not that young. Besides, I'll be fifteen in a month. Sorry, Zack apologized, realizing he had upset her. I guess your brother was baptized at fourteen, and Jake was only a year older. Hannah smiled. It was obvious she remembered that detail well. But didn't you feel, after your uncle's talk, that Jesus is going to return any time now? She questioned earnestly. It's so close. I want to be ready. Your uncle quoted that verse, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. I know how important it is to be in Christ and have our sins forgiven. I want to be part of the promises. Zack looked back to shore. They were making very slow progress, especially with only one person doing the work. He didn't really want to discuss this topic. His own thoughts were disturbing enough. Bending his head to the wind, he paddled with all his strength. Are you baptized, Zack? she asked, digging in again with her paddle. He had hoped she wouldn't ask that question. No. So don't you feel the urgency? Sometimes. Seeing how hard Zack was paddling, Hannah put in more effort as well for a while. She stopped asking those deep, penetrating questions. Zack was relieved. His uncle's talk had been unsettling, but he still wasn't sure what it meant for him. People have been preaching about the nearness of Christ's return for years, he told himself. It's certainly getting closer every day, but I don't think it's time to panic. Eventually, they made it out to the middle of the lake. The wind was getting stronger and the sky was clouding over. A drop of water landed on Zack's arm. Then a few more landed on his face. He brushed them off, thinking the wind was spraying the lake water against them. It's raining, Hannah called out. Should we head back? Looking up at the sky, Zack realized the dark cloud which had been on the horizon was now looming over them. Sure, he agreed but then it began to pour. A freak storm had blown in quickly, and with the rain came a fierce wind. There were even pellets of hail. As Zack attempted to turn the canoe around, the waves were coming across the lake so high that some were splashing over the sides of the canoe. Hannah was trying to say something to him, but Zack couldn't hear. He could barely even see the rain was so heavy. They managed to turn the canoe around, but were swamped by a wave that was at least two feet high. The canoe began to sink, and they scrambled to find a bailing can. As the warm lake water began to pour in around them, Zack looked up to see a look of shock on Hannah's face. Wearing clothes, neither one of them had planned to go swimming. Overturning into the shallow lake, the canoe floated upside down. Its former occupants floundered in the choppy water, attempting to find their footing in the thick mud below. Not for a moment did Zack feel they were in any danger, especially not with life jackets on. The water only came up to Hannah's waist, with the occasional waves sweeping past her shoulders. The noise of the rain and the wind was deafening. Talking was nearly impossible. Zack motioned for Hannah to help him right the canoe. Together they tugged and pulled, flipping the canoe back over. Zack was thankful for its buoyant design. The paddles and safety kit had been carried off by the waves. They would have to retrieve them when the storm died down. Hannah was searching for something in the water. I've lost my sandals, she called out to him. We'll find them later, Zack hollered back. Bowing their heads against the driving rain, they pulled the canoe toward the nearby shore. It was private property that was out of bounds to everyone at camp. 
but in these exceptional circumstances, they needed a safe haven to wait out the storm. It was about 50 meters to shore, and progress was slow, stepping over so many slippery, sharp rocks and tugging on the canoe. They were both relieved to reach the sandy beach and find shelter under the overhanging trees. They'll be worried about us, Hannah tried to shout over the noise as they settled on a rock under a large tree. Zack looked toward the camp beach. He could barely see anyone or anything through the downpour and assumed that anyone on the distant shore would be unable to see them. It'll be over soon, he shouted back. As he sat crouched under the trees, drenched from head to toe and half blinded by the pouring rain, Zack could see that Hannah was shivering badly. The wind was intense. Blowing against the wetness of their clothing, it felt very cold. Zack contemplated whether or not to put his arm around her. He didn't want to put any ideas in Hannah's young, 14-year-old head, but he didn't want her to die of hypothermia, either. You cold? He called out. Freezing! Reaching out, Zack drew her close. Thanks, she said, her teeth shattering. As they sat together in the pouring rain, Zack imagined himself telling Jake about this very incident. Yeah, and Hannah was freezing cold. He heard himself telling his brother. So I had to put my arm around her to keep her warm, poor thing. Would Jake care? He smiled to himself. It was kind of funny, in an ironic sort of way. The wind began to die down and the rain decreased. Looking over at Hannah, Zack caught her amused glance in his direction, and they both laughed. How did we get here? He chuckled. I don't know, she replied. I thought I was going for a nice little canoe ride. I didn't expect a shipwreck. Shipwreck? Zack threw his head back and laughed. It wasn't a shipwreck. Sure it was, Hannah smiled, her teeth chattering. Our boat was swamped by the waves, and we went down with the ship. It just wasn't a very deep lake, thankfully, she added with a grin. But we have our ship back, Zack protested. But we had to rescue our ship, Hannah argued. And now, look around us, she said. It's like we're stranded on a deserted island. We can't even see any other people. It was true that through the heavy rain, they couldn't see far beyond where they were sitting. Zack could see the beach again, but all the people had run for shelter. But we could walk back to them if we wanted to, he argued. And I'll have to go deep sea diving to find my sandals. You're a nut, Zack laughed affectionately. They continued to amuse themselves over whether or not they had been in a shipwreck, until Zack noticed that the two lifeguards had reappeared and were anxiously pacing the shore and looking out across the lake. We'd better let them know that we're safe, he called out. Standing up, he began waving his arms. Hannah did the same. Soon they could tell that they had been spotted. Picking up an extra set of paddles, the lifeguards climbed into a canoe and set off towards them. Hannah was still shaking badly. Keep your blood flowing, Zack told her as he began doing jumping jacks. Following his lead, Hannah joined in and they jumped steadily until they warmed up enough to re-enter the water. With a little deep-sea diving, the sandals and safety kit were easily found. The paddles had washed up on shore. Chapter 17. The Other Camp After the very first day, Jake was certain he had made the right decision. Basketball camp was exactly what he needed to develop the skills that could make the difference next season. It was hard work, it was demanding, but he loved every minute. Everyone woke at seven and did an hour of exercise before breakfast. 
The camp was in a scenic part of Nova Scotia on a lake. The trail that Jake, Jaden, and all the others ran on every morning followed the shoreline. In the early morning sunlight, mist rolled across their pathway. Loons and herons busied themselves catching breakfast in the calm, peaceful water. It was such a beautiful sight. Jake felt like he could run for hours in such a picturesque setting. With a weak ankle, Jake didn't start off as the fastest runner. However, he set his sights on moving up the line from day to day. He aimed to at least match the Blackhawks players. Competitive juices were flowing strong, and he yearned to regain all the muscle power he'd lost in the last two months. Sometimes while he was running on the trails or lifting weights in the training room, Jake thought about what his brother would be doing. He knew he wouldn't be playing in the married versus single competitions that Jake loved, or in any of the three-on-three volleyball games. Instead, he imagined his brother sitting on the hard wooden chairs, listening to one boring talk after another as he slowly became more and more out of shape. I'll be passing him by in every run next week, Jake thought to himself with a smile. Even when Jake thought about the old friends that his brother would be hanging out with, he didn't feel more than a twinge of regret. I don't have to try and pretend to be someone I'm not, he told himself. Zach is probably trying to sound like he knows lots about the Bible and has faith in God and stuff like that. I get to be here with people who think I'm great just the way I am. Sometimes it bothered Jake to think that Hannah might be following Zach around. But then again, he was getting a good number of texts every day from Melissa, since she couldn't get in touch with his twin. We can just trade girls, Jake thought with a dreamy smile. I wouldn't mind at all. After breakfast, the coaches worked individually with all the attendees for an hour on developing their foul shooting abilities. This had always been an area of weakness for Jake, but by the third day, he had gone from a 60% average to 80. Jaden was at 90. What a difference this will make, he thought with delight. Playing center position, he was often fouled. Many times, Brett had told them that games can be won or lost at the foul line. In a close game, the foul shots are vital. In the afternoon, the boys were free to go cliff jumping into the clear, deep water without any slime or leeches. There were many other water activities to choose from, windsurfing, kayaking, wakeboarding. There was even a jet ski. They had all signed up for a turn on the jet ski. In the woods were high ropes, climbing walls, and fabulous trails. Jake was trying it all and having a marvelous time. Not everything was perfect. Sometimes the jokes were crude and Jake was sure from the snickers and looks that a couple of the guys were passing around lewd pictures on their phones. Once or twice, he had overheard the Blackhawks captain whispering about the so-called insulin injections that he gave himself after breakfast, which likely explained his ripped physique. Jake was thankful to have Jaden with him for moral support. Not that Jake was tempted to do drugs of any kind. He had no desire to ruin his body or his life in such a short-sighted way, but he felt stronger in Jaden's company. From what Jake had observed, he and Jaden were the only Christians there, or at least the only ones brave enough to admit it. For the first few nights, Jake was so tired when they crawled into the thin, hard bunks that he fell instantly to sleep. However, on the fourth night, he woke up around midnight. A few of the guys were huddled close together around Trevor, the Blackhawks' captain, laughing rather loudly. They were the same guys that had been passing around the phone pictures. An eerie blue light emanated from the center of the group, and their eyes were focused on the source of that light. Oh, that's so awesome! One of them whispered, although not quietly enough. Go go back again! Whatever it was they were watching on the laptop, they all seemed awestruck by one particular scene. What's up? Jake whispered curiously, sitting up in his bed. 
You gotta see this, man. Trevor said quietly. It's great. What are you watching? Jake asked wearily. His good friend was still snoring heavily in the next bunk. Jaden had been proactive, bringing earplugs and an extra pillow to put over his head. Hellrider! He jumps out of four trucks on his motorcycle! Trevor whispered. Check it out! Hellrider? Jake remembered seeing the movie on Brett's desk. If Brett owned the movie, it had to be okay. It looks so exciting. Eagerly slipping out of bed, he joined the others. Police cars were chasing the motorcyclists, but he drove up the ramp of an empty car transport truck on the side of the road, picking up enough speed to jump four vehicles that had crashed in a pileup blocking the highway. One of the officers tried to follow but didn't make it and slammed into the side of an overturned transport. The rest of the police cars came to a screeching halt in front of the blockage with no choice but to watch Hellriders speed away. Jake took a seat on the bed with the others. This was great. A movie in the middle of the night and no one to tell them to go to bed? It wasn't hard to become fully absorbed until suddenly there was a scene with the girl. That was when he began to feel uncomfortable. What's the rating on this? He wondered. I can't believe Brett has this movie. But Jake couldn't drag himself away even when things got out of hand. I won't watch this stuff anywhere else. He promised himself. I'm only here for a week. Dad would ground me for a year if he caught me watching this stuff. But as Brett says, Dad is rather extreme. Brett must think it's okay. Jake was surprised by the effect the movie had on him long after it was over. He didn't feel tired at all. The sensual feelings the movie stirred up were way more powerful than anything he'd felt before. Not only that, but the next day, as he jogged around the trail and practiced his 101 foul shots, he kept wondering if the guys had any other movies to show or stories to tell. They did. After the lights were off, curtains were closed and almost everyone asleep, the laptop came out and the usual crowd gathered around. Jaden was invited, but he was too tired to stay up, or so he said. Jake was just as happy his friend decided to go to bed. He had an uneasy feeling that Jaden's conscience might be stronger than his own. The second movie was worse than the first. None of the guys with the laptop were the least embarrassed to watch the graphic scenes that flitted across the screen. They repeated the most tantalizing ones. Jake kept telling himself that he'd never do this again when he got home. His conscience burned with shame. Verses ran through his head. He who shuts his eyes from seeing evil, your eyes will see the king in his beauty. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things. The salacious images and the crude wild tales were hard to forget. Jake had always hoped that one day he'd find someone to marry. Up until now, that someone had always been a girl who believed in God and wanted to live by God's morality. Of course, she also had to be pretty kind, intelligent, and fun to be with. However, marriage seems an eternity away. I still have to get through university, find a job, and all that. Never mind the effort it might take to find the right girl. How can I wait that long? Zach and I are probably the only teens in Sterling High, or even our youth group, who haven't tried things out. Do I have to wait? What if I experiment a little, and then confessed my sins and repented? God will always take us back, won't he? Jake didn't realize that inside his heart a monster was arising. Spiritually low, he lacked the godly wisdom to perceive that his thoughts were dangerous. When it came time for everyone to pack up, Jake and Jaden got into a debate with the Blackhawks players over who was most likely to win the Provincials. It was a dumb argument that both sides knew better than to engage in, but it delayed the packing up that needed to be done. 
the Black Hawk's coach stormed in and ended the dispute by demanding his players be in his van in five minutes. Brett still hadn't arrived, so Jake and Jaden were in no hurry. They stuffed their clothes into their bags and shook off the dirt from their running shoes while the other players filed out of the cabin. A text came in from Melissa. Hey, Jake, I'm seriously thinking of breaking up with Shane. He's never around anyway. Do you think I should? Does Zach still care about me? It only took Jake a moment to respond. Sounds like a wise move to me. As far as I know, Zach still cares. But if he ever changes his mind about you, I won't. Love ya. With a smile, he tucked the phone in his pocket. My brother will be happy to hear she's going to ditch Shane. He thought. Lucky Zach. With all the fanciful thoughts he'd been indulging lately, Melissa was appearing more and more often in his dreams. The phone vibrated again. There was a response. Jake, you're so funny. Please tell Zach I miss him. It's nice to know he has a double in more ways than one. You bet. Looking around the cabin to make sure he hadn't left anything behind, Jake spotted something black under Trevor's bed. He stooped to investigate and was astonished to see the laptop. Trevor left his laptop, he exclaimed. Jake stooped over and pulled it out. The Blackhawks have already left, Jaden told him. How can we get it back to them? I guess I could drop it off at the administration building. Dark thoughts entered Jake's heart. Or I could take it home with me and see if I can find his address, he told his friend, all the while thinking. Then I can enjoy it for a week or so, or better yet, I could give it back when we meet up for basketball in November. I'll just say I was keeping it for him and couldn't find his address. Then I can watch all those movies again, as much as I want. I'm sure Zach will love them too. Are you sure you want to take that trash home? Jaden asked quietly. Jake looked up at his friend in surprise. Jaden's eyes were searching. They pricked his heart. Does Jaden know what's on this laptop? He wondered. I thought he always was asleep when we were watching stuff. Unfortunately, Jake didn't have the courage to ask or the motivation to talk things through with his friend and seek advice. Jake wanted the laptop. The beast within was crying out for more. I'm sure Brett will know how to get in touch with Trevor. He told his friend, avoiding his eyes. I'll give it to Brett if I can't find the address myself. Inserting the laptop into his sports bag, Jake took one last look around the cabin before heading out the door. His bag was much, much heavier now. Inside was ample sustenance to feed many monsters and spin his thoughts completely out of control. Seeing it as sensational entertainment, unaware of the poisonous effect it would have in his heart, Jake stifled all pricks of conscience. Uneasy with the decision, but afraid to create a rift in their friendship, Jaden shrugged and silently followed his friend out the door. Chapter 18. In the Heart Uncle George's last class was on covetousness. Zack had seen the title in the program book and had an inkling the class would be on materialism. His dad had often made such a connection. The session began with the warning Jesus had given in Luke 21 about the last days. Hannah read the passage out to the class. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Notice what the world will be like when Jesus returns, Uncle George pointed out. Jesus doesn't tell us we will have to endure fiery persecution like believers in ages gone by. 
although this is an ongoing problem in some countries. He isn't telling us to pray that we might survive famines and terrible pestilences, although there are believers today in some parts of our world who struggle to find enough to eat. No, Jesus is telling us that the majority of believers will be living at a time of plenty, with lots of wasteful parties and pleasure-filled opportunities consuming their lives. The pursuit of pleasure may be what will keep us out of the kingdom. Jesus says that if we become caught up with our indulgent, busy society, we may miss the signs of his return. We may not be ready. It hit home to Zach. He felt convicted that the indulgent world by which he had been so mindlessly enveloped was suffocating his interest in spiritual matters. He had been willingly oblivious to the signs of Christ's return, which Uncle James had listed in his talk the night before. And I missed that same talk a few weeks ago, going to a dance that left me with a concussion. These verses are a warning to me, he marveled. I've been missing the words of Jesus. I'm not heading toward the kingdom. I'm ignoring the call. I'm running in the opposite direction. Now, I've chosen to talk about covetousness in my last class, Uncle George explained, because I believe this is one of the most serious issues drawing us away from God in our world today especially in our Western world. The problem of covetousness affects rich and poor, old and young, everyone. The problem of covetousness affects rich and poor, young and old, no matter where we live in the world. However, I do feel that in Western civilization, the thorns are much thicker and many more are being choked. Uncle George started with an interesting passage from Ezekiel chapter 14. In that chapter, God clearly told Ezekiel that he wouldn't listen to the men of Judah because they had idols in their hearts. We know the way Josiah combated idolatry when he was the king of Judah. Uncle George reminded them. Josiah went out and smashed every idol to powder. Many of the teens nodded, remembering their study of King Josiah at kids' camp the year before. Uncle George continued. We talked this week about the advice Jesus gave us to combat a problem when it's taking us away from God. Jesus tells us to cut it off. Whether it be an eye or a hand, it needs to be forsaken, blocked, tossed out of the living room window and hurled far away. But how do we get rid of an idol in the heart? Has anyone ever struggled to combat an idol in the heart? The class looked uncertain. Zach wasn't sure what Uncle George meant. What was an idol in the heart? Uncle George read Colossians 3 verses 1 to 5 from the RSV. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things which are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry." He emphasized, On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So what is the link to idolatry in those verses? Uncle George asked. Zach put up his hand. It says that covetousness is idolatry, but I'm not sure I understand why. With his Power Bible computer program on the screen, Uncle George showed them the meaning of covetousness. Covetousness, he said, is the Greek word pleonexia, which means avarice. That is, by implication, fraudulency, extortion, covetousness, practices, greediness. When Uncle George examined the root word, pleonectes, they discovered it had the meaning holding or desiring more, 
That is, eager for gain. In other words, Uncle George said, covetousness is longing for something more, something you want to possess. Displaying the Ten Commandments on the screen from Exodus chapter 20, Uncle George pointed out the last commandment, which was, You shall not covet. God told us not to covet, Uncle George said, and he listed out various things that we are inclined to covet, just to make sure we get the point. What are we told not to covet? Brennan replied, Your neighbor's mansion, his wife, his servants, or his animals, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, what might God add if he was giving this commandment today? Uncle George asked with a smile. The class had many suggestions. Cars, iPods, iPads, Blu-ray players, expensive clothes, expensive pets, luxury cruises in the Mediterranean. The list went on and on. Uncle George laughed. I'm glad you're getting the point, he said. Anything that competes with God and his son for our hearts, our time, and our dedication is an idol. If we're willing to sin to get it, then it's an idol. So we need to ask ourselves, what keeps us from having time or money to spread the gospel and to help those in need? What excuses are we giving for why we can't take part in the preaching efforts or make the Bible class or attend study days? What do we find ourselves thinking about, obsessing over, and crowding out spiritual thoughts? Uncle George gave everyone time to consider those questions and ponder them privately. It wasn't hard for Zach to answer the questions for himself. However, he recoiled at the thought of parting from the things he knew he cherished more than God. Maybe they're okay as long as they don't come before God, he told himself. Maybe I just need to revamp my priorities. Now, a further question to consider. Uncle George continued. Let's say you own a nice sports car, but in order to pay for it, you have to take a second job. With two jobs, you don't have time to do much else than work, sleep, and drive your fast, flashy car. You may decide it is an idol for you. Can you get rid of it? Mm, you could sell it. No, I suggested. You can. Uncle George agreed. You can sell it, give it away, or even smash it or burn it if you have to. It's a physical thing, and it can be physically removed. But what if you don't own a nice sports car, or even have the money to afford one, but you long for one in your heart? What if you wake up in the middle of the night longing for that gorgeous brand new Corvette, or that flashy blue Porsche? What if you find yourself consumed by schemes of how you can make enough money to buy a Lamborghini? Or worse, find yourself thinking of ways to steal one? What will you do? How will you get rid of an idol in the heart? No hands went up. Everyone just looked at Uncle George with blank expressions. They had no idea. He nodded thoughtfully. This is a problem you will face at some point in your life, he told them. Do you think the problem will go away if you decide never to look at car magazines again and avoid going past dealerships? Everyone thought about it. Brennan spoke up. That might help, but you may still see one as you're driving on the highway. We're supposed to flee temptation, Hannah suggested with a shrug. <laughs> Good point, Hannah. Uncle George praised. And we often cite the example of Joseph as an example in that regard. But what if you decide to flee from civilization and live in the remote mountains of British Columbia? Will you no longer have the idol in your heart? Some of the class thought it would go away. Others weren't so sure. My guess, Uncle George said, is that even in total isolation, you may still be thinking about how you can get that gorgeous new Corvette. If it is truly an idol in your heart, you can travel halfway around the world and it will still be on your mind. Any other suggestions? Maybe you should just decide to get it, Zach offered with a smile. Once it's yours, 
then you'll stop thinking about it so much, and you can get on with other things. Uncle George asked the rest of the class whether they agreed with Zack. Some did, and some didn't. However, Uncle George replied to Zack, if you have to give everything you have to get it, then you might find yourselves worrying at night about someone taking it away, or what will happen if you crash it. Or if you didn't have enough money to buy it in the first place, you might be consumed by working to pay for the lease. You might even feel guilty for spending so much time and money on yourself, or, worse yet, if you had to steal it, you might find yourself conscience-stricken and worried that you will be discovered and arrested. Everyone could appreciate the perplexity of the problem. There is a solution, Uncle George smiled. Just tell yourself to forget about it. Noah chimed in. Be satisfied with the old Dodge Caravan that your parents don't want anymore. It has more room anyway. Noah's closest friends laughed, knowing that he had just inherited an old Dodge Caravan. With a nod, Uncle George acknowledged this was a possibility. Paul does counsel us to choose contentment. He agreed. We can read his advice in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Zach skimmed through verses 6 to 10 as they were read out loud. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Uncle George pointed out the consequences of falling into a covetous state and told everyone that contentment was a choice of mind that would help in the situation. However, he went on to say, some idols in the heart refuse to go away, regardless of how we might tell ourselves to forget about them. We may frustrate ourselves for years trying to overcome our fleshly desires by simply telling them to go away. We can't fight flesh with the flesh. Often such a focus on what we want to forget only leads it to lodging more firmly at the forefront of our mind. He paused and looked at the class. There is an aggressive, effective method to overcome an idol in the heart. The class waited anxiously to hear the solution. Beginning with the passage, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Uncle George explained that it is necessary to examine the source of the evil that is gripping our hearts and positively pursue the opposite. He took everyone to Ephesians chapter 4 and led them through verses 22 to the end. There he pointed out that Paul counsels believers to put off the old man by putting on the new man created in Christ. If someone struggles with telling lies, they are to focus positively on speaking the truth. If they are tempted to steal, they are to concentrate on giving to others. If they find themselves swearing or speaking rudely, they are to make an earnest effort to edify others with wholesome words. Anger and bitterness are to be overcome by a deliberate attempt to be kind and forgiving. Ephesians chapter 4 is an aggressively, positively focused plan to combat evil by doing what is good. Now, not all of you will be tempted by the gorgeous new Corvette you see parked on the street. Uncle George smiled, looking especially at the girls in his class. But if your idol is a beautiful mansion, or a wardrobe of fine clothes or other things, you may have a desire to be wealthy. If this is your idol, then listen to what Jesus told the rich young ruler. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. 
overcome the idol of mammon by giving your time and money to a worthy cause in Christ. Some of you, he continued, looking across the whole group, may be filled with desire for your own fame, glory, and honor, or pursuing the perfect, physically fit body. Zach squirmed. Are you bowing to the demands of the world? Uncle George questioned. Are you striving for glory and honor now, before the kingdom? You may gain it for a few short decades, if you're lucky, but Jesus warns that you may gain the whole world and lose your own soul. Choose to be like Moses, who walked away from the seducing opportunity for fame and advancement in Egypt and suffered affliction with the people of God instead. Perhaps some of you are coveting another person. Uncle George suggested. Zach sat up straight. Are you finding yourself sinfully fantasizing about another person? Uncle George asked the class. If you have an imagination that spins out of control in destructive ways, harness your thoughts and efforts to turn that creative energy into something positive and helpful. Be inventive with a new preaching activity that you can throw your creative abilities into. Pray for God's help to edify that person spiritually. Use your imagination to think through ways you might help them or others to do what is right and grow in faith and service to God. It suddenly occurred to Zach how much all this applied to him. He wanted Melissa, and Melissa didn't belong to him. He had never woken up in the night thinking how he could get a gorgeous new Corvette, but he certainly had plenty of dreams about Melissa. Even here at Manitoulin, thousands of kilometers away from Nova Scotia, she was as much in his heart as when he was dancing with her side by side. He began to realize that he was consumed with a number of things in a far more powerful way than he was with God. Was Uncle George offering a solution that would work? Until now, my first goal has been to make Melissa my girlfriend, he realized. Perhaps I need to consider how I can help Melissa and Jaden find the truth and live forever. Maybe I need to use my imagination for a worthwhile project in service to God. Then Zach shook his head inside. Mm, even before that, he told himself firmly, I need to concentrate on becoming a new man myself. How can I encourage others to be baptized and commit their life to Christ when I haven't even made that decision? It's time to change. Chapter 19. Forever, friends. Zack straightened his collar. Looking into the small mirror that Aunt Sandra had hung on the maple tree, he carefully added a little gel to his short, stubby hair. It was the last evening of camp, and as always, there were musical and dramatic performances from all age groups to close out the week. One week was far too short. Zack couldn't believe how sad he felt that it was coming to an end so soon. He wished he could spend his whole summer here with Uncle James and Aunt Sandra, listening to the talks that were changing his perspective, hanging out with Noah and Brennan and even Hannah. That's quite a shirt, Aunt Sandra commented, coming out of the trailer. She was dressed up to go to evening performance as well. Zack looked proudly down at his shiny crimson shirt. It had come through the pummeling rather well. The rip in the sleeve had been expertly repaired by his mom, and since the bloodstains had been almost the same color, there were no traces to be seen. It was still his favorite shirt. Trying to catch the lady's eyes? Uncle James teased, following his wife out of the trailer. He sniffed the air. Nice smell, he exclaimed. Did you use the whole can of Axe? Just trying to keep them mosquitoes away, Zack grinned. 
Right. Uncle James nodded, fully unconvinced. It was with a heavy heart that Zack followed his aunt and uncle to the main pavilion. One week isn't long enough, he told Uncle James, a little surprised by the wave of emotion he felt. I've got to get back here for youth conference somehow. Putting his arm around his nephew's shoulders, Uncle James chuckled. If Alan is driving, I'm sure he'll appreciate your company. Yeah, Zack agreed. He's been trying to talk us into going since January. Noah was saving a seat for him in the pavilion, and Zack took it appreciatively. He looked around for Hannah and saw her a few rows ahead with her friends. Her long blonde hair was a mass of ringlets. Zack sighed. You okay? Noah asked. I just can't believe this is already the last night. Zack moaned. I'm not ready to go home. Then why not stay? Noah asked, as if it was the easiest thing in the world to arrange. My parents would be happy to have you. I'd love to, Zack exclaimed, but I have to work. Jake and I are helping Alan run Uncle Peter's landscaping business while he's in Jamaica. He paused reflectively. But I am planning to come back for youth conference, somehow or other. Yay! Noah cheered. And see if you can stay for the week after as well. Okay. And you're going to choose Dalhousie, right? I probably will. Noah nodded. If I can stay with you. Then he paused thoughtfully and added, you know, Zach, after all the great talks this week, I've been thinking I might just take this year off and do missionary work someplace. I'm finally out of school and free to make choices. I'd like to give a year of my life completely to God. Zach nodded in stunned silence. Noah wants to do missionary work? Noah wants to give a year of his life to God? Really? There were many performances that night, beginning with the youngest classes singing Bible songs and then a play by the intermediates, and finally, the teen choir. When 80 teens squeezed onto the platform to sing the songs they had been practicing all week, it was by far the largest age group. Zack found his place in the choir behind Hannah and tweaked one of her long golden ringlets. She turned and gave him one of her fully enchanting smiles. Zack smiled back. Hannah was looking quite spectacular. The teens' practice was more than evident, and not one song was boring. In fact, Zack had been surprised by how much he had enjoyed the experience. The title of the final song was Here at Last. It was a glorious piece of music that climaxed with a chorus rejoicing over the return of Jesus to the earth and the change we will undergo when we are granted immortality. As Zach sang with the others, he felt another wave of emotion. What's wrong with me? He wondered. I'm becoming an emotional basket case. All week long, he had been practicing the very same songs, but only now did he truly feel the impact of their meaning. We will all be changed, in a moment grasped in time, he sang with all the others. In the, in the twinkling of an eye, the dead shall all arise at the trumpet's final call, when God is all in all. Zack actually felt as though the sentiments in the chorus were his own. Tears were welling up in his eyes. He really wanted to be there when Jesus returns and grants everlasting life to the believers. This meant something to him. It was in his heart. How did one week change me so drastically? He asked himself. The campfire was blazing up into the dark night sky as Zack followed Noah and Hannah. Since the evening program had lasted longer than usual, and there had been an ice cream social afterward, the teen devotional was late in starting. It was almost eleven o'clock. You and Noah should talk your parents into coming out to Nova Scotia this summer, Zack told Hannah. They haven't been back for years. They must miss everyone and the ocean. I'll try, she smiled sweetly. I know they miss everyone. We all do. 
Maybe if something big was happening, like a study weekend, or a preaching campaign, or even a baptism, they consider making the trip. Zach looked over. He couldn't miss her meaningful glance. There just might be a baptism, he said with a smile. Unless, of course, the candidate fails the interview. Hannah looked up excitedly. You? she asked. One of the Bryant twins. There was only one Bryant twin that wasn't baptized. Hannah was elated. We could get baptized on the same day, and then we'll be twins, she said eagerly. With a laugh, Zach tweaked another one of her springy curls. Maybe, he said. It was an interesting suggestion. He liked the way his friendship with Hannah encouraged him to live for God. Picnic tables surrounded the campfire, and Zach motioned to Hannah to sit beside him. She didn't need any convincing. All the teens crowded in, and Noah and Brennan joined them on the table. Uncle Mark, who was Hannah and Noah's father, was giving the devotion that evening, and he had brought his guitar. To begin with, they all sang their favorite campfire hymns. Zach noticed that Uncle James and Aunt Sandra were across from them, singing along in the shadows. He remembered that this was what Aunt Sandra said she loved best about camp. Looking up at the stars, he sang with the others. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Zach felt closer to God than he ever had felt in his life. I'm ready to commit my life to you, Lord. He prayed. I thought I was missing out on all this world had to offer, but now I realize that what I truly want is right here with you. All that I've been chasing after is soon to be taken away, judged, destroyed, and your son is coming back to set the world right. I want to be there with him. I want to help cleanse the earth and bring this whole world to see and know your truth. Heavenly Father, please help me to change. Please help me to remember all this when I get back home and not to set up idols in my heart where you belong. Uncle Mark stood up to give the devotion and everyone fell silent. The crackling fire could be heard distinctly. A whippoorwill cry echoed across the nearby lake. Using his flashlight to see his notes, Uncle Mark spoke about discipleship and what it really means to follow Jesus. He impressed on all of them what love Jesus had shown in giving up his life completely for the salvation of others. He reminded everyone of God's love in giving his Son and providing a way for believers to have their sins forgiven and to come boldly unto the throne of grace. And remember, he told them earnestly, that Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Uncle Mark then talked about counting the cost and realizing that to follow Christ is to make a decision to give up one's life now to serve God and his Son. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? Serving God is a very serious commitment, Uncle Mark said. Because God wants our whole heart, soul, and mind. He's not interested in a half-hearted response. Now, I want you to look around at everyone here tonight, Uncle Mark said to the group as he came to the conclusion of his thoughts. You all have good friends back at home, where you will be heading tomorrow. Some of them may be in the truth. Some may come to the truth through you. But I want you to value the relationships you've made this week. These are your forever friends. Zack looked around at all the faces in the flickering firelight. My forever friends, he mused. These are the friends you hope to live with eternally in God's kingdom, Uncle Mark went on to say. Value them. Help them. Don't lose touch with each other. Don't let them go. Noah put his arm around Zack. 
In a sudden outpouring of affection, Zack put his arms around Noah and Hannah. Forever friends, he whispered. Hannah looked up with a smile, and then she likewise put her arms around Zack and the girl sitting next to her. In a matter of seconds, the whole group had embraced each other in the circle. Even Uncle James and Aunt Sandra were included. Uncle Mark smiled and nodded his approval. Encourage each other throughout this next year, he told them. Tell your friends to hang on to God's promises. Don't allow each other to be swallowed up by the cares of this life or the pleasures of sin for a season. But stand strong. When Jesus returns, we want him to find faith on the earth. We want him to find that persistent faith is in us. Don't give up. They all bowed their heads as Uncle Mark gave a prayer to end the evening. Uncle Mark prayed for all the young people. He prayed that God would keep them safe on their return home and strong in faith through the upcoming year. Zach felt tears build up behind his eyelids. He was glad it was dark. When the prayer was over, many of the young people stood up to leave. The group hugs slowly dissolved, but Zach didn't want the evening to end. Seeing that it was past midnight and past curfew, most people were retiring to bed. Hey, do you have a cell phone? Noah asked. A smartphone, actually. But it's at home, Zach replied, hoping Jake was taking good care of it. Thankfully, Noah didn't ask why he had left it at home. He just said, I'll give you my number before you leave tomorrow, and then we can text each other. That'd be good, Zach agreed. He looked over at Hannah. You can text me, too, she smiled. Okay, Zach said. So, both of you need to give me your numbers tomorrow, and maybe we should do emails, too. That means you both have to be up at seven o'clock to to say goodbye. There was a catch in Zach's voice, and for a moment, he didn't trust himself to say anything more. We'll be, we'll there. be there, they assured him. Hannah touched his arm. Good night, Zach, she said reluctantly. Uncle Mark had his flashlight in hand to guide her way back to the campsite. Zach nodded and swallowed hard, but he didn't say anything. He wasn't ready to say goodnight to anyone. Goodbye was going to be even harder. Chapter 20. The Decision Following Uncle James and Aunt Sandra back to their campsite, Zach wished he could talk to someone. Uncle James? He said meekly. I guess we need to get our sleep tonight for the big trip tomorrow. Uncle James looked at him in a puzzled sort of way. We will need to be up early, Zach. He began to say, and then he looked more closely at his nephew's face. You okay? Zach didn't speak. He just shook his head and shrugged. Uncle James laid his hand on his nephew's shoulder and motioned to his wife to carry on to the campsite. Stopping to give her husband a kiss, Aunt Sandra said goodnight to both of them and made her way down the road with her flashlight in hand. What's up? Uncle James asked as they walked slowly out to the large playing field. It seemed so long ago that they had watched the stars on that very first night. Just as before, it seemed to Zach that the sky was teeming with millions of tiny, twinkling lights. There was no one else on the field. Around them, in the shelter of the trees, a few lantern lights shone softly while families got ready for bed. Uncle James, this week has changed my life, Zack blurted out emotionally. Unwanted tears began running down his face. I don't know what's wrong with me, he tried to explain to his uncle, embarrassed. I have no idea why I'm crying. It's okay, Zack, his uncle assured him calmly, rubbing his back. Concussions can lead to a heightened emotional state, but it's just you and me here, and I understand. Waiting for his nephew to gain control, Uncle James was quiet for a while before he asked, 
Why has your life changed, Zach? I came up here wishing I'd gone to the basketball camp with Jake. Zach explained with a shrug. And, and now I, I don't want to go home. I don't want to go back to being the person I was. And I'm worried that I will. Up here, I can see that the return of Jesus could, could be very soon. <laughs> Maybe before the provincials, university, and, and all the other cares of this life that drag me down. I'd forgotten how great my friends are here and how much I care about them. How much God's plan of salvation is, is so much better than anything the world offers. Oh, I forget so easily. I always lose touch with my friends here, and I need them. I need them, Uncle James. I need them to help me remember what's really important in life. Well, what do I do? Sitting down on one of the large rocks that lined the playing field, Uncle James looked up at Zack thoughtfully. What do you want to do? Zack paced back and forth. I want to be baptized. I need to be baptized. But I'm worried that I'll get back home and be sucked right back into the way I was before. Zack! Uncle James exclaimed with surprise, standing back up to give him a hug. That's wonderful to hear. You want to be baptized? That's great. The hug was warmly appreciated. But, but what if... Zack pondered uneasily when his uncle sat back down. What if when I get back home I feel differently? What will make you change your mind? Uncle James asked. Rubbing his short hair with his hand, Zack contemplated the matter. Girls, basketball, being too busy. He listed. In what way? I just forget about the long-term view of it all. I get wrapped up in the here and now, and before I know it, other things have crowded God out of my life. So what's made the difference this week, Zach? How have you come to this new perspective? Zach thought long and hard. I guess getting away from everything, he replied. And all the great talks on the Bible. He paused and then added forcefully, It sure helps a lot to have good friends. Uncle James considered the matter. It's good for all of us to get away from the pull of the world. He agreed. Up here, whether we've come to listen or not, we're spoon-fed. God's word is poured into us in this calm wilderness with no worldly distractions. That spirit word can take root in our hearts. Looking around, Zach had to agree. The camp was a wilderness, rugged, natural, quiet, and isolated from many of the tempting sights and sounds that modern civilization brings. But Zach, his uncle continued earnestly, God's word isn't restricted to the wilderness of the desert. God can reach you anywhere if you give him your ear. You felt his power this week, even though you might have been initially resisting. Imagine what God will do for you if you willingly choose to open your heart to him. True. Listening to God is the first important step, Zach. Uncle James encouraged. Making a commitment to him is the next. You know, then, that you won't be on your own. God will be doing all he can to help you win the battle. But you may need to adjust your priorities. You know how hard you've been training to win the provincials. If you want to keep this new perspective and grow in Christ, you'll have to ensure that every day you're getting your spiritual food and your spiritual exercise. That will be vital to grow. Like prayer and reading? Praying, reading, studying and finding ways to live for Christ. It takes time and commitment and thought. It may mean giving up other things. Giving up other things? Zack sighed. What would they be? He wasn't sure he could give up anything just yet. 
Here at Manitoulin, it had all been taken away from him. Giving things up willingly would be much harder. Uncle James, that's what worries me, Zach confessed. I'm not sure I'll be able to do that when I get home. Uncle James looked up at him thoughtfully. Pray about it, Zach, he encouraged. Let God show you the way. I think you're ready to make this decision. God will be on your side. The conversation went on much longer. It was late when Zach and his uncle finally headed to the campsite to sleep. Zach crawled into his sleeping bag with a new resolve that he felt confident he could sustain. He had asked Uncle James to make all the necessary arrangements for his baptism once they got home. Following his uncle's advice, he had decided he would set aside a time every day to work on the youth conference study, and aside from his job with Eden Tree, everything else would have to revolve around his new goals. If he met up with Melissa, he planned to share his hope with her, but that was it. He wasn't going to try and date a girl who was pulling him away from God. I'll invite her to my baptism, he thought sleepily. I'll invite her and Shane and, and Jaden. I'm going to focus on trying to share God's truth with Melissa, not winning her as my girlfriend. He groaned and rolled over. It was easy enough to set such goals, but he still wasn't sure how it would all pan out. As he lay in the dark, listening to the breeze blow wistfully through the trees, the crickets chirp quietly in the bushes, and a bloodthirsty mosquito hover outside his tent window, Zach was very thankful for his uncle. Uncle James agreed with his new perspective. He understood that dedication to God was more important than winning any basketball game or getting the best marks in math. I think Brett understands that perspective, too, Zach reflected, remembering how considerate Brett had been about the basketball camp. But considerate isn't the same as encouraging, he decided. I think Brett struggles just as much as I do to keep godly priorities front and center. He's a fantastic basketball coach, but he may not be someone that will give me the best spiritual advice. Chapter 21. Goodbyes. Zach paced back and forth in front of the washroom block, hoping Noah and Hannah would show up before he had to leave. Uncle James was still showering. The plan was that when he came out, they would be leaving. They had 12 hours of driving ahead of them that day, which would only take them into Quebec, and that was only halfway home. The van was already loaded up and left running. Having jump-started the dead battery once already that morning, Uncle James didn't want to risk losing the charge. Looking at his watch, Zack saw that it was five to seven. Surely his friends would be coming soon. He wondered if he should go and wake them up. Hey, Zack, mumbled a weary voice. Turning around, Zack saw Noah. He was wearing his pajama pants and a large gray hoodie. Two tired eyes peered out from under the hood. Flopping against Zack, he gave him a heavy hug. Goodbye, my friend, he said. But God willing, in a few short weeks, we'll meet again. Either here or in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, Zach pondered, realizing that Noah was hoping Jesus would return very soon. He clapped his friend on the back. Thanks for everything this week, he said. You have no idea how much you've helped me. Noah looked at him in a puzzled way. Helped? He questioned, and then he smiled. Oh yeah, I taught you how to fish. 
and how to flip a canoe. You did. And that charbroiled chicken was amazingly charred. They both laughed. Zack! A girl's voice rang out. I'm so glad you're still here. Zack's heart skipped a beat. Only six weeks ago, he had thought that Melissa was the only girl in the world for him. Now he wasn't so sure. He turned in the direction of the voice as Hannah came running up to hug him. She was dressed in similar attire to Noah, except that her hoodie was purple. My alarm didn't go off, she laughed as they embraced. I planned to be up an hour ago. I would have been so upset if I'd missed you. At this point, Uncle James came out of the washroom looking fresh and clean. Ready to go, Zach? Called out. Zach nodded and then turned to his friends. Okay. Contact details, everyone. He passed them his information on slips of paper. Noah took the piece of paper from Zach and handed him a small piece of birch bark with his cell number and email address scrawled across it. It was barely readable. Would you like to decipher this for me? Zach teased. Noah read it out for him extra carefully. Hannah handed him a folded note. Read it later on your trip, she smiled. And this, she added, placing a white quartz rock into his hand, is treasure from the shipwreck. Laughing, Zach clenched his fingers around the rock. There were many white quartz rocks on the beach, but this one was going to be extra special. He looked into her teasing blue eyes. It was not a shipwreck. It was a full-scale shipwreck, she giggled. Uncle James opened the sliding door of the van. Aunt Sandra and Esther climbed in. Zach gave Hannah and Noah one more hug each, and with a sad goodbye, reluctantly took a seat next to his sister. Uncle James tried unsuccessfully to get the sliding door shut. After fiddling with the latch and taking directions from Zach about where to find the magic spot that required a hip check, the door clicked tight. Zach and Esther waved out the windows until everyone was out of sight. Then they looked at each other sadly. It's going to be a whole nother year till I see everyone again, Esther said despairingly. We have to talk them into coming out to see us, Zach decided, folding his arms across his chest. I'll work on that when I'm at conference. Lucky you, Esther replied. Only 14, Esther was too young to attend conference. Aunt Sandra liked Zach's idea. We should plan a special week over the Christmas holidays, James, she suggested with excitement. Then we could invite all the kids' friends to come and stay at our lodge. Oh, that would be wonderful, Esther exclaimed. We could have Bible talks at our ecclesial hall, skate on the lake, or cross-country skiing around your house. I'm sure we could fit 40 easily, Uncle James nodded as they reached the outskirts of Minnemoya. He sped up when they reached the main highway. From there, the idea gathered momentum and kept their minds off the sad fact that, with the exception of Zack, they were heading far away from their friends for a long period of time. At noon, Uncle James and Aunt Sandra turned on the radio to hear the news. On Manitoulin Island, they'd enjoyed shutting out the world for a week, but now they wanted to catch up on everything that had happened. This just in, the CBC reporter was saying in a sober, incredulous way. California has been decimated by two major earthquakes overnight. Shortly after midnight, the first quake took place along the San Andreas fault line, only kilometers away from the city of Los Angeles. Measuring 8.5 on the Richter scale, the earthquake decimated the city. Los Angeles has been declared a state of emergency, with hundreds of collapsed buildings and many freeways destroyed. Eight hours later, a second quake with a magnitude of 6.3 occurred 100 kilometers off the coast of San Diego. Tsunami warnings are in effect all along the coastline, and evacuations are taking place immediately. There is no word yet on how many people have been killed, but estimates are in the thousands. James, this is unreal, Aunt Sandra exclaimed. 
Uncle James looked over anxiously at his wife. When is your brother getting back? I don't know. I'm sure Lori was going to be in San Francisco this weekend. As they cruised along the highway, Zach listened intently to the conversation in the front seats. He had met Aunt Sandra's brother only once, briefly. Lawrence Carrington was CEO of the Sterling Bank in Nova Scotia. He was an incredibly busy man, constantly traveling from place to place. From what Zach had gleaned over the years, Aunt Sandra often tried, unsuccessfully, to include her brother in her life. He remembered hearing her say that if she had a visit with Lori once a year, she was doing well. Taking out her phone, Aunt Sandra sent her brother a text. To everyone's relief, he texted back to say his plane had been diverted to Las Vegas and he would soon be on his way home. Oh, I'm so thankful, she told Uncle James. Nodding, Uncle James smiled and reached over to take his wife's hand. You're a good sister, Buttes. I just wish you had a more loving brother. Aunt Sandra smiled appreciatively in her husband's direction. That's okay, she replied. God has given me you and your family. I'm perfectly content. As his aunt and uncle engaged in an endearing conversation, Zach gazed out his window at the ever-changing scenery. He wasn't sure why Aunt Sandra cared so much for a brother who never seemed to have time for anyone outside his business world. While he knew that Uncle James was very supportive of his wife's feelings for her brother, he also knew that his uncle was often frustrated with Lawrence Carrington's lack of response. Choosing to give his aunt and uncle some privacy and uninterested in listening to CBC's ever-falling stock exchange report, Zach looked over at Esther. She was asleep. He pulled Hannah's note out of his pocket. He wasn't ready to have anyone tease him about Hannah just yet. Opening it up discreetly, he read, Zach, I'm glad we got to know each other better this year at camp. I'm going to miss you. I hope you remember to text me. Love, Hannah. At the bottom of the note, her contact details were written clearly in pink ink. Hey, Zach. Uncle James said as they came to a stop at a major intersection. Did you hear that? Hear what? Zach replied. Remember that freak storm that blew through camp during the week? I'll never forget it. Zach thought to himself. But to his uncle, he only said, Yes. They just said on the news that it turned into a massive tornado up north. A trailer park was decimated. What unusual weather we've been having, Aunt Sandra declared as the light turned green and the old Bryant van lurched forward. In the last five years, we've had violent weather all over the globe. What is God trying to tell us all? Uncle James replied. Zach didn't say much, but he felt relieved he was making the choice to be baptized. Fluffing up his pillow, he laid his head against it and tucked the note into his pocket along with the special rock. One week at Bible camp just wasn't long enough. He could hardly wait to come back. Chapter 22. Time to Chat The next morning, when Zach opened the window blind of their small motel room in Quebec, he looked out to see a cloudy grey morning and torrential rain. I'll take the luggage out to the van, Uncle James offered as he finished his complimentary breakfast in the small hotel and turned away from the TV screen. They had been watching the special report on the earthquake in California while eating pancakes and syrup. Tsunamis had reached the coast during the night and caused massive flooding and extensive damage in San Diego and all the way along the coastline. The flooding had halted the rescue attempts in Los Angeles. Video clips of crumbled office buildings and twisted lengths of pavement half-submerged in murky seawater were staggering. 
million-dollar houseboats, cars, and massive luxury liners were scattered like mangled toys across a flooded scene of destruction. Some people were still being pulled alive from the wreckage, but the death toll had reached 2,000 and was climbing steadily. While Zach's eyes were transfixed on the screen, there was a news flash of an upcoming special report on the FIBA Basketball World Cup to take place in Boston in two weeks' time. That would be cool to watch, Zach thought, but Uncle James is already standing up to leave. I'll help you, Zach said, standing up. Thanks, Zach, Uncle James smiled. If you don't mind bringing the suitcases down from our rooms, I'll take them out to the van. There's no need for both of us to get wet in this deluge. In about ten minutes, all their luggage was loaded into the van. However, when everyone dashed from the hotel into the vehicle, they realized that Uncle James was sitting in the driver's seat in very wet clothes. James, you really should change, Aunt Sandra pleaded. Why don't you run in and put on some dry clothes? I'll be all right, darling, he said, reaching over to squeeze her hand. Driving away from the motel, he explained, I don't want to get stuff out of my suitcase. Everything's packed and tight. Just turn on the heat and we'll be fine. Uh, the heat doesn't work, Esther chimed in as they turned onto the highway. This van is very old. James, Aunt Sandra begged. But anxious to get back on the road, Uncle James couldn't be persuaded. As he sped down the highway, the heavy rain created foggy condensation on the windows. It was only a matter of minutes before Uncle James had to turn on the compressor. No one else minded the cool air blowing around since it was such a warm day, but no one realized how cold the air circulation felt to someone sitting in damp clothes. As the others read and discussed the Bible readings for the day, Zach noticed his uncle shiver. However, they were deep in conversation over a verse in Matthew 18, where Jesus says, And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Uncle James asked Esther and Zach to come up with some practical applications of that verse. After all, it had been an important passage in the Bible talks that week. Zach struggled to think of an example that wouldn't impact his life too deeply. Esther was sitting beside him and might remind him later of what he had said. Esther, on the other hand, had plenty of examples and was not afraid to share. Well, for some people like me, novels and magazines are a problem, she admitted. If the things we are reading are causing us to dwell on sinful thoughts, then maybe we have to get rid of those books. If they are in our home, they will always be there tempting us to read them again. Aunt Sandra agreed with Esther and encouraged her to fill the void with books that would be helpful and encouraging. She reminded her niece of the passage in Philippians 4 verse 8 that says, Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Zach was quite happy when everyone forgot that he still hadn't come up with an example. He shrewdly turned their attention to the next few verses about the lost sheep. Uncle James reminded them that when Luke recorded the lost sheep parable, he added Jesus' words, There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. God doesn't want one little one to be lost, Zach reflected, looking at the passage. There is joy in heaven when one sinner repents. This could be me. Is there rejoicing in heaven right now because I'm making the decision to turn my life around? It was powerful to consider that his decision could have an impact above. Then he pondered it all a little further. Are there other little ones that God wants found? Are there other lost sheep? He knew that there were, right in his own youth group back home, and those lost sheep were his friends. Suddenly, Esther remarked, I've got it! Got what? 
It all just came together for me, she said excitedly to Aunt Sandra. Do you remember on our way to camp, we talked about doing good deeds? Everyone nodded. And then you just reminded me that if I give up novels, I should fill the void with good material, which reminded me of the classes Uncle George gave this week. He told us that to overcome evil, we need to focus on doing good. So I just thought that perhaps if we're filling our lives with doing good things for God to say thank you to him for the gift of salvation, it will help us to crowd out the evil that wants to pull us in the other direction. Aunt Sandra and Uncle James were happy to see Esther's enthusiasm. You're thinking it through all right, Uncle James smiled. I like that, Aunt Sandra agreed, reaching over to squeeze Esther's hand. When we fill our lives with service to God, we don't have time to get into trouble. Just don't think that sin won't find its way in the back door somehow, Uncle James cautioned. However, I believe what you're saying is scriptural. Doesn't it say something like that in Galatians chapter 6, Buttes? Aunt Sandra found the passage and read it out. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. There it is. Uncle James nodded. Doing good is sowing to the Spirit, which reaps eternal benefit in our character development and spiritual growth. Sowing to the flesh leads to corruption. A couple of hours later, after Uncle James had sneezed several times in a row, Aunt Sandra insisted that he'd pull over at the next gas station and change. That he did, and they carried on with Uncle James in dry clothing. But the sneezing continued. So, Zach, Uncle James said as they drove along a straight stretch of highway, since you've requested baptism, why don't you and I go over the important things of the gospel message and just see if you're ready? We have a good ten hours ahead of us. Zach was happy to use the time efficiently and took out his Bible. In between plenty of sniffling and a few sneezing attacks, Uncle James quizzed Zach on all the first principal teachings in the Bible. They went through everything that Zach would be asked in a baptismal confession of faith. What causes us to sin? Uncle James asked. Our lusts, Zach replied. Do you ha, ha, <coughs> a passage for that? Zach thought hard. There is one in the epistle of James. What does it say? Looking it up, Zach found the passage in the very first chapter, verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away of his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. That is a really important passage to remember. His uncle nodded, keeping his eyes on the road. That passage also shows us that temptation itself isn't sin. We sin when we give in to the temptation. Pausing first to blow his nose on a tissue that Aunt Sandra had handed him, Uncle James asked, Are there any other places where we learn that sin comes from our hearts? Esther found a few verses in Matthew 15, which said, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Aunt Sandra quoted Jeremiah 17, verses 9-10. to Heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, Yahweh, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. 
Taking it to the next level, Uncle James asked Zach to read Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. He then gave him a challenging question. How did Jesus, in his death, destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil? While they sped down the wide, straight highway towards Nova Scotia, it took a few references in Romans to work out the answer. The book of Romans deals extensively with the problem of sin and death. Looking at chapters 5 and 6, they collected some important points, such as Through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. They found a chapter where sin is spoken of as a king that reigns unto death. Zach discovered verses which say we can choose to be slaves of sin, and earn the wages of death, or servants of righteousness, and be given the gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. Trying to summarize the information, Zach said, It seems that similar analogies are used for both sin and the devil. The devil has the power of death. Sin reigns unto death and pays wages of death. They seem to be spoken of interchangeably. So how did Jesus destroy the devil in his death? Well, in at least two ways, Zach replied. He never gave in to sin during his life, therefore he didn't deserve the wages of death. And when he died on the cross, his human nature died also, of course, and and never tempted him again. He was made immortal when he rose from the dead. I would agree. Uncle James nodded. Jesus' human nature was a source of temptation for him, just as it is for us. Because Jesus never sinned, the grave could not hold him. And now, those who are associated with Christ through baptism can have their sins forgiven. God has determined that his son's faithful sacrifice breaks the hold that sin and death has on believers. Instead of God's creation being destroyed by sin, sin has been destroyed by Christ. The conversation carried on for hours, and Zach wrote down many passages on the back page of his Bible. He asked questions, too, clarifying certain matters that were still confusing to him. Even Esther joined in on the conversation. The time went by quickly, and soon they were crossing into Nova Scotia. Chapter 23. Repentance. Uncle James' cold worsened as they drove home on the familiar highways. Finally, he asked Aunt Sandra to drive while he took a nap. Esther moved up to the passenger seat to talk to Aunt Sandra, and Uncle James slumped into the seat beside Zach. Propping pillows up against the window, he was soon sound asleep and snoring heavily. With a few hours driving left and his uncle in need of peace and quiet, Zach had plenty of time to think. He knew that the decision he was planning to make would require a lot of changes. His relationships with Melissa and his parents would need to change. He had to pull back in his pursuit of Melissa, and he had to change his attitude toward his dad. Lately, he and his dad had become increasingly antagonistic, and Zach knew it was partly his fault for the downward spiral. It's going to be difficult to make changes with my dad, he felt resentfully. It's going to be really hard to admit I've been wrong. I feel like he owes me an apology for treating me like a child and never being around to do anything fun. But I know Mom and Dad are only trying to keep us safe from evil. It's not like they're spending all their time on themselves. Everyone in the Ecclesia seems to need them. They help a lot of people. I don't like the way they're always suspicious of my motives and whether I'm telling the truth. 
but I guess I've given them plenty of reasons to doubt. Deep down, Zack knew that his rebellion had caused his dad to lose faith in his son's ability to make good decisions. Lies and deceit had often seemed a shortcut to freedom, but they had done deep damage to a true open spirit of trust. It's going to be hard to say sorry, he mused. But I know it's something I have to do. God says I need to honor my parents. However, the longer Zack imagined himself asking for forgiveness, the easier it became in his mind. I hope I can do it as soon as I get home, he pondered. I need to start off right, before things have a chance to go wrong. It was late when Aunt Sandra drove up to the twins' home in Sterling, Nova Scotia. Zack's dad was still up and came out to help sort through the luggage and exchange vehicles. Uncle James was very tired, sneezing and coughing intermittently. They said quick goodbyes, and then Aunt Sandra drove off to take her sick husband home. Zack's dad turned to Esther first. Good to see you back, honey, he said cheerfully. Giving Esther a big squeeze, he then turned to hug Zack. As it had been for the last couple of years, the hug seemed distant and forced. Zack felt resentment welling up inside him again. There was no doubt in his mind that his dad loved Esther and that Jake was his favorite son. It made him angry that his dad didn't seem to care for him as much, even though Zack knew he had pushed his father away many times. Hi, Dad, Zack said evenly, returning the distant hug. He swallowed hard. Inside was a strong desire to stay aloof, play it cool, and immediately retire to his room for the night. No, I've got to do this, Zack told himself. I've got to do it tonight. Dad, I need to talk to you, he mumbled. His father looked surprised. Right now, Zack? It's one o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I know. Zack sighed. Maybe. He argued with himself. It can wait till tomorrow. Night, Dad! Esther called out, heading up the stairs. We had a fantastic time. I'll tell you all about it in the morning. Night, Esther! Zack's dad said affectionately. I'm looking forward to a full report. I'm sure if Esther wanted to talk now, Dad wouldn't complain. Zack thought unhappily. You need to talk to me, Zack. Yes, I do. His dad motioned toward the living room, and they both sat down on the mismatched couches facing one another. What's up? He asked. Is something wrong? No, Zack replied. I had a great week at camp. Even such a simple admission was difficult at first. However, it spurred him on. I guess it's what I needed. A chance to get away from everything and time to think. The talks were great. My friends were great. I wish I could have stayed there for the rest of the summer. If you want to go back out, Zack, we'll find a way. There was no mistaking the loving support his father was willing to give him. Maybe apologizing wouldn't be so hard after all. I'd really like to go to the youth conference, Zack said. I know it's a lot of Bible study, but I think it will be good for me. I think I need it. There was a happy, surprised smile on his father's face. Zack, I'm, I'm pleased to hear that, he said. Let me know if you need any assistance. Thanks, Zack replied gratefully. Now it was time for the tough part. Zack took a deep breath. Uh, look, Dad, he said. I, well, I've made a big decision. No, no a huge decision to, well, to, to change my life. Uh, I'm really sorry for all the trouble I've caused you lately. I was chasing the world. And now, now I want to get baptized as soon as possible. It was rare for Zack's dad to be speechless. For a moment or two, his dad looked at him, his disbelief slowly giving place to joy. 
Zack, he said, standing up and holding out his arms. Moving forward, Zack gave his father a hug. Zack, his father said again with the utmost sincerity, holding his son tight in a warm embrace. I am overjoyed. Mom and I will do whatever we can to help you. This is wonderful news. Thanks, Dad, Zack mumbled gratefully. I'm, I'm sorry for all the trouble I've caused. Holding his son at arm's length, he said, Thank you for your apology. I appreciate it. We have had some tough times, you and I. I'm, I'm sorry for the harsh words I've spoken. Sometimes I've been too quick to react without knowing the full story. That's okay. So have I. You know that Mum and I have felt a lot of anxiety about you, because we love you and want you to be a part of God's promises. I'm so thankful you went to camp. I wish Jake had gone with you. But then again, I wish we'd all gone. There was a deep look of concern in his father's eyes as he spoke of Jake. Zach was surprised. Maybe he'll come to conference with me, he suggested. He needs to get away as much as I did. I hope you can talk him into it, his dad said in a dubious tone. What's up with Jake? Zach wondered. Was something wrong? Chapter 24. Catching Up Hey, Zach, you getting up for work? Is it that time already? Zach groaned, rolling over and pulling the pillow off his head. Sunlight was streaming into their disheveled bedroom. Suitcases and camping gear still needed to be sorted out and put away. Squinting, Zach looked up sleepily at his brother. Jake was looking down at him with impatience in his hazel brown eyes. He was already dressed in tattered jean shorts and an old red t-shirt. We're supposed to meet Alan in half an hour. We've got all the lawns to cut today. Zack skipped a shower and headed out to the car with his brother, carrying a bowl of cereal. So, was it good? Jake asked, after Zack had given thanks for his morning meal. Fantastic, he replied as Jake backed out of the garage. Really? What was so great? The talks really made me think. A lot. That was probably the best part. I've decided to get baptized. Seriously? Jake replied, turning out of the driveway and onto the main road. Whoa, I sure didn't see that coming. That's amazing. Zack nodded as Jake accelerated quickly. I know. My life is going to have to change. I told Dad about it last night. I want to get baptized as soon as I can. Cool. Jake's excitement seemed feigned. Shoveling in a spoonful of soggy cereal, Zack looked over at him with a puzzled expression. How's Brennan and Noah? and all the rest. They were totally disappointed you weren't there, especially since I couldn't play sports. Noah and Brennan were counting on one of us playing in the volleyball tournament with them. Jake nodded slowly. Yeah, that would have been fun. Hannah was disappointed too. Zack added guardedly. He spooned in another mouthful of cereal. Jake laughed. <laughs> Did she follow you around all week? Hannah's a really nice girl. Zack replied evenly. Looking away. Nicer than Melissa? Jake asked, trying not to sound too hopeful. By far. Was his brother's surprising admission. By far? Jake echoed. He suddenly realized he was way over the speed limit and took his foot off the accelerator. Zack decided he'd better not say too much about Hannah. There was only one Hannah, and he didn't want to share. 
I actually got really close to everyone this year, he said. And then he added sadly, I didn't want to come home. I'm planning to go back out for the conference. I'll ask Alan about getting a ride today. Jake, we have so many good friends that go to that camp. Friends that believe the same as we do. You need to come too. You'll love it. What? We can't take more weeks off work. Who's going to help Derek run Eden Tree when Alan's away? Zach shrugged. He hadn't thought about that. Yeah, maybe you're right. He moaned. But then suddenly he had an idea. Hey, maybe Jaden will help. The idea was a good one. Jaden was a good worker, and he had been unable to get a job for the summer because he had been so busy fundraising for his mission trip to Uganda at the end of July. Jaden was planning to only be gone for a week, and the twins knew he would be keen to make some pocket money when he returned. Sometimes we're just too busy, Jake. We haven't been taking time for God. Jake looked at his brother strangely. It had always been his job to admonish his younger brother, not the other way around. After all, he was the older brother, not only naturally, but spiritually. He knew he should feel happy that his brother had this radical change of heart, but didn't. He felt resentment and anger. You don't sound like Zach, he said with a skeptical tone. I hope I don't. I want to change. Zach paused to slurp down the remaining milk from the bowl. So how was your week? I'm really glad I went, Jake exclaimed. There's nothing like training with professional coaches. I learned so much, and now I feel like I'm in better shape than ever. My ankle is completely fine. I'll have to fill you in on some of the new plays. We learned this amazing press break. I'm going to tell Brett all about it after work today. And you should see Jaden shoot foul shots now. He hardly misses, ever. And I'm up to 80% average myself. Envious feelings were leaching into Zach's heart. He knew it was going to be hard to hear about the basketball camp and all that Jake had experienced. Heavenly Father, please help me, he prayed silently. Don't let me get swallowed back into this again. One night we had a captain's meeting, Jake went on to say. All the captains were invited. I wish you'd been there. I can't remember everything, but it was really important stuff about leading a team. Like what? Well, we watched some videos of actual NBA games, and the coaches pointed out the difference that some of the captains made to the team. Positive captains kept everyone's head in the game, even when things were going bad. A bad captain can defeat the morale of the whole group if he lets himself get down. Good leadership can make the difference between winning and losing. Yeah, I can see that. So, if you and I keep up our confidence next season, regardless of how the game is going, we can make the difference in a close game. We can affect the morale of everyone for good. I guess that's true with leadership in any situation. Yeah, perhaps. Jake mumbled, wondering where Zach was heading with such a comment. Then it dawned on him, and he quickly pushed the thought away. I have two new things to show you when we do our workout tonight. He added rapidly. They really help with jumping and making your shots. It's fun. You'll like it. How am I going to fit in a workout in Bible study? Zach was asking himself. Noah had told him to do it as soon as he got home, but that's when he and Jake always worked out. There was supper and the family Bible readings to fit in as well, and he didn't really want to be jogging around town in the dark. Oh, I can be flexible, he told himself. I'll do my workouts with Jake as usual. And my Bible studies in the evenings. Sounds good. Zach smiled. I, I do feel out of shape. Uh, but since I'm going to the conference, I have to get the workbook done in the next five weeks. So every night I'll be working on it till I go to bed. Are you serious? Jake replied. 
Checking his speed, he slowed the car down again. You could do it with me, Zack suggested. I'm on summer holidays, bro, Jake complained. I don't want to be sitting at a desk studying all night. I get enough of that in school. They were both quiet for a few minutes. Zack tossed his bowl and spoon on the floor in the back of the car, and Jake concentrated on making a left-hand turn at a busy intersection. You might want to leave yourself a spare evening every now and again, Jake said with a mysterious smile. Turning onto a side road, Jake proudly told his brother, I picked up a loaded laptop at the basketball camp. One of the guys forgot it in the cabin, and I found it. Shouldn't you be trying to contact him and let him know you have it? I don't know his last name yet, Jake replied in a nonchalant manner. We'll see that when basketball season starts up again. I'll give it to him then. What's it loaded with? Fantastic movies. Movies? Great movies. And make sure you keep it a secret. If I keep the laptop hidden, then you and I can watch it anytime we want in our room. No more waiting till mom and dad are out of the house. Amazing, was Zach's initial response, and then he began to question. Do I really want to go behind mom and dad's back again? Is it right for us to keep someone else's laptop? How will I ever stick to my resolve with a loaded laptop in our room? Zach felt uneasy. The thought of trying to focus on Bible study while Jake was lying in bed watching a cool movie seemed incredibly daunting. Anyway, Zach added as they reached the first place on the lawn mowing schedule, I'm going to invite Melissa and Shane and Jaden to my baptism. Think they'll come? Maybe. Jake replied, parking the car. Melissa has been texting me a lot since you've been gone. Half the time she's wondering what you're up to. She told me to tell you she's breaking up with Shane, and she misses you a lot. Really? Zach said slowly in a rather stunned way. It wasn't the excited reaction Jake expected. He hoped it meant Zach wasn't interested in Melissa anymore. Jake wanted to put his brother's feelings to the test. Maybe his brother was willing to switch girls. Melissa wants us to see Colorado with her. It's this new movie that just came out. She's heard it's really good. Looking sideways at his brother, he added, um, But I guess you're going to be too busy doing Bible study. Zack swallowed hard as he got out of the car. It was his first day back from camp, and already he was facing intense pressure to forget changing and revert back to living for the pleasures of the moment. Melissa was breaking up with Shane? She was missing him? This was going to be harder than he thought. Could he handle sitting alone at home while Jake took Melissa to the movies? He lashed out, What's up with you, man? You should be happy that I've changed and try to help me stick to it, not do everything you can to knock me back down. Jake was surprised by his brother's outburst. I'm totally happy for you, he exclaimed angrily, just as Derek and Alan pulled into the driveway with the garden trailer in tow. Why would you think I'm not? But you don't have to become a fanatic just because you're getting baptized. Alan and Derek stepped out of the truck, greeting the twins with a hearty hello. They ambled over to help them take the lawnmowers off the trailer. I heard you're looking for a ride to conference, Alan said to Zach. I got three spare seats. I'm happy to take you. Jake, too, if he wants. I hope you don't mind, though, if we stay for the week after conference as well. That would be amazing, Zach grinned, feeling encouraged. I'd love to stay on. Noah invited me to stay at his place. Who's going to run Eden Tree? Jake retorted. Derek has a friend who's been doing landscaping this summer. Alan told him. I said we'd give him a couple of weeks off in September if he'll do our customers while we're away. But we're back at school in September. Jake protested. It might be tricky. Alan agreed. But I figure for two weeks we can all cram in working three hours every night and all day Saturday. 
and I have a couple of university friends who will gladly do some extra work if we need them. I'm sure Jaden would love some work. Zach added. Yeah, Jaden's a good guy. Alan considered. Don't worry about it. We'll manage somehow. Jake thought through the options. One week sure made a big difference for Zach. I'm probably in need of a spiritual boost myself. Maybe this is my second chance. But then he shook his head. I'd consider it, he told Alan. If there wasn't so much Bible study to do first, I'd never get through it in only five weeks. Sure you could. Alan encouraged him. It took me about 50 hours. If you do about two hours a day from here on in, you'll get through it easily. And you can always finish it off on the 24-hour car ride to camp. Filling his mower with gas, Jake shook his head again. I'd have no life for the rest of summer. What you'd have, Alan persisted, is a lot of help from God in transforming your mind. I've learned so much from that study. If we did it together, it would be fun, Zach suggested. As Jake pushed the mower up and down the sloping hills of the estate, he thought about what Alan had said. Maybe this is what I need, he thought. Maybe I'm not feeling anything because I'm not making any effort to seek God. But I've got to stay in shape, he argued. That week at camp was great, and I want to keep up my training till the season begins. Plus, Melissa is showing some interest. I don't want to bury my head at home for five weeks like Zach is planning to do. Plus, I wouldn't have time to watch movies. It was one last thought, however, that clinched his decision. If Zach and Alan are going to be away for two whole weeks, they'll be missing out on making almost a thousand dollars. That's a lot of money. Alan weed whipped around the trees, Derek looked after the gardens, and Zach mowed the lawn. Zach was thinking hard about his brother's comments. Am I becoming a fanatic? He considered. Yeah, probably announcing that I'm going to be doing Bible set every night sounds that way. But if I want to go to youth conference, which I do, I really have no choice. It's the only way I'll get it all done. He sighed with regret. <sighs> Had I started when Alan first told me about it, it wouldn't have been so hard at all. I wasted so much time with that musical. It was after five when they got home from work. Jake was anxious to show Zach the new workout. They changed quickly, grabbed a banana and a yogurt, and headed outside. I hope you found something to improve our vertical, Zach said, inhaling the contents of the yogurt container in one gulp. Sure did, Jake exclaimed. We had a guy at camp who used to play in the NBA, and he coached Canada's national men's team, too. I asked him for the best jumping exercise. Really? Zach said, impressed by the qualifications. What did he say? It was profound, Jake teased. He said that the best thing to do to strengthen jumping muscles was to jump. Whoa, that's deep. Seriously, though, I'll show you what he made us do, Jake said, flinging his banana peel into the garbage can. He took up a position on the paved driveway under the basketball net. Jump and touch the rim ten times, he said, hurling himself off the ground. And then we'll run up and down the little hill over there, then nine jumps in a hill run, then eight all the way down to one. The boys eagerly started the drill. By nine jumps, their legs were aching. My legs are killing me. This better work, Zach complained. It will, said Jake. My vertical improved by five centimeters in just one week of camp. After the last hill run, the boys collapsed in the grass to catch their breath. It had been all Zach could do to keep up to his brother. As he lay panting on the grass, he hoped Jake's next drill wouldn't be so intense. I've got the best shooting drill you've ever seen, Jake boasted. It's called 33. Once he had recovered a little more, Jake grabbed a ball and took his position along the baseline facing the net. So, you start here, Jake began, jumping in place just beyond the three-point line that they had painted on the driveway. You shoot and follow through to get your rebound. 
Making the play, Jake grabbed the ball after it swished to the net and said, That's three points. Running back to where he started, Jake faked the shot, took one hard dribble, and nailed a two-pointer. That's another two points, he told Zach. Go get your rebound again, and the last shot is a layup. He returned to where he started, up-faked, and then drove hard to the hoop and laid it in. The layup is only worth one point in this drill, he said as he caught the rebound. Jake took his position at a 45-degree angle from the basket, still beyond the three-point line. Now we do it all over again from here. Finding the bottom of the net with his three-pointer, he missed his two-pointer and dunked the ball hard on his layup. So that's ten points for me so far. The next spot is from straight on, and then you repeat the same thing from the left side. Jake continued the drill, making most of his shots. Zach razzed him for missing a left-handed layup. After finishing the baseline drive, Jake was at 24 out of 30 possible points. So why is the drill called 33? Zach asked. Because you finish with three foul shots. Jake hit all three easily. Wow, you've been working on your free throws, bro. Zach marveled. So, I got 27 points. Jake said. That's three off my best score at camp. Now it's your turn. Zach had difficulties on his first turn, trying to remember when to shoot, when to fake and drive, and where the position for each shot was supposed to be. He only scored 18 points. That was awful. He moaned. Don't worry. Once you get it, you can just shoot away without thinking. That's the key. The camp coaches were always preaching. Don't think too much. Just let it flow. The boys played 33 until their mom gave them a 10-minute warning. It was almost time for dinner. Although they never beat Jake's high score from camp, they enjoyed themselves immensely. Zach felt the drill had good potential. Next time we should bring a stopwatch and time ourselves as well as keep score, Zach suggested as they took positions on the grass for 10 minutes of strength training. Great idea, Jake exclaimed between push-ups. The time could be the tiebreaker in case we get the same number of points. Yeah, and let's keep track of how we do each day, Zach puffed, trying to keep up with his brother. I'm going to make 33 one day, he thought to himself. This is really good. Chapter 25. Taken Down. Alan had to make a trip to the plant nursery the next morning to pick up some new trees for a customer. He told the twins to sleep in and meet him for work at noon. The boys enjoyed the late start and the time to eat a larger breakfast. As they stood around the stove waiting for the bacon to crisp up, Zach asked Jake to send two very important messages to Hannah and Noah. The first message was, Hey, it's Zach. How's it going? Got back from camp safe. How about you? It wasn't long before a message came back from Hannah. So good to hear from you, Zach. I'm hoping to get baptized in two weeks, God willing. What about you? Unsure of what to say, Zach asked Jake to text the second number with a similar message. This time, there wasn't an instant response. Walking into the kitchen, the twins' father turned on the nine o'clock news. The lead story was about the potential collapse of the United States economy. Trillions of dollars in debt, the reporter was saying. The economy has reached its breaking point. All non-essential services will be shut down in two weeks' time. Expect long delays at the border, hospitals, and any government office. Consider alternative methods of shipping. Postal backlogs will get out of hand. For the foreseeable future, military spending has been slashed. The U.S. will defend its own borders only. That fits nicely with Ezekiel 38, their father commented. 
The young lions watch the northern invasion and are powerless to respond. Perhaps the financial crisis is the way that God intends to tie their hands. Zack and Jake looked at one another. A financial crisis in the English-speaking world sounded unpleasant. They hoped their father was wrong. Sitting down at the table with a cup of coffee in his hand, their dad said, I was talking to your Uncle James last night, Zack. He says he had long talks with you on the way home, going over all the important teachings of the Bible. He feels that you're ready for baptism. Can I be baptized this Sunday? It's good to see your enthusiasm, his dad chuckled. But why don't you give it a month or two, and just make sure this isn't a rash decision. Making a commitment like this to God is something you want to be very sure about. Dad, I'm absolutely sure, Zack replied firmly, flipping the bacon. I've done a lot of thinking about it, and I know I'm ready. You're ready to give your life, your heart, and your mind to God? You're ready to be a new man in Christ? I am, Dad, Zack nodded. I know, I know what this commitment means. That's why I've taken so long to make it. Following Christ isn't the path of least resistance, you know, but it's the path of least regrets. Zack finished with a smile. Not having seen the gradual change in Zack during the week he had been at Bible camp, Andrew was a little skeptical. However, after questioning him concerning the new way of life for a disciple in Christ, Zack's unwavering responses persuaded his father that his son's change of heart was sincere. They both agreed to aim toward a baptism in two weeks' time. Hannah's hoping to be, Hannah's hoping to be baptized then as well. His dad looked puzzled. Hannah Vandenberg? Yes. Zack smiled, taking the bacon out of the pan. Hannah Vandenberg, Noah's sister, Esther's good friend. Is that right? His dad said with amazement. Wonderful. Hannah is a really nice girl. And, um, b- by the way, Dad... Zack added, suddenly remembering. Noah might be going to Dalhousie in September. If, if he doesn't choose to do missionary work instead, could he board with us? Of course. That would be really nice for you and Jake. Great. Zack exclaimed with a smile. Can you let him know? He asked his brother. Jake sent another text to the non-responsive friend as Zack cracked eggs into the frying pan. My dad says you can stay here if you go to Dalhousie. Noah might be coming here? Jake thought to himself. Uh, That will change things. After his father had made a few phone calls to arrange for Zack's interview and probable baptism, the boys sat down to eat breakfast. Zack was munching on a perfectly crisp piece of bacon when his mom entered the kitchen. How's James? She questioned her husband quietly. No better. His dad remarked with a serious tone. He couldn't talk long on the phone. It was aggravating his cough. Sandra says he'll be off work again today. She's going to take him to see the doctor this afternoon. Oh, good. He probably needs a dose of antibiotics. Zack could tell his parents were rather concerned that Uncle James had a cold, and he wondered why. Who worried about a cold in the middle of summer? It would soon be over and gone. With Jake's help, he sent a text to Hannah. Hey, sounds like I might be baptized the same day as you. We'll be twins, she texted back. Jake looked up to see the smile on Zack's face. He really likes this girl, he thought. What did I miss out at camp? Is Hannah really better than Melissa, by far? With a laugh, Zack told Jake to type, Sweet. It was sweet. It was moral support. The only drawback was that now there was no chance that Hannah and Noah would be coming out to Nova Scotia to see his baptism. Oh well, he shrugged. Alan and I will soon be back in Ontario. The next three days passed quickly as Zack diligently followed his new routine. Get out of bed in the morning, pray, 
work for Eden Tree till five, come home, do the new workout with Jake, eat dinner, do the bowel readings with his family, and then sit down to do the youth conference book for two to three hours. It was a very busy schedule, and Zach's legs ached from the drills Jake was putting him through. But the study on Job was more interesting than he had anticipated. He had always wondered about the Satan in the book of Job, and now he was finally taking the time to investigate. It's so strange, he thought, because after the first two chapters, Satan disappears from the record. In fact, in the rest of the book, all the calamities that come upon Job are attributed as coming from God. Who is this Satan? Did he have any powers of his own? It seems he has to get God's permission to do anything to Job, and God takes responsibilities for all the affliction Job suffers. He thought it over carefully. I know that the Hebrew word Satan means an opponent or an adversary, and sometimes it's even translated using those words. Maybe I'll find something there. Looking up the Hebrew word Satan, Strong's number 7854, Zach scrolled through all the places 7854 appeared in the Old Testament. The first passage in the listing was one where a divine angel stood in Balaam's way as Satan, or as it is translated in the New King James, as an adversary against him, to keep Balaam from sinning against God. In the next passage, David was referred to as being a possible adversary to the Philistines. Several other passages in the listing were clearly human adversaries, and some were ambiguous. So, Satan is someone who opposes, or is adversarial, to another, for good or for bad, Zach considered. The angel that stood in Balaam's way was a Satan for good, as he stopped Balaam from going to Balak without God's permission. But in the New Testament, Jesus calls Peter Satan because he was trying to talk Jesus out of giving his life for the world. Turning back to the book of Job, Zach considered the various suggestions he'd heard for the identification of Job's Satan. Was Satan a divine angel that wanted God's permission to test Job's faith? There certainly are other incidents where angels are involved in bringing calamity on the earth and testing the faith of believers. Or was Satan another human being who was jealous of Job? Was he one of the three friends? Or maybe all three of them? After all, it was the words of Job's friends that caused Job to charge God foolishly, not the afflictions. And God rebuked only the three friends at the end of the book, not anyone else. Or maybe... Zach thought... Maybe the answer lies in identifying the sons of God who were with Satan in the opening chapter. While he was looking up other places where the phrase sons of God appears in scripture, his mum came into the kitchen where Zach was studying. She was talking to someone on the phone about an event and began leafing through the calendar. Zach was distracted. He couldn't help noticing the circled dates of the musical. Seven weeks had passed since the final performance, and although he didn't know it... There were only four weeks left until, until life would change forever. Remembering back to the performance, Zach thought to himself, Everything revolved around the musical back then. Nothing else mattered except putting on a great show and getting Melissa's attention. Jake thinks I'm being fanatical with Bible study, but at least this new routine is helping me to let go of the old life and, and change things around. If I had as much free time as Jake, I might be fanatical about something else, like like I was before with Melissa and the musical. Where did that get me? Beat up and running away from God. He flipped through the unfinished pages. He had only just begun, there was still a lot left to do, but Zach was determined he would be going back to Manitoulin Island. For the first week and a half, Zach worked in the kitchen so the light wouldn't keep his brother from sleeping and his brother wouldn't distract him from studying. However, on Wednesday night, the night just before his baptismal interview, 
Esther decided to make up for two weeks of Miss Piano practice all at once. So Zach picked up his books and went to his room. Mm. Jake was lying on his bed reading a scary-looking novel. A pair of evil eyes looked through a keyhole dripping with blood. How can you study for so long? Jake asked his brother after a while. It's like you're back at school. Zach looked up reproachfully. Jake was certainly not supportive, and Zach found his brother's hostile reaction strange. Where's the brother who used to encourage me to try harder? Jake has always been the good son, the one making the right decisions. Sure, he has a few areas of weakness, but for the most part he's always led in a good direction. Is he taking a summer break from God? This is way more interesting than schoolwork, Zach told him. I'm finding all these cool links to the life of Job. Did you know that almost everything that happened to Job was part of the curse that God said he would put on Israel for their disobedience? There are so many links back to Deuteronomy 28. It's almost like Job is a type of the nation of Israel. Listen to this comment. Zach proceeded to read a few lines from the workbook with excitement. The book of Job was likely written near the end of Israel's wandering in the wilderness, perhaps around the same time that Moses proclaimed the words of Deuteronomy 28 to the nation. This prophecy stated that Israel would be blessed for righteousness and cursed for disobedience. While this held true nationally, it could be misunderstood on a personal level. With all the allusions back to Deuteronomy 28, Job's friends seemed to have been well aware of the prophecy and made incorrect deductions. They concluded that if someone were struck with calamity, it demonstrated the person had sinned. The greater the calamity, the greater the sin. In looking at Job's suffering with this mindset, they were convinced that he must have been the worst of sinners. God worked with Job and his friends to demonstrate that this was not a fair assumption to make toward Job or anyone else that suffers. Regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in, we must always speak right of God. Jake felt uneasy with his brother's enthusiasm. How can Zach be so turned on by the Bible? He wondered. It was one thing to choose to do the right thing because you knew it was expected of you. But Zach seemed strangely excited about it. Jake couldn't imagine ever feeling so excited about the Bible. Since his baptism, he had led dutifully, if somewhat grudgingly in spiritual matters, but never with enthusiasm. Instead of being encouraged by his brother's change of heart, Jake felt only guilty and resentful. Why isn't Zach as passionate about basketball and the championship anymore? He wondered. Why isn't he still crazy about Melissa? Why didn't he even ask what my new novel is about? How come he hasn't started reading Green Diamonds? I gave it to him before he went away. How could one week make such a difference? Would I be this excited about the Bible if I'd gone to Manitoulin? Maybe I should go to the conference. Maybe it would change me. He looked at the thickness of the workbook Zach was writing in. It's so much work. He sighed internally. This is my vacation. And I'm already hours behind what he has done. I could never catch up unless I took the next two weeks off of work. I can't imagine spending two weeks at a desk in the summer. So... Do you mind if I take Melissa to the movies? Jake asked in a nonchalant manner. Like, I don't want to move in on your girl or anything, but if you're not interested in her anymore... She was never my girl, Zack reminded him uneasily. Are you sure she's actually broken up with Shane? No, but she plans to. Shane's been working all summer, and he's heading off to university in the fall, all the way to Ottawa. Besides, she's asking us to go to the movies with her. Uh, I don't think she's the kind of girl I should be interested in. 
or you either, Sark replied, rather resentful of Jake's interest in Melissa and feeling a little concerned for his brother's well-being. Do you really want to get pummeled by Shane? Shane's out of the picture. Maybe, and maybe not. Pulling the phone from his pocket, Jake sat up in bed. While Zach seemed to be disengaging from his pursuit of Melissa, Jake's plans were revolving around her more intensely every day. He couldn't stop thinking about her. Had he been at Bible camp that summer, he might have realized he was setting up an idol in his heart. He might have considered positively pursuing the opposite. Hey, Melissa, what's up? He texted. Not much, was the instant response. So when's our movie date? Friday night? Sounds good. Is Zach coming? No, he'll be doing his Bible study instead. What? Zach has changed in a major way. Can you give him a message from me? Sure. Jake shared the message that came in for his brother. Zach, what's with you? I hardly hear from you anymore. Colorado is a fabulous movie. You can't miss it. Please be there tomorrow night. Love, Melissa. Zach tried to read the previous messages, but Jake snatched it away. What did you tell her? Zach wanted to know. I just made a movie date for Friday night. She wants to know if you're coming. And what are you going to tell Dad? Zach questioned, knowing, just as well as Jake did, that their parents would not be impressed with such a date. Uh, I don't know. Jake fumbled irritably. Maybe I'll say I'm going to see Jaden for a few hours. So you'll lie. Jake looked perplexed. I'll come up with something, man. It might not be an outright lie. But why are you worried about lies? You lied about prom and about... Yeah, but that was before I realized I needed to change my life. At that moment, Jake heard his mom calling his name. He left to see what it was that she wanted. Zach sighed and rested his chin on his hand, wondering what he should do. It was very tempting to join his brother for a movie date. But I'm trying to change my life. He thought. A date with Melissa could set me back in a major way. What if she gets all cuddly? And I'd have to lie to mom and dad, which I don't want to do anymore. His eyes focused in on the white rock that sat on his desk, his treasure from the shipwreck. He picked it up and examined it carefully. Jake returned in a few minutes with a laundry basket of clean clothes. Tell Melissa that I'm sorry, but I have other plans for Friday, Zach said. I really don't think you should be going either, he told his brother earnestly. Melissa's beautiful, she's charming, and she's wild. For guys who want to do what's right, she's not going to be helpful at all. Jake was amazed his brother was finally admitting what they both knew well. I can't believe Zach isn't interested in a date with Melissa, he thought with astonishment. He really must not be interested in her anymore. Sitting down in his bed to text the message that Zach wasn't coming, Jake was elated. He's giving her up, right when she's showing interest. This just might work in my favor. With a smile, Jake lay on his bed, imagining his movie date with Melissa, while Zach quietly filled in a study chart comparing Job's three friends. Hearing their parents call out goodnight as they headed to bed, Jake pulled out the laptop that he kept carefully hidden away. Zach's been working for quite a while, he considered. I wonder if he'd watch a movie with me now. In the past, they'd done everything together. Zach had always been a willing partner in crime. This turnabout was driving Jake crazy. Think you'd have time to watch a movie with me? Jake asked. Zach hesitated. I was hoping to do another hour on Job, he replied. And then we need to get some sleep so we can get up for work in the morning. Jake noticed the hesitation. The monster wanted company. Uh, okay, well, I'm going to watch one. I'll keep the earplugs in so I don't disturb your study. 
Picking up the laptop, Jake settled himself comfortably against his pillows and turned it on. He looked through the selection of movies, wondering what might interest his brother. He remembered his first introduction to R-rated movies. If I could get Zach to watch just one with me, maybe he'll find them just as addictive. Then maybe he'll be normal again. I feel bad watching the stuff when Zach's sitting there studying his Bible. He looked at the list carefully. Perhaps I should show him Hellrider. Hey, Zach. He called out. Have you ever heard of Hellrider? Turning around, Zach asked. Oh, what's it about? Jake told him selected parts of the storyline. It has the best cop chase ever. You gotta see it sometime. The stunts this guy does on his motorbike are unreal. He'll love it. Curious and feeling badly for turning his brother down so many times that evening, Zach got out of his chair and came over to steal a peek. Starting the movie, Jake said, Just watch the first scene. It starts with him practicing his stunts on the track. It's so cool. One scene won't take long, Zach assured himself. It does sound cool, and I've already worked for an hour on the study. Besides, Jake thinks... <laughs> Besides, Jake really thinks I'm becoming a fanatic. Maybe if I just show a little interest in the movie, he'll stop bugging me so much. Taking the pillows off his own bed, Zack made himself comfortable beside his brother. He was awestruck by the stunts and mystified by the cop's intense pursuit of Lance, the motorcycle rider. Why do they want to catch him so badly? He wondered. Does Lance hold some deadly secret? Has he been framed by someone else? Are the cops corrupt? Uh, just ten minutes more. He told himself a couple of times. This is cool. And suddenly, right in the middle of the most exciting chase, the scene flashed to a darkened motel room where a cop was questioning Lance's girlfriend. Zack was astonished when she started taking off her clothes. Jake, what's the rating on this? Don't worry, Brett has it. Jake assured him. This is the only bad part, and you've got to hear what they say. It's so important. You'll never figure out the plot otherwise. Zack's eyes were transfixed by the scene, but his heart was racing. He heard a noise in the hall and wondered if his mom was up. What if mom comes into our room right now and sees what we're watching? She'll be so upset. Dad would never allow stuff like this in the house. They'd be so disappointed, especially after I've told them I've changed. But it was so hard to tear his eyes away. Jake, we shouldn't be watching this. He complained weakly. You should skip it. You missed it, Jake said reproachfully, backing up the movie so the whole heart-racing scene began from the start. You've got to listen to what they say. Inside, Zack's conscience was telling him that this was bad, that he shouldn't be watching such scandalous scenes. But another part of him was totally enthralled. He'd never seen anything like this before. The new possibilities being suggested made his heart race. If Brett owns this DVD, he told himself, then obviously Brett thinks it's okay. And I'm not baptized yet, he assured himself. I haven't really made a commitment to God. Zack missed the crucial words for the second time and didn't complain when his brother skipped back to watch the whole heart-racing scene again. From that point on, Zack lost all willpower to tear himself away from the movie. I have to find out what happens. I'll do extra study tomorrow night. Jake smiled inwardly. This is more like it. Zack's enjoying this with me. He was introducing his brother to a new brand of excitement, and he was sure his brother would become just as quickly addicted as he had been. Jake had told Zack that there was only one bad scene, but he hadn't been entirely truthful. There were others, and Jake kept repeating, Oops, I forgot about this. As Zack allowed himself to watch, he told himself, I'll never, ever do anything like this again. 
This is a one-time indulgence. I've just got to see how it ends. But Dad always says that the best defense is never to give in for the first time. Oh, just this once. Dad says once you've broken down your first line of defense, you're more easily overcome the next time. Oh, the first defense is already broken. I might as well finish this off. When the movie ended, somewhere near midnight, Zack was just as awake and wired as if it had been in the middle of the day. He tossed and turned for some time in bed, feeling ashamed for the direction his thoughts were going. His lusts were ignited by the images now burned into his mind. One part of him yearned to dwell on the scenes, while the other was disgusted to have them in his head. It was such a paradox. I should have asked Jake what the rating was, he thought regretfully. But I never thought he would suggest watching stuff like this. What's with Jake? I'm surprised Brett owns this movie. I should have walked out after that first bad scene. Then I wouldn't have so much of this in my head. He thought about praying to God for forgiveness, but he felt too ashamed to even begin to approach God when so many impure thoughts were swirling around inside. Only three days ago he'd asked to be baptized, promising his dad that he was ready to stop serving sin and give his life to God. Now he had just invited sin into his heart through the lust of the eyes, and it didn't want to leave. Unable to sleep, Zack finally left his room and went outside for a walk. Jake was sound asleep. A muggy night, it was peaceful and quiet down near the bay. The moon was a bright half-crescent, and the sky was filled with stars. He looked up at the heavens and remembered the beautiful evenings at Manitoulin. With all the light pollution in Sterling, he could only see a small fraction of the heavenly host. I wish I were back at camp, he thought, where there weren't so many distractions and strong pulls in the opposite direction. Zack wandered down to the harbor front. He didn't feel one bit weary physically, but mentally he was exhausted. Walking along the boardwalk, he tried to determine what he should do. He longed to talk to someone about the way he was feeling, but didn't know if anyone would understand. Dad won't have any sympathy, he decided. I hate to think what the consequences will be if Dad ever discovers that laptop. Who can I talk to about this? I wonder if Uncle James ever watched such movies. He wasn't always a believer. But Uncle James is still really sick. I can't talk to him. Standing beside the ocean, listening to the waves surging against the tall wooden piers, Zack thought about the talks he'd heard at Manitoulin. He remembered Uncle George talking about idols of the heart and how they refused to go away. But there is a more aggressive method to overcome idols in the heart, Uncle George had assured them. Be not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Positively pursue the opposite. Zack looked around. There was no one else in sight. Kneeling on the wooden planks, he bowed his head and prayed. Heavenly Father, he began nervously, I hardly feel I can come before you tonight. Please forgive me for filling my mind with those images. I knew it was wrong. I knew I should have stopped myself. But I didn't. I'm struggling to escape from these thoughts. They are raging within me. Please, Father, help me to overcome. Help me to be strong against the flesh and to commit my life to you fully in baptism as I've planned to do. And please, Heavenly Father, help me to help my brother. I realize the force of this evil to tear us both away from loving you and your righteousness. You are holy, and you want us to serve you in holiness. What I watched was the opposite of all that you are. Please strengthen me. Please strengthen both of us to overcome. 
In Jesus Christ's name. Zach prayed earnestly. Amen. Walking home, Zach felt fortified, even though the tantalizing images still pull at his heart. Overcome evil with good was a verse that kept coming to mind. There was no way he would be able to sleep, not yet. Tiptoeing into his room, he looked reproachfully at his brother, sleeping soundly in bed. Why would you knowingly invite me to do wrong? He whispered. Picking up his workbook, he was reminded of the way Job's three friends had been even more effective at bringing Job low than all the afflictions heaped upon him from God. Jake, he mused, you've become like a Satan to me. Walking out of the room, Zack felt his self-righteous indignation had suddenly been turned upside down. A panicky feeling washed over him. I used to give Jake such a hard time about every spiritual choice he made. I used to go on and on about all the fun I was having away from God. Was I a Satan to him? Were my actions responsible for where he's at now? I need to help my brother. Chapter 26. Alone. Is there a reason you're sleeping at the kitchen table? Zack Stad remarked in surprise, entering the room still wearing his pajama pants. Jake's already showering. Wearily, Zack opened his eyes. His neck felt stiff from sleeping on a Bible. His head pounded. He looked at the clock and grimaced. It's ten to eight. I've got to be at work by eight-thirty. It's going to be hard to function on only three hours of sleep. I'm pleased with the decisions you've been making lately, his father said proudly, realizing Zach had been working on his workbook. You're really taking this study seriously. Are you enjoying it? If you only knew what decision I made last night, Zach thought with shame. I'm loving this study, he said. Let me know if you need any help, his father encouraged. Zach didn't talk much to his brother that Thursday. He wanted to lash out. He wanted to help. And he just didn't know what to say. He needed time to think it over. After work, he had his baptismal interview with Uncle Craig Simons and another older brother in the meeting. It was very similar to his talk with Uncle James. However, Uncle Craig brought in many interesting practical connections to each doctrinal point. Since God is one, Uncle Craig told Zach, we ought to be united in mind and purpose as well. When they discussed the inspiration of the scriptures, Uncle Craig said, Since we know the Bible is the inspired word of God, we need to read it regularly. It's the spirit power that changes our hearts and minds. There were many questions involving a believer's separation from the world, marriage and the Lord, ecclesial activities and responsibilities, politics, and making wise choices regarding the influence of the media. All who heard Zach's confession of faith were satisfied with his knowledge of the gospel message and personal commitment to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Plans were made in earnest for his baptism that Sunday. On Friday morning, as the twins drove into work just after eight, it was already abnormally hot. A heat wave was stretching from Boston all the way up to Nova Scotia, and they knew it was going to be a difficult day out in the sun. Zack still didn't have much to say to his brother. He was still angry that Jake had purposefully talked him into watching Hell Rider. 
Thinking over some of the issues they had discussed at his interview the night before, he remembered one passage in particular. Uncle Craig showed me an interesting passage last night, he told his brother. Really? Jake didn't look over. Yeah, in Romans chapter 1, it lists many things that God considers wickedness, and then says, Who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. What about it? Uncle Craig says we shouldn't take pleasure in watching or reading about sin. Why are you telling me this? Jake, you know why. Turning the car radio up loudly, Jake made it clear this was not something he wanted to discuss. His own conscience was trouble enough. He didn't want to hear it from his brother. Zack knew they needed to talk about Jake's new obsession at some point, but he still wasn't sure what he was going to say or do. He could just be a rat and tell his dad about the laptop, but Jake would know who had squealed. He didn't feel he should break the bond of trust that they had always shared in their relationship. Somehow, he thought, the better way is to convince my brother to stop watching bad stuff. How can I do it if he doesn't even want to talk about it? As usual, the twins spent the day mowing and weed whipping while Derek and Alan pruned and tidied the gardens. It was difficult working in the hot sun. They all had to take frequent water breaks. When Zach and Jake arrived home, they convinced each other to brave the heat and do their new exercise routine. However, after only the second set of rim jumps and treks up the hill, Zach felt sick to his stomach and had to stop. Sorry, Jake, he said. I can't finish today. It's too hot. Walking into the house, Zach was discouraged that he was taking so long to get back into shape. Jake was way ahead of him in everything. He took to Advil, but his head continued to pound. The ice cubes melted quickly in the large glass of water he poured for himself. Their house wasn't air-conditioned. It was difficult to sit down and study Friday evening, knowing his brother had gone to the movies with Melissa. No lies had been told. Jake didn't have to explain where he was going, since his parents had left after dinner to visit old friends. Esther had gone to stay overnight with another family in the meeting. Zack felt very alone. He was sure the movie theater was air-conditioned. At home, they had only fans. It was rarely so hot in Nova Scotia. I could still get there in time, Zack thought. I wonder what the rating is for Columbia. No closer are they sitting. It was hard to fight against the strong magnetic pull to go, to be with Melissa, to see another racy movie. I can't go, Zack told himself. I'm getting baptized this Sunday. I'm making a commitment to leave the world behind. Zack emailed Hannah for some moral support, but there was no instant response. The house phone rang, and Zack ran to pick it up eagerly, hoping it might be one of his friends. It was Aunt Sandra. Hi, Zack, she said anxiously. May, may I speak to your mom or dad, please? Sorry, they're out right now. Do you want me to tell them to give you a call? Please. There was a little catch in Aunt Sandra's voice that gave Zack concern. How is Uncle James doing? He asked. Is he over that cold yet? No, it just gets worse and worse, she replied despairingly. I don't know what to do. He's finished the antibiotics and is a little better, but he seems so hot tonight. I know it's a hot night, but I think he has a fever. Would you know if your mom has a thermometer? I can't find ours. I'll check, Zack told her. The first aid kit in the bathroom was well stocked. He found a thermometer easily. Without a car, Zack was unable to take the thermometer over, but his aunt came and picked it up. She didn't stay long, and her face was lined with worry. She left saying, If your Uncle James has a fever, I'll be taking him back to the doctor Monday morning. Sitting down at the kitchen table, Zack tried to focus his thoughts, but he was having difficulty concentrating. 
Walking around the house in a daze, he decided to check his emails on the family computer. Jaden had sent through an email with an itinerary for his trip to Uganda. Zach looked at it with interest. Building homes for needy widows and orphans in a foreign land sounded like an exciting adventure. He was impressed to read all the ways that Jaden and Isaiah had fundraised for the mission, especially the last one. For a whole week, Jaden and Isaiah had run a mini basketball camp for the novice division. Twenty neighborhood kids had participated. Cool idea, guys. He thought. I love your spirit. There were also emails from his older sisters congratulating him on his decision to be baptized. The oldest begged for the service to be put on Skype so she could watch it happen. Then Zach opened an email from Uncle Peter and Aunt Jessica. It read, Dear Zach, we are so pleased to hear that you decided to give your life to Christ. You are making the best decision ever. We are very thankful God has called you to join his family and find salvation in his son. Your dad says you plan to go back to school for another year, even though you have all the credits you need to graduate. We know that it's very important for us all to consider our future plans wisely. One day, if Jesus still hasn't returned, you will need to have a good job that can support a family. But just in case you're open to taking a year off before you delve into the commitment of college or university, Aunt Jessica and I would love to invite you and Jake to spend a year with us in Jamaica. There's so much that could be done here with the children and teens. Remember the Bible skits that you and Jake used to put on for us? They were so well done and entertaining. Remember the kingdom feast, when you dressed up as the king and your beard kept falling off? You guys are hams. If we had the two of you with us, we could run some vacation Bible camps throughout the year and even set up a youth program. Please give it your consideration. We could really use your help spreading the gospel message in this island country. We'll be thinking of you and praying for you next Sunday. God be with you in your new life walking with him. Love, Uncle Peter, Aunt Jessica, Susanna, Jimmy and Seth. At the end of Uncle Peter's email was a passage in a blue font from Luke chapter 9, which said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? This was the second time Uncle Peter had personally invited him and Jake to help in Jamaica. Interesting idea, Zach pondered but his heart was set on winning the provincials. To leave school and go to Jamaica for a year would require giving up basketball, his friends, and the opportunity to improve his chemistry mark and get his top university choice. However, Uncle Peter's quote caught his eye. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? He remembered Uncle Mark had closed his devotion at camp with a similar passage. Zach closed the emails and went back to the kitchen, intending to get on with the workbook. Sitting down, he didn't pick up his pen. Resting his throbbing head in his hands, he wondered, Could I give up basketball? What if I try to play next season and and get another concussion? Will it be a wasted year of my life? I might not get my top university choice with my poor chemistry mark, but surely I'll get into most programs. My math marks are good. How cool it would be to spend a year with Uncle Peter. Imagine having the freedom to give my life totally in service to God. Maybe God is calling me to do this. But Jake will really think I'm a fanatic. Maybe I could talk Jake into coming. Brett will be devastated. Is Brett more important than God? No, he thought with a deep sigh, sitting up straight in his chair. But I just can't give up next year. I've got to get better grades for university. I've got to think of my future. I'll be missing out on making money working with Eden Tree. 
And Brett is counting on Jake and me to help win the provincials. Dismissing Uncle Peter's appeal, Zack picked up his pen and looked at his workbook. He was on chapter 29. Job's righteousness was a shining example. He is blameless and upright, Zack marveled as he read through the chapter. Job cared for the widows, the orphans, the lame, and the blind. He gave them what they needed and defended their cause. Have I ever looked after anyone that's needy when there's no benefit to myself? Thinking hard for a few minutes, Zack failed to remember any such occurrence. Is that what missionary work would be like? He wondered. Taking a few gulps of water from his tall glass and still feeling slow and sluggish, Zack read through an article his dad had given him on the life of Job. He was interested to read that one of the benefits of Job's suffering was the education of his friends. His friends had misconceptions about God and the way that God worked in the life of a believer. At the end of Job's sufferings, God commanded Job to pray for his friends so that they could have forgiveness for their harsh words and false statements about God. Ironically, the man the friends had condemned in their speeches was the very man God told to pray for their forgiveness. Job was a type of Christ, Zach marveled. He was condemned by the very people he came to save. In the agony of crucifixion, Jesus brought salvation to the world. Zach sat back, deep in thought. What's my responsibility to the world? To, to my friends? He considered. Would God ever use my life for the benefit of someone else? He remembered his decision at camp to help Melissa find truth. He hadn't tried anything since he'd come home. And Melissa wasn't the only friend that needed help. There was Jaden and David and Abby and Jerry. I'm going to phone them all and invite them to come to my baptism, he decided. He phoned everyone, but most of his friends were out and he had to leave messages. The only one who answered his call was Abby, and she was eager to come. I'll be there as long as my parents give me a ride, she told him. Abby was with her parents at their cottage on the peninsula near Sydney, a three-hour drive from Stirling. Generally, she and her family stayed at their cottage all summer long. Zack hoped her parents would choose to make the trip. Turning back to his study, he investigated the references to wisdom in Job chapter 28. Job had asked, But where can wisdom be found, and where is the place of understanding? Job went on to say that wisdom is not found in the land of the living or in the depths of the sea. It can't be bought with even the finest gold. The chapter concludes by stating that only God knows where wisdom is found. Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Following various links to wisdom in the Bible, Zach discovered that true wisdom is an understanding and appreciation that God's laws are vastly superior to our own sense of right and wrong. When he came to Proverbs 4, he read the whole chapter. Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding. Let your heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and live. Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, and in all your getting, get understanding. Exalt her, that she may promote thee. She will place on your head an ornament of grace. Just like Job before he was afflicted, Zach marveled. Because Job loved God's ways, he became renowned as a man of wisdom. When he spoke, people listened, because he spoke and lived the words of God. He read on. Take firm hold of instruction. Do not let go. Keep her, for she is your life. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. 
keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them, and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Keep your heart with all diligence, Zach pondered when he went to bed that night, for out of it spring the issues of life. The decisions I make are made from what's in my heart, he considered, lying on his bed in the dark. It was a very dark night, and a strong wind was blowing. Jake still wasn't home. I need to guard my heart, Zach told himself. I need to keep God's wisdom flowing in. The biggest battle I need to fight is the one inside of me, the battle in my heart. As he lay there, thinking over these thoughts, he recalled a point his father had made during the readings one night. We must be born of water and of the Spirit, he had said. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Jesus' words are spirit and life. It's by taking in the words of life that Christ is formed in us, that a new man is born. It was shortly after three in the morning when Zach woke up to an intense thunderstorm. He was startled to hear someone fiddling with his bedroom window. Slowly, it slid open. Someone was coming through the ground floor window. Shh, Jake whispered with a grin as he landed on the carpet, dripping wet. I don't want Mom and Dad to know I'm home this late. Wearily, Zach looked up at his alarm clock. It's after three, Jake, he whispered back. How many movies did you watch? Only one, Jake smiled with a shrug, pulling off his wet clothes. Melissa wanted to go for a walk. It was great until the rain started. She broke up with Shane, so she's feeling rather lonely. With a quiet chuckle, he added. She asked about you. With a groan, Zach put his pillow over his head. I don't want to hear any more. Wrapping himself in a blanket, Jake sat down on his brother's bed. He pulled the pillow off his brother. Zach, he said. You've got to be honest with me. Zach rolled over. About what? About Melissa. I won't move in on your girl if you still care about her. Seriously. She's not my girl, but of course I care about her. Zach replied passionately. He sat up in bed. Jake, I'm choosing this Sunday to commit my life to God. I'm not going to date someone who doesn't share that commitment, and you shouldn't either. Melissa needs help to find God's truth, but she will drag you down in a dating situation. Come on, Jake. Zach pleaded. You know you would have been telling me the same thing a month ago. Melissa doesn't know that morality matters. Probably not. Jake agreed. But you've had your fun while I've been trying to do everything right all these years. I just want to break free for a bit. Not in any crazy way. I just want to experience life a little. That doesn't sound good, Jake. You had your fun, and I covered for you, right? But Jake, I'm choosing to leave it all behind. And you're already baptized. I can tell you the fun wasn't worth it. It didn't do me any good. It almost took me completely away from God. I'll probably make the same choice as you, eventually. Jake replied evenly, leaving Zach's bed and climbing into his own. Just cut me some slack. Let me find my own way like you found yours. Perplexed and unsure how he should respond, Zach didn't say anything more. However, he felt very torn up inside as he wondered, What does Jake feel he's missing out on? And what's he planning to do? Something's happening to my brother, and it's probably Melissa. Will she go out with him? Zach thought it all over carefully as Jake drifted off to sleep. He groaned. He knew that compared to Shane and the other guys Melissa had dated, Jake would seem like the perfect gentleman. If Melissa fell for me, I guess I shouldn't be surprised if she falls for my twin brother. But what's this going to do to him? It can't be good. Maybe I should involve Dad. Or should I just let Jake figure this out on his own?
Chapter 27 Into the Water Determined to invite all his friends to witness his baptism, Zach made several attempts to contact everyone. His final round of calls included one to Jaden, and this time he was able to leave a message with Jaden's mom. A baptism? she repeated incredulously. Why are you going to all that trouble, honey? Just believe in your heart and you will be saved. Zach had a few passages ready in case anyone asked him that question, and Jaden's mom listened politely as he explained why he believed baptism was essential to salvation. When he called Melissa, he was happy that she answered. Melissa was eager to talk, but rather confused with the concept. While she wasn't in a hurry to end the conversation, Zach found it difficult to explain his decision to someone who didn't even believe God existed. While Melissa wasn't really sure what she believed about the origins of life or the existence of a higher power, she was firmly convinced that such discussions didn't matter. I really like you, Zach, she told him, but I'm not interested in becoming a Christian. There are way too many dumb rules. Zach knew well in advance that Melissa wouldn't be coming on Sunday. He hung up the phone feeling even more worried about Jake's budding relationship with her. He soon learned that some of his youth group friends wouldn't be there either. David's family was away on vacation and Jerry was in Truro for a soccer tournament. On Zach's special Sunday morning, Jaden was one of the first to arrive at the small white Christelphian Hall just outside of Sterling. He was pushing his brother Isaiah in his wheelchair. Hey guys, thanks for coming. Zach greeted them. This is a cool thing that you're doing, man, Jaden exclaimed, flashing a bright smile. I've never seen a baptism before. Gotta say, I'm rather curious. Yeah, Isaiah agreed. Very curious. Mom would have come too, only she's helping out at the food bank this morning. Brett filed in behind Jaden and gave Zach an encouraging clap on the back. I'm so happy to be here today. Glad you're joining the club. Knowing that Zach would be sitting at the front with his family filling the row of seats, Brett invited Jaden and his brother to sit with him. Joining the club? Seemed like an odd statement to Zach. He pondered the phrase as he helped his father set up Skype so that his sisters in Ottawa could watch the service. Once Skype was up and running, he chatted to his sisters while everyone was filing into the hall. Of all his Sunday school friends, Abby was the only one who came. She and her mom walked through the door just after the organ voluntary had begun. Mom drove me here, she whispered quietly to Zach as she slipped into the row behind him. Looking over appreciatively at Abby's mom, Zach said, Thanks. No problem, she smiled graciously. Abby really wanted to come. Sitting at the front of the small meeting hall with Jake on one side and his parents and sister on the other, Zach reflected on how much his life had changed. I've changed because of what I've read and heard, Zach thought. Look at what God's word has done to me. I was rebellious and full of myself, and God reached out and turned me in the opposite direction. Here I am committing my life to him. Today I'm choosing, like Moses, to give up the life of Egypt and all the pleasures this world has to offer. I'm choosing to take up my cross and follow Jesus. Zach pulled out a new notebook and pen as Craig Simons rose to give the exhortation that morning. Uncle Craig, as Zach had always affectionately called him, was Uncle Peter's father-in-law and had taught the twins in Sunday school for the last four years. Completely gray and very lean, Uncle Craig's blue eyes sparkled with conviction. He and his wife were still enthusiastically involved in nearly every outreach activity organized by the Ecclesia. Good morning, brothers and sisters, and a special good morning to Zach. Uncle Craig began. I'm very pleased that Zach is making this commitment to his Heavenly Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. When I first began teaching the twins in the senior Sunday school class four years ago, 
Zack and Jake were keen and capable students. Many times the questions that they asked caused me to go home with more homework than I assigned them. There was some muffled laughter. We had some great sessions early on. And then... Uncle Craig, we called. As time went on, those questions gradually ceased. There were Sundays when I wasn't sure anyone was listening. He paused for a moment. Zack, he said, looking directly at him, I'm so thankful to see enthusiasm in your eyes again. Whatever happened this summer has been for your good, and I'm very happy God has led you to this decision. With a smile, Zack nodded. He knew what had happened. He had finally taken time to listen to God's call. He had finally realized he was a sinner in need of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Jake fidgeted restlessly with the ribbon in his Bible. He was finding it harder and harder to concentrate on Sunday mornings. With all the movies he was watching and the creepy novels he was reading and the Snapchat photo Melissa had sent him that morning, never mind the intense texting conversations, there were too many enticing fantasies pulling him in other directions. He had started sowing to the flesh, and inevitably, and sadly, he was reaping corruption. Master Sin was adding shackles to his willing slave one by one. I'd like to talk this morning about repentance, Uncle Craig said, because that's what baptism is all about. We confess our sin, our need for forgiveness in Christ, and our decision to crucify the flesh and walk in the Spirit. When we do wrong, Craig continued, we usually feel sorry for what we've done. But it's interesting to note that there are two different types of sorry. One leads to life, and one leads to death. Let's read from 2 Corinthians 7, verses 8 to 11. Uncle Craig asked everyone to turn to the passage. He explained that the Apostle Paul had been upset with the Corinthians in his first letter, because they were allowing one of their members to continue in a sinful situation without rebuke. But when a second letter to the Corinthians was written, the Apostle Paul was able to praise them, because they had listened to his warning, were sorry for their wrongdoing, and had changed the situation. Reading from chapter 7, verse 10 from the NIV, Uncle Craig read, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation, and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. It's possible to be sorry for what we've done, but not to change anything in our hearts. Uncle Craig continued. We see it easily in our children. Little Freddy takes a lollipop from the candy jar without asking. If no one discovers his theft, Little Freddy quite happily enjoys the treat. When he is caught and punished, there may be plenty of tears. But are those tears because Freddy is truly ashamed and sorry that he stole? Or is he crying because he got caught and can't have any treats for the rest of the week? Uncle Craig smiled. The test is whether little Freddy steals again the next time he has a chance, or chooses to avoid the temptation. Think of Judas Iscariot. Uncle Craig elaborated. He was very sorry that he had betrayed Jesus. So sorry was Judas for his actions that he cast down the money he'd been paid in the temple, proclaimed that he had betrayed an innocent man, and took his own life. Judas's sorrow is not the kind that will lead us to God's salvation. Godly sorrow leads us to change our heart and behavior. Godly sorrow leads us to confess our sins, ask for forgiveness, and to find help to overcome our weakness. Judas's sorrow was of the worldly sort, which only leads to despair and death. The disciple Peter also betrayed Jesus that same night through his fearful denials. Yet Peter's sorrows led to his humbling and a complete change of heart. He became a stronger man, prepared to proclaim Jesus Christ regardless of persecution. Zack looked over at Jake to share his enthusiasm for the things that were being said, but Jake was staring out the window with a smile on his face. He seemed far away in thought. As Uncle Craig went on to give another example, citing Esau's worldly sorrow over losing his birthright, 
how he sought it carefully with tears, but found no way to change his father's mind, Zack began to wonder what Jake was thinking about. As he did this, he quickly found his own thoughts in places that he didn't want them to be. How could I be thinking these thoughts? Zack chided himself. Here I am, about to give my life to God, and my mind is in the gutter. Taking notes and harnessing his thoughts to concentrate on the words being spoken made a difference. It helped. Uncle Craig then talked about Joseph, the joy Joseph must have felt when he saw his brother Judah's heartfelt distress over Benjamin's plight, the joy of knowing that Judah was now more concerned about their father's feelings than his own. He referred to David's sin with Bathsheba and the months that dragged on before David was fully convicted in his heart that he had sinned and was unworthy before God. Godly sorrow is all about changing hearts, Uncle Craig continued. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20, we are given some good advice. I want to pass this advice on to you today, Zach. From the NIV, Uncle Craig read, My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Don't let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. That's the very same passage I was reading just the other night, Zack realized. How can a young man keep his way pure? Uncle Craig asked, quoting from Psalm 119. By living according to your word. I have hidden your word in my heart, that I might not sin against you. This is the way to change hearts, Uncle Craig continued. Jesus overcame his temptations because the word of God was in his heart. God looks in the heart. He is looking for hearts that willingly choose him and truly love his ways. Let his word live in you, Zach, that he might guide your life, just as he had for your brother Jake. Uncle Craig smiled across at Jake as he said this. Hearing his name, Jake escaped from his daydreams. With a weak smile in return, Jake felt decidedly uneasy at being held up as a good example for Zach to follow. He had been imagining himself driving up to Melissa's house in the bright yellow Corvette that he had seen for sale on the side of the road that morning. Now, what exactly was Uncle Craig saying when he mentioned my name? Today, Zach, Uncle Craig continued, you've changed your allegiance. You are choosing to no longer willingly serve King Sin. Before everyone here, you are choosing to give your life, your heart, and your mind to your Father in Heaven and serve Him. Today you are thankful that Jesus, your Savior, absolutely gave his heart, mind, and life to his Father, providing all of us with forgiveness and showing us the way to live. There will be days ahead when you will fail, days when you will disappoint yourself and your Heavenly Father in the decisions that you make, or the things you do, or don't do. Forgiveness is available to you, Zach. Don't despair or give up like Judas. Don't deny your sin, as David did for months in utter misery. Don't serve insincerely, like Esau, completely despising the great birthright. And don't neglect a dying love in your heart. Nurture it with the word and prayer. Take away the thorns. Confess your sins. Repent and go forward, forsaking the evil way. Zach nodded as he scribbled down the message. He was encouraged. His heart was open to the words. The words might have had an impact on Jake as well if his thoughts had not drifted off again, estimating how much money he was going to make with Eden Tree that summer. After the exhortation, hymns were sung while Zach changed clothes and headed over with his family to the small lake that was within walking distance of the hall. The others followed soon afterwards, setting the laptop carefully on a nearby stump so that his sisters could watch. 
His father baptized him, taking him down into the water, put off the old man of the flesh, and bringing him up a new man dedicated to God. It was a high calling, but Zach knew it was the only decision with an eternal promise of life. His family and several others gave him big hugs when he came up out of the water, and on Skype his sisters were cheering. At the end of the service there was, as usual, a prayer for the brethren, when special requests were made for any brother or sister in need. Zach's dad gave this prayer, and his most earnest request was that God would be with his sick brother James. He asked that he would soon find health and strength to recover, and that Aunt Sandra would be strong in faith. The only sadness for Zach on his day of rejoicing was the absence of two of the most important people in his life. Texts are pouring in for you, Jake told him after the service was over. He showed his brother the phone. All their old friends in Ontario were sending messages to congratulate Zach on his baptism. All his absent aunts and uncles had sent texts as well. Jake was reading the messages with his brother. He pointed out the one from Hannah. It said, Zach, I'm so happy I've made this decision and that you have too. I now know where I'm going in life. We belong to Christ now and for always. Happy new birthday, twin. Love, Hannah. You've got a new twin, Jake remarked. We've been born again on the same day. True. I have something for you, Abby said on her way out of the meeting hall. She smiled and passed Zach a small packet. Zach looked at her with surprise. Several of the older members of the Ecclesia had given him helpful books to commemorate his baptism, but it was a total surprise to get something from Abby. He took the package appreciatively. I hope you'll wear it, she said with a bright smile. If I ever decide to get baptized, I think I'd wear something like this. Then I could tell everyone about it. Peeling back the layers, Zach uncovered a braided leather bracelet. Something was engraved on the rectangular metal plate in the middle. Zach held it up close to see the words, A new man in Christ, it said. Abby, this is amazing, Zach marveled. Yeah, I'll definitely wear it. Thanks so much. You're welcome, she smiled. Seeing Zach fumble to tie it on, Abby offered to help. It was much easier to fasten with two hands. So when are you going to be baptized? He asked her tentatively as she tied the cords. The question came out awkwardly. Zach wasn't used to encouraging his friends in a spiritual way. Looking down, Abby shrugged her shoulders. I have to clean up my act first, she mumbled. I can relate to that, Zach nodded. He paused, but as much as he was unaccustomed to encouraging his friends in spiritual ways, he suddenly felt compelled to try harder. Abby is a good friend, he reasoned. She's been there for me when I needed her. The bracelet was such a kind gift. What have I ever done for her? Nothing, except view her as competition. He gave her a hug. Don't wait too long, Abby, he said earnestly as they parted. Remember, Uncle Craig said it's not about being perfect, you know. It's about being sorry. Come on, Abby, her mom called out from a distance. It's a three-hour trip back. Why don't you come with Alan and me to youth conference? Zach said on the spur of the moment. I had such a great time at Manitoulin. It was so good to see everyone again. I learned so much. It helped me to make this change. Abby sighed. Oh, I don't know. I have a lot planned already. I'm supposed to be going to Brian's cottage with his family that week. In Zach's mind, there could hardly have been a worse excuse. A week at Brian's cottage would pull Abby in the opposite direction. Look, I'll send you the workbook if you send me your email address. I'll help you with it over the phone or, or however we can. You'll love it, Abby. I know you will. I'll send you my email, she said half-heartedly. Turning away to head out with her mom, Abby gave Zach a parting glance. 
Her eyes were troubled, and Zack felt at a loss to help. He was surprised by how much he had already said. Since when did he pressure people like that? But he knew that deep down Abby wanted to change. She just couldn't see her way out of the situation she had chosen to enter. Little did Zack know that he would never see Abby's face again. Neither one of them realized how quickly time was running out. No one did. The door would soon be shut. The opportunity to repent and find forgiveness was coming to an end. Jaden and Isaiah came over and marveled at the pile of books Zach had been given. While their church was very actively involved in the community and helping out all over the world, Bible study was not emphasized. They're expecting you to do lots of reading, Jaden said, picking up a book that caught his attention. With a laugh, Zach told them, If you see anything you like, feel free to borrow it. Until youth conference is over, I'll be flat out studying Job every night. So if it's not about Job, I'll probably won't get to it until the fall. Really? Isaiah looked at the books eagerly. He had a longing to learn more. Jaden examined the book he had picked up. It was called Stormy Wind, Fulfilling His Word. This one looks interesting. It's about historical battles, which I love to read. Sure you don't mind? No, take more if you like. You've got another month of holidays. I'll be off to Uganda tomorrow. Jaden reminded him quietly. But I could use some reading material on the flight. Right, all the best with that. Zack exclaimed. How much did you guys raise for house building? Ten thousand dollars! Isaiah cheered. Are you serious? Didn't you see our picture in the paper last week? Jaden asked. Zack shook his head uneasily. Sorry, guys. I rarely read the paper. But send me a copy if you can. I'd love to see it. Sitting down, Jaden examined the rest of the books and showed some to Isaiah. Many of the topics and Bible characters run familiar, but... Hey, look! He said to his brother. Here's one on Jonathan. My favorite Bible hero. Isaiah beamed. Can I borrow this? Zach laughed. Of course. Looking down at all the books, Zach picked out one that he thought would cover the important teachings of the Bible. You can borrow this too, he said to the brothers. It's about the simple gospel message. I'll be interested to hear what you think about it. Okay, his friend agreed. I'll read this, and then we'll have a discussion. It's about time. Yeah, it probably is, Zach admitted. That night after dinner, Jake handed Zach the confiscated smartphone. Dad wants to talk to you in the kitchen, he said, looking very upset. You're getting it back early. Surprise, Zach took the phone eagerly and headed to the kitchen. I know this is being returned to you before summer is over, his father told him. But I realize the need you have to keep in touch with your friends in Ontario. I just hope that the contacts you make with this device will be as helpful to you in your new walk in Christ as I hope you will be to them. Use it wisely, Zach. It can be a tool for good, but it can just as easily lead to evil. I'll use it wisely, Zach said. Looking serious for a moment, Zach's dad added, I had Jake show me a printout of that phone's texting history. There seems to be thousands of messages sent first by you and then Jake to one particular number. I don't know who that particular number belongs to, but I am hoping it isn't responsible for the decline I've witnessed in both my boys while they were contacting it so frequently. Would you have any opinion on the matter? Melissa has been a problem for both of us. Zach admitted freely. I thought as much. His dad replied. Is there any way I can help? Bible camp helped me. Zach told him. I realize how much I needed good friends. Maybe you can take Jake on a long car ride and, and have a talk to him. He needs your help. Nodding thoughtfully, Zach's dad agreed this was a good idea. I'll see what I can do, he said, and he fully intended to follow through with the plan. 
In the past, fishing trips had been a good option for long private conversations or even a hike along the Ocean View Trail. However, Andrew didn't comprehend the urgency. Like everyone else, Andrew had no idea how close they were to the last day, the very last day before Christ's return. Too preoccupied with finishing the course he needed for September and handling a multitude of difficult pastoral issues in the ecclesia, he was only vaguely aware that his son had been hijacked by King Sin. He had no idea that Jake needed to be saved with fear pulling him out of the fire. Unfortunately, his son's needs were too far down on his long list of priorities to instigate any deep conversations that week. As Zach walked back to his room, he checked his text message history. Very few messages had come through to him after his friends had realized he'd had his phone confiscated. There wasn't a trace of the thousands that had gone out to the one particular number his father had mentioned. The entire history on that thread had been deleted, but the 10-second photo flash and some very intimate conversation would remain in one young man's memory for life. Chapter 28. Bad News All week long, there were predictions that a major hurricane was heading toward the East Coast. Hurricane Kennedy was to reach Nova Scotia sometime by Tuesday. It was classified as a Category 4 storm. Many people, including the Bryants, boarded up their windows. Some tried to be prepared by cutting down dead trees and limbs to prevent them from falling on their houses and cars. Scores of people left the coastal regions and headed further inland. Tuesday night, the hurricane hit. Kennedy was downgraded to a Category 3 when it hit land, but even so, the wind and rain were thunderous. Zack and his family barely slept. Garbage cans rattled down the street, trees groaned and scraped against the house. Every so often, loud cracks and booms were heard as branches broke off and fell to the ground. Huddled around their clock radio, the boys listened to the coastal storm surge warnings and incoming damage reports until suddenly, electricity cut out. Zack's phone alarm woke them up the next morning. The power was off, and it was still raining heavily. Even though it was seven o'clock in the morning, Zack could barely see through the dark gloominess that enveloped them. Trees close to the house were bent over with the wind, and the lawn was covered with water. Broken branches lay everywhere. There would be no gardening work today. As he and Jake headed to the kitchen for breakfast, Zack's cell rang. It was Aunt Sandra. In an anxious tone, she asked to speak to his dad. The boys could only hear one side of the conversation as they set the table for breakfast. From their father's alarmed responses, they gathered that someone was seriously hurt or sick. Uncle James is in the hospital, their father said after ending the phone call. Aunt Sandra took him in last night before the storm hit. She says he's contracted pneumonia of all things. His oxygen levels have dropped dangerously below normal, so they've admitted him, and he's on a powerful antibiotic drip. How serious is that? Zack asked with concern. Uncle James is very special to him. Will he be in for, for a day or a week or what? I wouldn't think there'd be more than a couple of days, his father assured him. They have pretty strong meds to clear up stuff like that. The rain finally stopped late Wednesday night. Thursday morning, the Bryants joined an army of volunteers to clear the main roads. There was a lot of damage all over Sterling. By Friday, the main highways reopened, but many side streets were still a mess of fallen tree branches and flooding. 
When they contacted Aunt Sandra to check on Uncle James' well-being, they found out that while she had finally made it home that Friday morning, so many branches had fallen at Ocean View Lodge she was unable to get up her driveway. I'll see if I can head over there today and clean it up, Zach's dad told his mom. Maybe Esther can help me, and you can spend some time with Sandra and my mom. It sounds like they would appreciate your company, Zach's mom agreed. After they had helped the neighbors cut up and remove a few large limbs that had fallen on their street, the twins' parents and Esther headed to Ocean View Lodge, while the boys headed to work. Almost every Eden Tree customer had trees down. The heavy rain had eroded gardens and lawns. Along the coastline, rogue waves had wreaked havoc inland. There would be no shortage of work for a while. When the boys arrived home that evening, tired, wet, and muddy, their parents had exciting news. Uncle Peter and Aunt Jessica were flying home from their missionary work in Jamaica to see Uncle James and spend time with their family. They'd been planning to get back for a visit anyhow, Zach's mom explained when Zach's eyes widened with the news. They've been gone almost a year now, so it would be really good to see them again. Is Uncle James going to be okay? Zach asked, wondering if this sudden visit meant his uncle was in critical condition. I would think so, his mom said reassuringly. But Zach could tell she was uncertain. Esther was thrilled with the news that little Susanna, Jimmy, and Seth were coming home for a couple of weeks. Hearing that they were planning to stay at the Bryant's Ocean View Lodge, she began thinking up fun activities to do with them. Their favorite was always to go to the beach and hunt for shells, crabs, and little lobsters. However, when the twins had gone to their rooms to change and their parents thought everyone was out of hearing range, Zach heard his dad say to his mom, His heart condition has the doctors worried. The pneumonia is putting more strain on him than his heart can handle. Zach heard his mom gasp. Thomas and Purity are also coming with Peter and Jess. He heard his father say. Even Kara is flying in from Ontario. They should all arrive tonight. Do we need to pick them up? Craig is looking after it. The McKinleys had offered their van so that everyone can get around while they are here. God bless them, his mother sighed. We have such wonderful friends. Now, Zach was alarmed. As fit and healthy as Uncle James looked, he knew his uncle's heart would always be weak after the attack he had suffered years before. It alarmed him that so many friends and family members were coming. Please, Heavenly Father, Zach pleaded earnestly. Don't let Uncle James die. We need him here. Esther overheard her parents' conversation as well. When the twins headed outside to do their exercise routine, she followed. As they did their warm-up stretchers, she asked, Who is Kara? Mom says she's coming in from Ontario. How does she know Uncle James? Knowing that his sister knew Uncle Thomas and Aunt Purity, Zach explained that Kara Lavelle was Uncle Thomas's mother. Likely she's coming here especially to see Uncle Thomas and Aunt Purity, Jake surmised, stretching from side to side. Since they've been in Jamaica for a year with Uncle Peter and Aunt Jessica. She has some connections to us, too, Zach added proudly, because her daughter Verity used to be really good friends with Uncle Peter. Until she died, that is. Really? Esther prodded. Someone died? I don't think I've heard this story. Who? When? What's this all about? Pulling on one hamstring muscle, Jake began to tell the story. When Uncle Peter lived in Ontario, he went to high school with Uncle Thomas, Aunt Purity, and Verity. He first became friends with Verity, and I've heard he was really in love with her. But, but then she died of cancer. When she was only 16, Zach added emphatically, following his brother's lead in the warm-up routine. But she had already found the truth and was baptized, and that led to Uncle Thomas becoming a believer and his mom, Aunt Carol Lovell. And then Uncle Peter became a believer. Jake said with a smile he jogged on the spot, pulling his knees up extra high. Uncle Peter told our family all about the true gospel message. So really, all of us should be thankful for Verity. Just think, 
She was younger than we are while she was searching for truth, Zack exclaimed. Esther sat down in the curb. The grass was still too wet from the storm. She was curious. Okay, so then how did Uncle Peter end up with Aunt Jessica? Isn't she a lot younger than him? Passing a basketball to his brother, Jake replied, Uncle Peter and Verity used to visit the Simons when they were reading and discussing the Bible. So when Uncle Peter first met Aunt Jess, she was just a little girl in their house. After Verity died, Uncle Peter took off to Australia, Zach continued, as he and Jake began passing the basketball back and forth. They were eager to start in their rim-jumping hill-run routine. When Uncle Peter came back to Canada ten years later, Uncle James had just had a heart attack. He was living here in Nova Scotia. Uncle Peter wanted to stay out here and be with his brother. Since the Simons had moved here by then, he lived with them. And that's when he really got to know Aunt Jess. Jake smiled, driving a bounce pass hard at his brother. Zach caught it, faked them out, and gave him a surprise pass behind the back. Esther was thinking it all through carefully. So how long has Verity been dead then? Zach wasn't exactly sure. As he and Jake gave each other increasingly difficult passes, he made a rough estimate. Mm, probably around 20 years. That's a long time, she considered sadly. I really like Uncle Thomas. I wish I'd had the chance to meet his sister. Maybe you will at the resurrection, Zack called out, missing his brother's pass and running to catch the ball before it went on the road. Jake began his rim jumps, and Zack tossed the ball to Esther and joined him. Esther sat and watched the boys for a while as she thought about all the connections she hadn't realized existed. Uncle Peter loves someone else before Aunt Jess, she pondered. And that girl died young. How sad. She was Uncle Thomas's sister. Because of her, our family became believers. When the boys began their third hill run, she went inside to help make dinner. Chapter 29, The Invitation Melissa! Zach called out as he slammed on his brakes. He was on his way to Ocean View Lodge Saturday morning when he saw her. There was still a lot of cleanup to do from the hurricane. His brother Jake was helping Brett with his yard, and Esther and his parents had gone in early that morning to visit Uncle James. Zach hadn't seen Melissa for weeks, and now she was standing on the street corner waiting for the light to turn so that she could cross the road. Swerving right quickly, Zach took the closest parking spot on the downtown street. Melissa pranced over in sparkly high-heeled sandals. With a summer tan and blonde highlights, she looked even prettier than he remembered. Hey, Zach, she called with a merry laugh. I haven't seen you all summer. Never a modest dresser, Melissa was at her skimpiest in the heat. Leaning into his open window, she rested her arms on the ledge. He could smell her sweet, enticing scent. A wisp of her silky hair blew across his face. Giggling, she tucked the stray piece behind her ears. Alluring images flashed across Zach's mind. I can't believe it's been over two months since we did the musical, she giggled again. Zach nodded. Has it been over two months? He exclaimed. Mentally, he calculated that almost ten weeks had passed. Think you'd remember how to do the whirlybird catch? Zach laughed. They had practiced that move more than any other. He had no trouble remembering the steps, but whether or not he could still execute them was questionable. And that was so hard, he recalled. I'd probably drop you if we tried it today. Just for fun, we should give it a try, she suggested with a cute, whimsical smile. Why don't you come over tonight? My parents are away and I still have the music. Zach's heart raced. He would love to dance with Melissa again. She'd be back in his arms. 
All of a sudden, old feelings rushed back in full force. I actually broke up with Shane, she added. He's going to Ottawa for college, you know. Yeah, Jake was telling me. Ottawa is far away. Too far to come home for weekends. Hesitation, Zach looked into her smiling eyes. Melissa was finally free, and now he wished that she wasn't. At that very moment, Zach felt his phone vibrate. He reached into his pocket to check the incoming message and saw it was a text from Hannah. I heard the terrible news about Uncle James. Mom and Dad want to drive out to see him. Maybe I'll see you next weekend, God willing. Please tell him he's in our prayers. Love, Hannah. Zach took a deep breath. Hannah's message gave him strength. I think I'll pass on tonight, he said. I'm working at my grandma's today to clean up from the storm, and my uncle is really sick. He's in the hospital. Changing the subject quickly, he asked, What are you up to? Just hanging out with some friends, she replied, rather surprised by his flat turned down. Walmart has half price on beach towels, so we're heading over to get some. Teasingly, she asked, Do you want one? I already have three. That should do you, she giggled. Reaching over, she touched Zach's new leather bracelet. He let her pull his arm closer. What does it say? She begged sweetly, trying to read it. A new man in Christ, he told her plainly. Is that from when you were baptized? She asked, somewhat unsure of the pronunciation. It is. She nodded uncertainly and then said with reluctance, Well, I guess I should let you get to your job. With a sudden inviting smile, she added, Just text me if you change your mind about tonight. Have a good day, he smiled reluctantly. I should get going. Impulsively, Melissa leaned in and kissed him on the cheek. Goodbye, Zach, she said softly, stepping back. I miss you. Yeah, see you, Zach replied, feeling very torn. The kiss was nice. Is she flirting with me, or is she serious? He wondered, putting the car in gear and waving out his window as he drove away. Did she ditch Shane for me? Is she looking for a long-term relationship, or just a fling? We could be so good together. With his hands on the steering wheel, the new man in Christ's bracelet was easy to see. It was a reminder of the commitment he had made to God. Unfortunately, baptism hadn't taken away any of the old feelings and passions. They were still alive and well. Since his dad and Esther had worked hard the day before to clear the tree-lined driveway at Ocean View Lodge, Zack was able to drive all the way to the garage without any difficulty. He got out of the car and looked around. This was truly his favorite job site. Not only did he love being by the ocean, but he always felt more at home here than anywhere else. It was sad to see so many broken trees and fallen limbs on the lawns. The shoreline had changed shape along the cliffs due to incoming waves, and a lot of seaweed was tangled in the low-lying bushes. I'll clean it up in time, he told himself, but it may take a few days. Glancing over at the purple door, he half expected to see Uncle James saunter out to join him as he so often did on a Saturday morning. Grandma and Aunt Sandra always made sure that he had numerous refreshment breaks and some creative cooking to sample. Since the beginning of summer, Aunt Sandra had started making the best fruit smoothies, and Grandma's cookies were second to none. This Saturday was quite different, however. Uncle James was in the hospital. Although their car was in the driveway, Zach wasn't sure if Aunt Sandra and Grandma were home or not. And instead of the usual mowing lawns and tending gardens, there was a lot of heavy debris to clean up. As he chainsawed fallen trees and stacked the wood alone, his mind kept returning to the images he wished he'd never viewed, and a beautiful face peering in his car window. The encounter had brought it all back, every feeling he'd tried to forget. Melissa was so close. 
She kissed me. Shane is out of the picture. He's moving to Ottawa. Melissa invited me to dance with her. Not to practice for a performance, but to dance for fun. It, it could be fun. Her parents aren't home. We'll be alone. She wants it that way. I could give it a try and see how things go. She'll always love me more than Jake. I know it. I just have to text and say that I've changed my mind. With a deep sigh, Zack knew that to go would be to invite trouble. With the light of God's word in her life, perhaps one day Melissa would come to understand and appreciate the wisdom of God's ways, but that light wasn't there yet. If he was to have any interactions with Melissa, he knew it needed to be fully accountable, in a public place, with other people around. But I've been hoping she'd want me to be more than a friend for so long, and Jake is taking my place. If I go tonight, she can be mine. I'm sure of it. Maybe if I go, I could spend some time talking to her about the Bible. But I know I won't. He thought with despair, dragging a tarp full of twigs to the compost pile. Especially not. He thought. If she starts kissing me again. All it would take was one text. Oh, I hate these thoughts. He exclaimed aloud, dumping the contents of the tarp and shaking it out in disgust. I made a commitment to stop serving sin. But how do I stop my thoughts? But there was no one to answer those questions, and he wasn't sure he would have the nerve to ask anyone had someone appeared. As Zack vented his exasperation, energetically piling up many broken branches on the tarp, Uncle George's solution came to mind. Up at Bible camp, Uncle George had talked about runaway imaginations, especially imaginations that fantasize about other people. Harness your thoughts and efforts to do something for God, Uncle George had counseled. Pray for God's help to edify that person spiritually. Make it your mission to do what you can to help them to do what is right and grow in faith and service to God. Positively pursue the opposite. But I'm so weak and she doesn't want to listen, he thought anxiously. How can I help someone like that? God, please show me what to do. Taking a break from his work, Zach bowed his head quietly to pray, begging for God's help and mercy. Dear Heavenly Father, he prayed, I hate my thoughts. I'm being led astray by my own foolish heart, and I need your help. Please, if Melissa is someone that you are calling, please give me wisdom to know how I can help her. If she's only leading me astray, please give me strength to overcome. I'm so weak. The brief moment Zach spent in prayer fortified his mind. He was able to think things through in a more rational way when he was done. He now felt fully convinced that to go to Melissa's house in such a situation was to embrace temptation. He knew God's advice is to flee, not to make provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. And Hannah and Noah might be coming next weekend, he reminded himself. All of a sudden, he stopped and marveled. How amazing that Hannah texted me when she did. That text helped me so much. Was it providential? He couldn't be sure, but the message had come at just the right moment. What if I hadn't met Hannah this summer? He considered. Or reconnected with my other good friends? What if I hadn't had time to think about where my life was heading and realized that I wanted to turn it around? Where would I be right now? What would I be choosing? He smiled to himself. I feel like God sent me to camp, kicking and screaming, because he knew that's where I needed to be. The thought that God might be watching over him and lending a hand strengthened his resolve. The door opened and Aunt Sandra stepped out with the tray. You're here, Zach exclaimed. Yes, I'm waiting for your Uncle Peter to come by. He's going to come with us to the hospital. 
Aunt Sandra's eyes were full of anxiety when she brought over the ice lemonade. Uh, how's Uncle James? Zack asked. Not good at all, Aunt Sandra said with dismay. Zack was disappointed. He's been on the drip since Tuesday. Why isn't he getting better? I need to go see him. He looked around the yard. There were still many broken branches and limbs scattered on the ground. Aunt Sandra followed his gaze. Why don't you come with us, Zack? She encouraged. Don't worry about the cleanup. Suddenly emotional, her face contorted with grief. In a high-pitched voice, she added, It just doesn't matter right now. Seeing the tears well up in her lovely blue eyes, Zack reached out to give his aunt a hug. He didn't know what to say, but he tried. He'll be okay, Aunt Sandra. He's going to get better. I hope so, Zack, she sobbed. I couldn't. I couldn't bear to. Aunt Sandra could say no more, and Zack patted her back awkwardly as she tried to control herself. Finally, she shook her head silently, gave a little wave, and fled back to the house. About five minutes later, Uncle Peter arrived in the McKinley's van with all his family in tow. Hey, Zack! His uncle called out as he opened the door of the van. Good to see you. It's been well over a year. Looking around quickly at the mess of broken branches, he added, Are you doing this all by yourself? You need help. Greeting his uncle and aunt with enthusiasm, Zack explained that Hurricane Kennedy had brought disaster all over town. Almost everyone is helping somewhere today, he shrugged. When he looked into the back of the van, there were three sets of shy little eyes peering at him. Zack held out his arms with a smile. Hey, who's going to give me a hug? Jimmy and Seth were quick to jump out, but Susanna hung back timidly, holding tightly to her dad. A year was a long time in her short life. She wasn't so sure about Zack. We should get the Eden Tree crew out tomorrow afternoon and help the neighbors. Uncle Peter suggested. There are probably a lot of people who don't have anyone to help them. I'm on board for that. Zack agreed, hugging his little cousins. And I can imagine there are others in the meeting who will join us. Winking at Susanna, Zack held out his hand, but there was no way she was coming over. Uncle Peter picked his daughter up and held her close. Coyly, she turned her little face away and would not look at Zack. Susanna takes a little while to warm up, Uncle Peter told Zack. But when she decides she likes you, you're her friend for life. Isn't that right, sweetie pie? He asked, tickling her tummy. There was a giggle, and two little arms squeezed her daddy's neck tight, but she kept her face hidden in his shirt. She's the most like her mommy, Uncle Peter said quietly with a wink in Zack's direction. Aunt Jessica looked over with an amused smile. You mean the outgoing part, she teased. With a laugh, Uncle Peter pulled his wife close. Definitely the friend for life. Zack carried the two boys in for a quick bite of lunch and then headed off with Grandma, Uncle Peter, and Aunt Sandra to the hospital. Aunt Jessica stayed back to look after their children. Everyone was happy to see each other again, but with all the anxiety over Uncle James, the conversation soon centered on what was happening at the hospital. Are Thomas and Purity here as well? Aunt Sandra asked. Yes. Uncle Peter nodded. We were all on the same flight, but they'll visit later on with Kara. They don't want to overwhelm James with too many people at once. At the hospital, Uncle James was breathing with difficulty when they slipped into his room. He was still hooked up to the IV drip and a monitor. An oxygen mask lay nearby. When Uncle Peter called out to him, he slowly opened his eyes. Beat? He questioned, looking up wearily. He glanced around the room with confusion. You're, you're here? Uncle Peter reached over and clasped his brother's hand. Jess and I have flown back for a visit, especially to see you. I'm sorry you're so sick, James. I'll get over it, Uncle James said weakly with a half smile, but then he went into a coughing fit. Aunt Sandra was instantly by his side, trying to help him sit up and get rid of the phlegm. Zack could hardly believe how raspy his uncle's breathing sounded. 
When the attack was over, Uncle James rested back against the pillows. He looked so pale and weak. Aunt Sandra settled herself on the edge of the bed, and at his request, she placed the oxygen mask on his face. Zack found chairs so they could all sit around the bed. After his bout of coughing, Uncle James didn't try to talk again. He did his best to nod or shake his head as they told him about the various events of the last 24 hours, but soon his eyes began to close and he fell back to sleep. It was disturbing to hear the rattling sound of Uncle James' labored breathing. As the others talked, Aunt Sandra didn't take her eyes off her husband for more than a minute. She clung tightly to one of his hands and Uncle Peter held unto the other. They hadn't been in the room long when Zach's dad joined them. It was his second visit that day. Pete, so good to see you, he called out cheerfully, but the smile on his face faded when he heard James' troubled breathing. Pulling up one of the chairs that Zach had brought over, Andrew didn't voice his deep concern for Uncle James' condition. Even though it looked like his brother was sleeping, there was always a chance that he might be listening. It would do no good to cause alarm. They were all troubled. No one knew what to make of it. Surely Uncle James would recover, but it was worrisome how much worse he was getting. Jake and Esther didn't come with you? Uncle Peter remarked disappointedly. Zach's dad shook his head. With that wild storm we had, there are trees down everywhere. Jake's helping Brett with his yard today, and Esther and Lisa are helping the McKinleys. Everyone will be at Mum's tonight for dinner, though. Uncle Peter nodded. Mum says Jake's spending a lot of time with Brett. Yeah, I thought it was a good thing at the start. You know, it's better to be playing sports and stay active than hanging out with kids in town that have nothing much to do. But now... Zach's dad shook his head anxiously. Well, everything just seems to be getting out of balance. In what way? Uncle Peter asked. Well... Zach's dad hesitated, glancing quickly in Zach's direction. In in several ways. He sighed. Like, like you, Pete, I believe that sports is a great way for kids to learn how to work with others, how to be part of a team. We always try to make sure that we do our part to support the team and, and, and be on time, but the games never came before God. Turning to Zach, his dad asked, Do you remember the year that you and Jake couldn't play because the practice conflicted with Friday night youth group activities? Zach nodded. And you never let us play Sunday mornings. True, but it's been a struggle lately to keep it all in perspective, hasn't it, Zach? But that's because we have a good chance at winning the Provincials next season. Zach spoke up defensively. It's a once-in-a-lifetime chance, Dad. His dad looked helplessly at his brother Peter and said no more. Uncle Peter looked thoughtful. Tell Jake that I'd like to take him out for lunch sometime next week. Maybe he and I can have a chat. Then Uncle Peter looked over at Zach. And I'll help you finish that yard work tonight, he promised. Zach grinned. Thanks, Uncle Peter. They stayed in the hospital room for another hour while Uncle James slept restlessly. When prompted, Uncle Peter told them about the mission work he had been doing in Jamaica. Zach was fascinated. Hearing about his uncle and aunt visiting poor brethren and sisters that lived alone in mountainous places about them putting on puppet plays to teach Bible stories to eager groups of children, hearing about them driving around rugged dirt roads to reach remote villages and visit interested friends. It all sounded like an exciting, life-transforming challenge. Suddenly, a new realization hit Zach. Has it really been Brett I've been unwilling to disappoint? He thought to himself. Or have I only been justifying my own desires? Jesus has done far more for me than Brett. Jesus gave up his whole life to save us. His whole life was consumed with living for God. He never spent any time following his own desires. And Jesus asked us to follow him. Maybe... Zach thought with a heart-wrenching twist. Maybe I could give up my Super 12 year. 
I could leave basketball behind. I could leave my future in God's hands. A year in Jamaica with Uncle Peter will be a chance to positively pursue the opposite of all that pulls me backwards here. I can spend my time serving others and serving God. And it might even be an adventure that I'd like to have. This sounds really exciting, Zach said to his uncle. Maybe I should join you in September. Both his father and his uncle looked up immediately. That would be great, Uncle Peter said. Why do you want to go? His father questioned skeptically. Zack was surprised by his father's skepticism. Shouldn't you be happy that I want to go? His father tried to shed his skeptical look. Sorry, Zack. He apologized. I'm still adjusting to the new Zack. I shouldn't have looked at you like that. It's great that you want to do missionary work, if it's for the right reasons, but you've only just been baptized. It would probably be better for you to grow spiritually and develop here in your own ecclesia first. There's plenty to do here, lots of young people to encourage and CYC classes to give. It just seems to me that it's best to develop with some solid Bible study and commitment at home before heading off to influence others overseas. Feeling a little deflated, Zach sat back in his chair. You feel he needs mentoring? Uncle Peter clarified. Exactly. It's not like he'll be going there on his own. Uncle Peter reminded his brother. True. Zach's father acknowledged. He sighed. Why do you want to go, Zach? He asked his son kindly. Tell me. I want to know your reasons. Is it an adventure you're after, or something more? I can hardly say that an adventure doesn't sound appealing. Zach admitted slowly. The smile on his uncle's face encouraged him to continue. Dad, I've been thinking things over, and I'd like to make some big changes in my life, for good. I'd like to take the focus off me and what I want, and put it on God and what I can give. It's hard to do it here. There's a lot pulling me backwards. His father nodded slowly. No one spoke for a moment or two. I guess you will have your uncle and Uncle Thomas, and there is an established ecclesia in Jamaica. Having thought about the idea for quite some time, Uncle Peter explained the work he hoped to give Zach. He was sure there would be plenty of Bible study, pastoral care, leadership at the vacation Bible camps, and best of all, involvement with the youth conference. Having Zach there, and Jake too if possible, Uncle Peter said, will encourage the other teens to participate. If they can see our teens excited about studying the Bible and living their life for Christ, it will help to motivate them to become more involved. Andrew listened carefully to his brother and seemed to warm up to the idea. I'm not trying to discourage you, Zach, he told his son. I do believe there's a lot of good you can do right here in Sterling, and plenty of teens that need encouragement. But I understand that helping out in Jamaica could be a really positive experience. I'll support your decision, whichever you choose. Before anything more could be said, Uncle Thomas and Aunt Purity arrived with Thomas's mother, Kara. There were affectionate greetings all around once more, and then the others decided to leave. Uncle James was still sleeping, and Aunt Sandra wouldn't be lonely now with all the newcomers. Chapter 30. A Talk with Uncle Peter. The sun was just beginning to set when Zack and Uncle Peter headed outside that evening to finish the cleanup. Aunt Jessica had made a fabulous meal, and all the family members that were able to come enjoyed it. Uncle Thomas and Aunt Purity had come to dinner as well, along with Uncle Thomas's mother, Kara. Now Aunt Jessica was reading her children a story before they went to bed, and Zack's dad was driving off with a plateful of food to take to Aunt Sandra. 
Everyone understood that Aunt Sandra wouldn't be leaving her husband again until he was well on the road to recovery. Surely he'd be better soon. Uncle James was in the best place possible, and they all felt fairly confident that with prayer and good medicine, he'd be home in a few days. Before the cleanup began, Uncle Peter and Zach walked around the gardens. Uncle Peter gave his nephew tips that would help the plants grow better and pointed out perennials that were getting so big they would need to be divided in September and transplanted. After they brought out the lawn tractor and trailer to haul away the broken branches, Zach told his uncle that he was serious about mission work. Zach, I would love that! Uncle Peter exclaimed with delight. Look, I'll pay your way out if you'll come for the year. There's so much you and Jake could do to help the young people, he encouraged. There are three teen guys who haven't committed their lives to Christ yet. They're still trying to determine which path to choose, and we're also keen to run a youth conference. There's a large group of young people that live long distances apart. It would do them all so much good to do the study and, and then get together to talk about the Bible. Since you're attending the youth conference this year, you could bring back some ideas for us. As they picked up the littered branches and tossed them into the trailer, Zach remembered a conversation he'd had at camp. Uncle Peter, he said thoughtfully, I hope you can talk Jake into coming too. But, but if we can't, Noah Vandenberg wants to do missionary work. Could he come along? There's enough for you, Jake, and Noah to keep busy, Uncle Peter assured him. Really? Of course. Can I text Noah right now? Sure. Zach took out his phone and eagerly punched in the news. For the first time ever, Noah responded immediately. He was very eager to be involved. From that point on, the conversation between Zach and his uncle became quite animated. While they labored together cleaning up, they discussed all the possibilities ahead of them. Time went by quickly. Uncle Peter was so enthusiastic about Zach's abilities that Zach dreaded to tell him about the struggles he was having. However, he knew he wanted to talk to someone that he looked up to, and Uncle Peter was right there, ready and available. After the fourth load of branches was dumped near the garden shed, Zach mustered his courage to talk to his uncle. Filling the trailer with what they hoped would be the last load of broken limbs, Zach asked, Uncle Peter... Did you watch many movies before you were baptized? <laughs> Too many. Bad ones? Unfortunately, yes. I spent ten years of my life running away from God. I have a lot of regrets. Zach wasn't sure what to say next, so he didn't say anything. He just kept piling wood. Why do you ask, Zach? Well, because I saw one the other week, and I can't get it out of my mind. Heaving a large branch into the back of the trailer, Uncle Peter turned to face his nephew. It's not easy, I know, he replied compassionately. We can so quickly forget the good exhortation we hear on a Sunday or the Bible readings we did the night before. Yet worldly images keep blasting into our minds, even when we come to detest them and would love to find a way to delete them permanently. You still struggle with them? Nodding solemnly, Uncle Peter admitted, Yes, although not nearly as much as I used to. The last movie I watched like that was while I was still living in Australia and running away from God. But even today, on a Sunday morning, I can be sitting happily next to my beautiful wife, fully absorbed in the exhortation I'm listening to, and one of those images will just strike me out of the blue. Before I know it, my mind has been taken some place that I didn't want to go. Zack sighed. It was reassuring to know that Uncle Peter, a man he highly respected, and a good example in many ways, understood the problem he was having. So, what what do you do about it? He asked earnestly. 
Don't feed it, Uncle Peter told him firmly. That's step number one. This world is corrupt. Try as we might, we can't completely stop ourselves from seeing things that excite our base nature. But when you have a choice, Zack, never choose to feed the flesh. The more you feed the flesh, whether through lustful movies, games, addictive novels, abusing alcohol or drugs, or the vast array of trash found on the internet, the stronger the pull becomes for more. Eventually, you want to start doing the things you've been seeing and hearing and reading about. Even if you do those things, you still won't be satisfied. The flesh never is. You'll have to keep increasing your level of indulgence to reach the same level of gratification, all the while searing your conscience and making it so much harder to maintain fellowship with God. It's a vicious downward cycle. Is there any way to reverse it at all? Uncle Peter smiled and stretched out his shoulders. They hadn't finished the cleanup, and it was getting dark, but the conversation was a higher priority. It's very difficult while we're in this mortal body, he replied. Even if we were to go and escape to some remote island with no electrical outlets or billboards or any other people, we'd still find our nature capable of inventing wickedness all on its own. Sawing a few large branches so they would fit more easily into the trailer, Uncle Peter told him, Another thing that helps me when my mind is repeatedly going down a path I don't want it to is to instantly stop and pray for forgiveness and God's help. We can, to a certain extent, change the path our minds take by putting up mental stop signs and asking God to be involved. Mental stop signs, Zach considered with a smile. I'll have to try that, he told his uncle. As Uncle Peter walked to the far edge of the lawn to get one last branch, a message came through on Zach's cell. Zach stopped to take a look. It was from Melissa. Just wondering if you're coming over tonight. I found our music. I'm so glad I'm here with Uncle Peter, Zach thought. This is more temptation than I can handle. I need to overcome evil with good. Somehow I've got to let her know I have a new allegiance. Zach texted back. Sorry, Melissa. I'm helping my uncle tonight. I've made a decision to be a new man in Christ. If you ever want to know why this has changed me, I'd be happy to tell you. Zack paused and took a deep breath before pressing send. He was fairly certain Melissa would understand the implications of the message. It could well be the end of her flirtatious advances, which he would miss, but found very difficult to handle. Mustering his resolve, he pressed the arrow the message sent. I'll tell you what helps me even more, Uncle Peter added, as he returned, dragging the large branch behind him. What's that? Learning to love God. Okay, but I do love God. I'm sure you do, Uncle Peter nodded, as Zach helped him wrestle the last branch into the trailer. But does God feel loved by you? Zach looked over at his uncle with a quizzical expression. Over and over, he had heard how much God loves his creation, but... No one had ever asked him if God felt loved by him in return. Well, I thank God for for all the love he has shown to us, Zach stuttered. I'm sure he knows I'm sincere. Wiping the sweat off his forehead, Uncle Peter took a seat on the garden tractor. I hope you never experienced this, Zach, he said with a grin. But sometimes people fall in love with being loved. They may enjoy getting all the attention, the gifts, and the letters but never really love the giver of that love. In his mind, Zack imagined himself lavishing gifts and flowers on Melissa. 
He could see her reveling in the beautiful things she was receiving. But what if she only loved all the flattering attention, but never really cared about him as a person? That would stink. It would. And we can do the same with God and Jesus. We can be thankful and happy for all the love they have shown to us, but never fall in love with who they are. How can you tell the difference? Well, if we really love someone, we will want to find out all about them. We will want to know what pleases them. We will go to great extents to discover what is most important to them and do our best to bring happiness to their lives, right? Right. So, we know we are falling in love with God when we want to make the effort to get to know Him, when we get excited about His plan and purpose for us and this earth and are in awe of His morality and His commands. And what if we don't feel that excitement? Cocking his head to one side, Uncle Peter replied, Force yourself to find out more about them, and you will fall in love. When you understand who Jesus was, his selfless character, his motivation to give his life for the world, you will want to be like him and his father. Zach nodded. He understood. Even the study he was doing every evening on Job's interaction with God was pulling him in the right direction. The more we learn to love God and his son and desire to bring them pleasure, Uncle Peter added, the more we will stop longing for things that bring them grief. It made sense to Zach, but he knew how close he had been to causing grief only moments before. He moaned, I'm just not sure if I'll ever get there. My thoughts are sometimes totally corrupt. It was getting dark. Zach knew his uncle needed to get the last load to the shed so they could unload the wood. He picked up the saws and rakes and put them in the trailer. Pulling the tractor keys out of his pocket, Uncle Peter held them in his hands, but he didn't start the engine. Brett has been a great coach for you and Jake through the years, right? He's fair and considerate. Zach agreed. So, Brett's not going to kick you off the team for missing ten shots if he sees you're putting in your best effort. Nobody might sub in another player. True, he might feel that you need some time out, but that would be for your benefit, right? Zach nodded. But if you or Jake were to rest on your laurels as the team captains, or feel that you could get by with minimum effort, you might be benched for the game. Of course. With a smile, Uncle Peter expanded his analogy. God knows we're going to make mistakes and and that we can't be perfect, but he's reading our hearts and minds. He simply asks us to give all that we can. He knows better than any coach if we are really trying or just coasting. Pausing to look over at Zach, Uncle Peter added with a smile, God is on your side, Zach. He wants you to win every time. If you ask him, he'll work in your life to help change your heart. Chapter 31, Job's Covenant. When Zach sat down to do his workbook Sunday evening, he felt tired. His whole body ached from the continuous heavy work he'd been doing since the hurricane. He hadn't heard another word from Melissa since he'd reminded her that he was a new man in Christ. That Sunday morning, he and his whole extended family had gathered to remember the sacrifice of Christ, as they faithfully did on the first day of every week. 
After the service was over, they had a quick lunch, and then Uncle Peter organized a large crew of willing volunteers to help clean up their neighborhood. They went throughout the town, offering to help wherever there seemed to be a need. There were many elderly people and single moms that were thankful for the assistance. Looking up at the calendar in the kitchen, Zach realized it was August 5th. Jaden would be coming back from his mission trip to Uganda the next day. I wonder how it went, Zach pondered. I'll have to give him a call. Little did he know that there was less than a week before the return of Jesus Christ to the earth. A text came through from Noah. They had been texting frequently since Zach had told him about the need for missionaries in Jamaica. Both of them were very excited about heading over with Uncle Peter in September. The text read, Hannah wants to help me make some David and Goliath puppets to bring to Jamaica. Maybe you and I can put together a little theater when we get there. I found a good plan on the internet. Have you convinced Jake yet? He's not answering my emails. Zach texted back. Still haven't convinced Jake. I'll see if Esther will help me make some puppets too. That would be great. How's your uncle going? The same, or worse. He's just not getting any better. Aunt Sandra is there all the time now. Mom and Dad want to drive out and see him next weekend. We're planning to stay with the Simons for the week. We'll drive back in convoy with you guys to conference, God willing. See you then. Sounds fantastic. Turning his attention to his workbook, Zach was happy to be on Job chapter 31. He was three quarters of the way through. To his surprise, the very first verse began with, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? Hmm. Thought Zach. This may be interesting. There is a link back to Job chapter 1, where Job is described as a man who fears God and shuns evil. Do I shun evil? Zach asked himself. Or do I embrace it longingly? It took only a second for Hellrider images to flash across his mind. The pull was always there to view more. What does God see when he looks at my heart? Does he feel loved by me? A text came in from Jaden. Just landed in New York sitting here at the airport waiting for my next flight home. Our trip was great. Have to tell you all about it. How are things going there? Zach spent another 15 minutes texting with Jaden. When he was done, it was difficult to refocus on his study. As happy as he was to have his phone back, he now realized how distracting the continual stream of messages could be. Persevering, he found that the workbook went into great detail about Job's righteous decision to guard his eyes. There were several questions and references to look up all of which dealt with this insidious issue so prevalent in today's modern society, with its twisted tentacles reaching into every avenue of the media of pornography and immorality. The notes pointed out that David had said, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. Jesus said, But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Reading the verses, Zach felt conscience-stricken. Indulging in lustful thoughts is actually like committing the sin. It was a heart-pounding realization. God wanted him to take his thoughts captive. The passage continued, If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. I'm sure God doesn't want us to really take out our eyes. Zach mused. But if that laptop belonged to me, I would certainly delete all the R-rated movies and put on a blocker. It works well for the computer and the smartphone. Another text came in from his school friend, inviting him to play pickup soccer at the park. It suddenly occurred to Zach that he had never had such an interrupted Bible study session 
And it was all because he had his phone back. I don't have a laptop, Zack thought. But I do have a phone that I need to control. Picking it up, he took the small black device to his room and left it on his bedside table. Returning to his study, Zack read through a section with some straightforward warnings about the danger and negative long-term effects of pornography. Zack thought it over carefully. There are very clear reasons God doesn't want us to be involved with this stuff. Looking at pornography would definitely make provision for the flesh and destroy the new man God is creating in me. At ten o'clock, Zack headed to his room for the night. Jake was sitting up in bed with headphones in his ears watching another movie. He looked over for a brief second to acknowledge his brother's presence, then quickly turned back to his screen. Zack climbed into bed and fell asleep. He was still exhausted from the week of heavy cleanup work. Startled in the middle of the night, Zack woke up to see a familiar flashing, eerie blue glow in the room. Opening his eyes, he saw that Jake was still sitting up in his bed, looking at pictures from files on the hard drive that he should have known not to open. The moment Zack moved, Jake minimized the screen. Zack sat up in bed. I know what you're looking at, he said grimly. Jake shrugged. It's just pictures. What's with you, Jake? Zack implored. It's pornography and you know it. Zack had still not completely figured out what he wanted to say to his brother, but after his talk with Uncle Peter, he knew he had to say something. Between Uncle Peter's words and the warnings he'd read in the workbook, he was better equipped. You're going to destroy yourself with that stuff, he told his brother. It's going to consume you. It's going to be all you can think about. You might just be looking at pictures now, but if you fill your head with that kind of trash, you're going to inflame your lust so badly that you'll act on it. How do you know? Jake asked, a little unnerved. Are you judging me? You don't know my thoughts. I know how I felt after that movie you talked me into watching. Zack told him bitterly. That was bad enough. Why are you doing this to yourself? You know as well as I do that we're only supposed to think on things that are good. And what about that verse that says we aren't to make provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts? Jake gave his brother a scornful look. Jesus says it's as if you're committing adultery if you just lust after a woman. It's sinful. Everything Zack had been learning came pouring out. Did you know that when guys look at pornography, it makes them discontent with reality? They become obsessed with the Photoshop perfection and can't be satisfied with less. You could damage any real relationship you want to have, and you'll hate yourself because you'll feel so guilty and so consumed with lust. You've got to stop, Jake. The sooner the better. Man, you sound just like Dad, Jake said, shaking his head in disgust. Where did you get all this stuff from? There was a whole section on it in the workbook. There was a personal letter written by someone who had been addicted to pornography and came to realize the harm it caused. Seriously, you can read it yourself if you want. There was a sullen expression on Jake's face, but he remained silent. Although he had been baptized for three years now, his new man in Christ was not growing any stronger. It was withering away. But every now and then, when godly sustenance was forced down his throat... The new man revived and stabbed hard with the sword of the spirit. This was one of those moments. Jake suddenly realized the predicament he had gotten into. Maybe I should read that letter, he said. I'll get it right now. But Jake wasn't sure he could handle so much so soon. I'll read it in the morning, he said, shutting the computer down and tucking it under his bed. They were both quiet for some time, each thinking that the other had gone to sleep, and then Jake whispered, Zack, are you asleep? No. Zack replied. Why? I can't stop myself. Jake replied almost desperately. I know it's wrong. I know I shouldn't be watching stuff like that, but I'll tell myself I'll stop and, and then before I know it, I'm doing it again. 
I wish I'd never started looking at it at camp. I wish you'd been there with me, and then we could have been strong together. Jake, Zack whispered compassionately, moved by his brother's confession. Is that why you've changed? He sighed deeply. I wish you had gone with me instead. Then you would have heard all the great Bible talks and been there with friends who would have helped you to want to change your life, like they helped me change mine. Why don't you give back that laptop tomorrow and come to conference with me? Better yet, join Noah and me in Jamaica. Let's take a break from all this and do something positive for God. Maybe I should get rid of this laptop, Jake mumbled. You definitely should. If it belonged to you, you could erase all the movies and put a blocker on it. But it's not even yours. Remember, Jesus says if your eye offends you, pluck it out and cast it away. Anyway, it'll be easy enough to find Trevor's last name and get his address. Brett will know it for sure. Yeah, you're right. Jake agreed. I'll give it back. This stuff is killing me. And if you want to come to conference, I'll help you through the workbook. We still have time. Okay. Jake agreed. Thanks, Zach. Good night. Good night, Jake. Will he finally give it up? Zach wondered as he lay in bed trying to get back to sleep. He hoped his brother was truly serious about changing. Can I give it up? Jake wondered as he tossed and turned. It's going to be so hard to do. Chapter 32. The Battle. As Jake lay awake, thinking about all that Zack had said, he knew his brother was right. He needed to change. He needed to pray. Even though bedtime prayers had been a habit ingrained in him from a child, he hadn't prayed regularly for weeks. Somehow it just hadn't seemed right to pray lately, not after watching R-rated movies, viewing pornography, and even the creepy novel he'd been reading. For so long, he'd been telling himself that one day he'd turn things around and ask for forgiveness and everything would be all right again. It's time, he told himself. I've gone far enough. I'm already consumed by this. I don't want to destroy myself. I want to follow Jesus, not my flesh. Jake prayed earnestly for God's forgiveness. He confessed everything that he'd been doing wrong and asked for God's help to overcome. A wonderful sense of relief flooded over him when he said, Amen. I'm forgiven, he thought happily. I can start all over. I'll go to youth conference, Zach, and change just like he did. I know it's what I need to do. I'm going to stop pursuing a friendship with Melissa. I'll give the laptop to Brett after work tomorrow and ask him to contact Trevor. I'm sure he won't mind. I'm going to make a fresh start. The next morning began with a full day of hard work. Alan pruned and weed whipped the trees. Jake mowed, and Zach dug up Mrs. Watson's overgrown herb garden. She wanted tulips instead. As he rode the mower around the yard, Jake had plenty of time to think. The joy and relief he had felt the night before was fading fast. In his rush to get to work that morning, he had forgotten to bring the laptop to drop off at Brett's house. It was still at home under the bed. It was still a temptation. There was a lot that Jake didn't fully understand about God's grace and about sin. He hadn't yet grasped that while it is true that any sin can be repented of and turned away from and completely forgiven if repentance is genuine, the truth is that sin can be destructive and even permanently damaging 
As his dad often said, Giving in once greatly weakens our defenses against the next onslaught. Sin isn't a toy that can be played with for a few hours and then discarded. The monster raging within him was of leviathan proportions and difficult to control. He was becoming a slave to sin. He couldn't defeat the inflamed desires with one simple prayer and by sheer willpower. Flesh can't overcome flesh. This wasn't just going to go away overnight. Jake needed help. Lots of help. Divine help. All day long as he mowed grass at Mrs. Watson's, the monster inside him kept demanding to be fed and concocting devious plots to get its way. Even so, Jake was holding on to the commitment he'd made the night before. He knew he had to give up the laptop. Borrowing Zach's phone on the way home, he sent a text to Brett. Hey, Brett. He swiped. One of the Blackhawks players left his laptop at the basketball camp since he was in such a rush to leave. If I bring the laptop to you, can you make contact with his coach? I should have done this sooner. Sorry. Jake. Brett replied a few minutes later. Sure, Jake. No problem. Handing the phone back to Zach, Jake breathed a sigh of relief. So, are you going to do the workbook with me tonight? Zach asked. And I'll get you that letter to read. Yeah, sounds good. Just one more movie, the monster begged. It threw tantrums when Jake told himself that the Job workbook was now on the menu. His flesh raged against such a substitute. How dare he offer a nutritionally sound meal when Leviathan demanded soda, chips, and ice cream sundaes. The more Jake tried to block out the demands, the worse the demands became. He needed help. I've already been sinning and just looking at stuff, Jake pondered. But I'm sure that God has taken me back now that I've prayed and asked him to. Will it hurt to look at stuff just a bit more tonight? I have to give the laptop back tomorrow. This is my last night ever. I'll ask for forgiveness again tomorrow night. During the workout before dinner, Zach tried to encourage his brother to stay committed to going to conference and to begin doing the workbook with him. I've thought it over. I think I'll plan to go next year, Jake told him as they ran up the hill. It's too last minute-ish to try and make it happen now, but I told Brett I'd bring the laptop to him tomorrow. Jake, Zach pleaded, it's not too late. I'll help you. You can do it. Youth conference begins in less than two weeks. I doubt I can get in at this late date. There's probably a waiting list. Zach was lagging behind, but he called out, Why don't you phone tonight and see if you can register? See if there's any room. At the top of the hill, Jake stopped to let his brother catch up. Are you feeling okay? He asked when Zach reached him. Yeah, I'm not dizzy today. Just a lot slower than you are. You'll be in shape by November. You've got time. My training is over in September, Zach replied as they turned around at the top of the hill and headed back down. What? You can't leave, Zach. I'm committed. I told Uncle Peter I would help him in Jamaica. But what about Brett? Don't you feel committed to him? Think of everything you're giving up. How will we win the provincials without you? How could you let down the team like that? How could you even possibly think of not being there in November? Reaching the driveway, Jake grabbed a basketball and took his position to play 33. Setting up at the three-point line, he sunk the ball angrily. Having battled with the flesh all day, he felt irritable and frustrated, and now he was angry that his brother could even think of leaving the basketball team. They needed everyone to come back for a Super 12 year to even have a chance. And he hated the thought of giving up the laptop. On top of it all, he no longer had a phone. It wasn't so easy to keep in contact with Melissa 
all the things that were most important to him seemed to be slipping from his grasp. It will be really hard to miss out on basketball, Zack admitted, watching his brother make all his points faster than ever before. I'm sure it was hard for Moses to turn his back on the good life he led in Egypt. This is a choice that I feel God wants me to make. He led me to make. I don't mean to be preachy, but our commitment has to be first and foremost to God. Isn't that right? We both made the commitment to serve him first when we were baptized. Looking in the opposite direction, Jake drove the ball angrily through his legs, bouncing it hard toward his brother. Instinctively, Zach caught it and found his position. But before he attempted the three-point shot, he made an earnest appeal. Jake, I'm really excited about going to Jamaica now that I've made the decision. Helping Uncle Peter with mission work is, is something I want to do. Having Noah come along makes it even better. If you come to it, would be perfect. Please just think about it. As they hit their shots and tried to keep score, Zach told Jake about some of the activities he was looking forward to. It took a lot of explaining on Zach's part before Jake could even begin to appreciate that such a venture was worthy of consideration. Jake nailed his fell shots. 31 for me. He cheered loudly. Your turn. While he was starting to appreciate that going to Jamaica might be an interesting experience, Jake told himself that it wasn't for him. There's no way I'd let Brett down like that, even if I decided to change in every other way. He felt quite self-righteous over his loyalty to Brett. And who will help Alan and Derek run Eaton Tree? Frustrated, he watched Zack finish his round. Only 25 for me, said Zack. And it took almost three minutes, added Jake. That blow to his head did some damage, all right, he thought angrily. Zack has lost his mind. When Zack entered their room much later on that night, Jake was lying in bed with a laptop. Zack sighed and looked very discouraged. Did you phone about conference? he asked his brother. No. Why are you watching that thing again? You said... Jake lashed out. You're making such a big deal out of this. He retorted. I'm only watching movies and pictures. Have I changed my life? Am I getting drunk every weekend or, or visiting light clubs? It's no big deal, and I'm giving it back tomorrow. Jake, I'm your twin. Zach reminded him. I can see what this is doing to you. Give me a break. Jake retorted, throwing his pillow in his brother's direction. His eyes were angry and almost hateful. What's happened? Zach pleaded in astonishment. Last night you wanted a change. Shut up! Jake yelled out. Zach climbed into bed and turned out the light. Maybe I need to talk to Dad about this. He told himself. If Jake doesn't give that laptop back tomorrow, I will tell Dad. Angry tears welled up in Jake's eyes. He was angry and irritable. Every good decision that Zach was making only aggravated his conscience. He's so self-righteous. He thought. Who is this new Zach that thinks he can start telling me what to do? I like the old Zack better. We had so much more fun together. This Zack is driving me crazy. Turning over to go to sleep briefly crossed Jake's mind to pray. But God didn't help me at all today, he told himself bitterly. I can't give up this stuff. I'm, I'm too weak. What's the use? Unfortunately, while Jake had prayed the night before, he had not given any sustenance to the emaciated new man in Christ. While he had confessed the battle that was raging inside him to his brother... He didn't ask to be kept accountable, or appreciate his brother's attempts to do so without being asked. He needed a worthy cause to fill the void that had been dedicated to the monster. Without such a goal, he was destined to slip back even further than he had been before. Sadly, as usual, he had paid little attention to the Bible readings that his family did every night. He had also passed on the opportunity to study with Zach and read the insightful letter. Weekly, 
half-heartedly, the pathetic soldier of Christ was struggling in vain to find the sword of the Spirit, the only weapon that could begin to win back the strongholds of faith. Had Jake known the countdown to Christ's coming was no longer years or months or even weeks, but only a matter of days, perhaps he would have had a stronger desire to overcome the flesh. But he didn't know, and in his obsession to follow his own wayward desires, he was missing all the clues that God was sending his way. Zach's smartphone vibrated on the table between them. Looking up, Jake could tell that his brother was asleep. Picking up the phone curiously, he saw that it was a message from Melissa. He read it. Can you please tell Jake that I need to talk to him? If I can text him, that would be even better. Melissa. This is Jake. He swiped. What's up, gorgeous? I just had the biggest fight with my mom. I really need to talk to you, please. Do you want me to call? Please come over. I need someone to hold me. Jake read the words over a second time. Melissa needs someone to hold hold her? And she's asking me? I'm the one she wants? He didn't think twice. Where? My house. I'll be outside. On my way. Very pleased to be the first friend Melissa would call when she was upset, Jake quietly pulled his clothes back on and tiptoed over to the window. Zach didn't stir. The window slid open easily and Jake hoisted himself up and swung his leg over the ledge. What are you doing? Zach asked suddenly, stirring sleepily in bed. Just heading out for a bit, Jake told him, wishing his brother had stayed asleep. I'll be back soon. Are you going to see Melissa? She's had a big fight with her mom, Jake explained impatiently. She needs to talk. Go back to sleep and don't worry about it, okay? Did she ask you to come over? Zach questioned. She did. We're good friends. She just needs to talk. It had only been two days since Melissa had invited Zach to dance, and he had turned her down. Is she using Jake or me? Zack wondered. Since the night before, when Jake had confessed his desire to change, Zack felt much more compassion toward his brother. He empathized with the powerful struggle his brother was having. He felt his own foolishness earlier was somewhat responsible in causing his brother to stumble. He wanted Jake to overcome. Hold on, Zack pleaded. I know you want to change and, and get your life right with God. Melissa isn't the kind of friend you need. Don't go. But Melissa needs me, Jake said proudly. Undeterred, he swung out the window and dropped to the ground. I'm only going to cover for you this one more time, Zack told his twin firmly. If you keep doing this, I will have to tell Dad about everything, for your own good. Looking back in the window with a grin, Jake reminded his brother quietly, Think of all the times I covered for you. You owe me at least twenty more. Sliding the screen shut, he headed for Melissa's. As he hurried along the dark road, taking a shortcut through the park, the pathetic soldier suddenly found his sword or maybe was given a great deal of divine assistance. Jake vividly recalled the words of Proverbs 7. He and Zach had once acted out these verses as a Sunday school skit. For at the window of my house I looked through my lattice and saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths a young man devoid of understanding, passing along the street near her corner. And he took the path to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. And there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. Jake knew well that the proverb ended with the words, Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. 
He and Zack had made very graphic signs for the harlot's house and the chambers of death. They had played the parts with full-fledged dramatic flair. Come on, Jake argued with himself. That isn't talking about Melissa. She's my friend. She's upset. I'm only going to her house to comfort her like a good friend. But regardless of every justification he gave, the new man in Christ, who had been silent so often lately, refused to withdraw the sword that pricked his heart. While Jake would not acknowledge the promptings of the growling monster within, he was surprised at how clearly he could remember Proverbs chapter 7. Numerous times he had read it with his family, and many times they had discussed such matters in youth group, but it had never impacted him before like it was now. Turning the corner onto Melissa's street, Jake suddenly stopped. The sword of the spirit was still jabbing away, and he was feeling the pricks. What am I doing? He asked himself nervously. I should be fleeing temptation, not making provision for the flesh. Maybe I should text Melissa and tell her my parents won't let me come, or something like that. I'm being a fool. I'll tell her I can only talk on the phone. He looked over at Melissa's house, and then he saw her sitting at the end of her driveway. She was wearing a cute little dress, and her head was buried in her arms. Under the streetlight, her copper-colored curls shone. Jake could see that she was sobbing quietly. Compassionate by nature, Jake couldn't bear to see someone he loved so upset. He had to at least hear her out. He longed to provide some comfort. Hey, baby, what's wrong? He asked, coming closer. Melissa stood up and reached out her arms. Jake pulled her close. It felt good, really good, to be so close to Melissa. Thank you for coming, she whispered earnestly, wiping her eyes with her hand. I need to talk to you so badly. Let's go to the trailer. My mom might hear me. She thinks I'm locked in my room. Looking in the direction that Melissa was pointing, Jake saw the large RV parked in the backyard. Melissa's family was well off. The house trailer was luxurious. We can get in there? Jake asked with astonishment, fully expecting such an RV to be locked up tight. No. Don't do it, the little soldier cried. Flee! This is more temptation than you can handle. Think of all those great talks you heard on dating last year. Stay in public places, keep it accountable, never date someone who doesn't love God even more than they love you. Are you kidding? This is perfect, the monster laughed. I have the keys, she smiled wistfully, pulling him toward the RV. It's my hangout place, come on. Ignoring the Bible passages that were now racing through his mind, Jake followed. I'm just helping a friend, he told the panic-stricken soldier. Melissa needs me. I have to at least find out why she's so upset. I'll leave if she gets too cuddly. But Jake wasn't being true to himself. The devil had entered his heart. The little soldier could not restrain the overstimulated man of the flesh.